Because Star Wars Celebration is making its triumphant return in 2019 for its 20th anniversary this April in Chicago. The five-day event begins on April 11th and runs through April 15th at McCormick Place. can't stop the change any more than you can stop the suns from setting. Hello and welcome to the Vintage Rebellion podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner and you are listening to episode 58, Celebrating Celebrations. Joining me as always, a man whose shorts would have looked like hot pants on Yoda, it is Dixie Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Uh, Rich, do you know when you like you, you pour yourself a whiskey or a vodka or something, it's called a short, yeah? Do you ever pull your um, shorts short? No, it's called a shot. What you're about? It's not a it? shot. It's not a shot. A whiskey is, is a short. short. It's a short. No, you're thinking of a little one that you neck. It's called a short. Spirits can be called shorts. Boys, can you just back me up? I know I've not introduced you yet. But yep. um, nah, yeah. that's a southern thing, Matt. Honestly, no, it's oh, very true. It's, goodness it's me, also mate. like his collectibles. He he is particular fan of the short pour. Um, sort of oddity when it comes to vintage figures as well he's got a massive short pour collection look at my, my family's you know I, I lived in the pub from the age of 14 to 21 and not once have i heard that term it's a southern little you know fluffy kind of thing that you do down there he's got your own little language your own little people you know ridiculous. rich you couldn't even handle a whiskey you're a northerner and you can't drink which is <coughs> you know yeah, yeah. yeah that's quite it's quite embarrassing i remember if you owned a pub i remember the father's form just gone where you were you you, you even refused to drink from me because you were so overloaded you gave me a vodka shot and it's the one thing i will not do a shot of it wasn't so vodka it was sambuca. but never yeah. made yeah never mind it's a great star wars podcast Move on, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's keep the Star Wars theme going. War, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. And that's why he's back on British shores. Welcome home. It is the tanned ape. Jess Bell. Good evening, Jess. <laughs> good evening, Stu. Good evening, lads. Good evening, everyone. Um, Jess, you're home. Happy days. No delays yeah. in quiz, so no excuses. Yeah, Spray right. tan sales in Oxford have gone up by 72%. <laughs> um, it's... <laughs> It's great to have you back, mate. And I've noticed already while we've been setting up and stuff, you've dropped out about four times. Yeah. So, uh... <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm back. I am in desperate need of a time because it's been very cold in uh, in Afghanistan. And uh, yeah, I've not seen the sun much at all. So um, I'm very, very pasty. But there we go. No, mate, I've, uh, I'm raring to go. And my Internet connection is wonderful. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, we'll, we'll be the judge of that. And uh, finally, just a simple man trying to make his way in the universe. It is, of course, Peter Davis. Good evening, P. Diddy. All right, little fella, how you doing? I'm, I'm all the better for uh, talking with you, gents. And um, I like to think of you all just sitting there, you know, Jez hugging his pork and you holding your rays and Rich with his uh, 
with his Franken-beans poking out of his shorts. It's <laughs> <laughs> That's my mindset at this moment in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not think of that last one. Yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. Boys, lots going on in the hobby this month. Uh, hasn't made our show notes, so I thought I'd just mention a couple of them briefly in the intro, you know, to break us in. Uh, firstly, we've covered Baggy Gate several times since the story broke. It's got to be, what, two, three years ago now, surely. And we had Jeff on the show to give him his side. And during this time period, more and more research has been undertaken on the baggies. Recently, Tom Burby has been looking at the authenticity of certain mailers, which are linked back to Jeff. And at the beginning of March, he revealed his findings. Now, Rich, keeping it brief, like your shorts, can you first explain who Tom Darby is and why he is a respected authority on these items and what his findings concluded? Um, so Tom Darby was formerly of EFA. And then, if I've got my history right, I believe le- he left EFA and went to Collectible Invested Brokerage or something like that called CIB. And he has a fantastic network. He turns up a lot of rare vintage items. I believe he turned up the White Witch um, prototype, which is now in Gus's collection. I think I turned up a couple of months ago. Um, he is the go-to guy for anything that is unusual anything that EFA need double-checked and verified. Um, I believe he's considered as that there is nobody better to authenticate these things. So what he's done is um, he's looked at some of the the fake mailer boxes, which Frank had listed a load of different things that he believed was wrong with them. And from memory, um, Tom Darby's done all sorts of tests on them and he has determined that the ink on them could only have come from an inkjet printer, which obviously weren't around back then. And also he's found evidence of things such as ink being sprayed underneath sellotape to make it look as though they were yellowing with age. Um, and they're, they're clearly faked. And I'm pleased that Tom's holding some things back. He hasn't released everything online. Um, but he is 100% certain that these are fake, which has... Uh, backed up everything that Frank's been seeing for two or three years. So even if you haven't listened to Frank and you haven't listened to all the advice that Frank's given out, perhaps putting Tom Darby's weight behind it is enough for everyone to go, these are fake. There's no it's buts arguments about it at all now. Certainly has moved things on a bit. And you, you can see why I came to you with that question, because the other two have been like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Jez? <laughs> <laughs> How very rude. Rich, have you bought something from Tom Darby? Stu, have you bought something from Tom Darby? Pete? Yeah, I have. Um, so uh, so there we go. But no, going back to it, that yeah, I'm I'm delighted for Frank. Uh, I'm also heartbroken for Frank because it also, you know, just does go to show that a lot of the things which he's bought in the past, as others have done, um, were indeed fake. But it just really, really gives credit to all the work which Frank and all of the other lads, particularly on Stores Forum UK, have done. Um, you know, it, there has so much gone into this. And as you say, to get Tom's sort of seal of approval or extra information and wait behind it, as Rich said, is vital. Um, but, yeah, all credit to Frank. Um, you know, there's been a lot of doubters over the time. We've been sort of thinking, oh, you know, in the past, we, we've actually said, you know, hang on a second. There's a lot of circumstantial stuff. And what about this? And what about that? And, you know, we've had our reservations and our doubts. And not overly chuffed by the way some of the information was, you know, put out there initially. But all credit to Frank. You know, we we really have to take our hat off to him and say, uh, Frank Muse, you've done 
a fantastic job. Where do you think this leaves baggy collecting in the, on the whole? Because like Toy Tony breaks and you've got an extensive list. This is what's affected and you can see the seals. So it's pretty, oh, I'm sure there's more stuff to learn about Toy Tony, but it's a pretty infinitive list of, of what's been affected. This baggy, the baggy things, I remember when it originally broke, it was kind of like Jeff would, would take an order. Oh, I can get you hold of that. And within weeks, he could get literally any baggy. Yeah. They've yeah. kind of been made to order. So how how does the baggy collecting move forward with such a, a vast array of fakes in, in it? It will move forward by the uh, utilisation of places such as Stores from UK, the Imperial Gunnery, you know, the, these places, these sources which we've got, which, you know, we'll, more on that later on in the show. But, you know, Frank has done some incredible work. And as long as this is catalogued and available for everyone to see, then um, th- that's one way it's going to move forward. But the other way is I'm going to put this on his head now and say to you, are you interested in buying any baggies, Stu? To be honest with you, baggies were never my have never been my thing. But you would have had one as a as a Greedo collector. You I, would have I gone, have, yeah, I'll, I'll get I one. I have three baggies in my collection, two mailers and a Greedo baggie. Yeah. But yeah, but my, my, my problem with baggies goes well, goes way back before any of this broke. It was more the fact that I never liked the way they, they displayed. That that was really the reason I don't really collect them. Um yeah. to be honest with you. But we'll just say that Frank has has just begun starting uh, his baggy guide again over on Star Wars Forum UK. So he started that from, from scratch again because obviously he lost all the images when Photo Bucket dropped. To- Toy Tony thing happened and yeah, we saw it and, and Jason did some great work with that, but we're still buying carded figures. There is so much uncertainty and doubt amongst it now, coupled with the fact that, yes, you're right, aesthetically they're not as pleasing because they, they're not coupled with the beautiful card art which you find carded figures and the sort of playability that you can have a loose collection. So it, it was one of those things of, oh, you know, how do you display these? Um, Frank then worked with the UK graders to come up with a, a, a decent acrylic stand, or a, a case rather. So they did start displaying better. But it's just, yeah, uh, it, the the baggy world has taken a massive knock. And yeah, it's, it's I, I can't see it recovering massively, I'm afraid. There, there's going to be a lot less interest which means at least prices will remain low, I would have thought, for those who are getting into it. So is it, is it a... Yeah, I, I don't know, mate. It's awkward. I, I've, I've got nothing else to add to it, really. It, it's been a, a, a sad day for collecting. Another one, uh, but vindication for Frank. Right, moving on then. So in a bit brighter news, and yes, I know this is modern, but it's truly incredible. The Jabba's sale barge from Haslab has shipped for those who have backed it. And seeing the size of the boxes and people doing their setups has super excited me and is tempting me hugely. Now, Pete, the Katana, are you tempted? I'm extremely tempted, but it, it does look like it's going to be very expensive for us European types. Uh, but I think it's, I want to try say it's $499 and then it's $399 shipping. Um, that is what has been doing the round. So it's about it's, it's it works out after all the nonsense and you know bits and bobs and all fiddly flobbles about seven hundred pounds all in. I think that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. It is a lot of money. It's a real shame that they've not um, made that more accessible, really, for the Europeans. And well, it, it is accessible. It's just very expensive. I mean, the shipping to be four hundred dollars or whatever it is, oh, it's just. 
crippling, isn't it? I mean, if you get it for here, yeah, I think you know, fifty dollars, yeah, maybe even a hundred dollars. But but you know, three or four hundred. Oh, and where would you put it? And that's that's the excuse you make, isn't it? Oh, where would I put it? But um, um, the the sad thing is, the secondary market already is just abusing it. It's already at one and a half thousand, kind of about one and a half thousand dollars, a thousand pounds on the secondary market already. So. Uh, it's a real shame. I'm surprised this shop or something didn't just take a bunch of them, um, get them all sent over there and and do it that way. But oh, there we go. Someone's got to make their money somewhere, haven't they? Yeah, there's been an update to the eBay store. So the Haslab Pulse, I think it's called. It's called. Um, there's an eBay account that's been set up. There's still some people who are a bit dubious about this Haslab account and wondering whether it's just somebody who is taking advantage of what's coming or whether it is actually genuine. So Haslab have said that there's going to be details very, very soon. So on eBay, the update of the count, uh, it's going to be £362, which is PTA's $499. Um, but they've removed the £300 um, shipping thing. And it now says free shipping. So clearly it's not going to be free shipping. Um, it suggests that there's just a placeholder there at the moment until they work out all these things. But I would be shocked if they didn't ship them all to Europe. Is a, is a crate, you know, and then worked out shipping from Europe as opposed to shipping each one individually from the States. $400 seems extremely high, even if they were packing them individually. They are enormous. Remember, anything comes from the States. If you try and ship big stuff from the States like that, it is pricey. And I, I'm assuming that that's what they're using the global shipping program of, of eBay, you know, using those networks. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 such an amazing thing that, that, that to to destroy that on on a shipping thing. You think that there'd be an easy way of doing it, considering how big a company they are. It's just I just think I find it insane. Surely just do a pre, well, yeah. What's wrong with a pre-order? Right, pre-order. There's a hundred of them, and then just ship them over on a container. It's just I just you can get a car over it cheaper than that. I can't believe Dave Tree's not stocking them. Well, this is fault, really. Yeah, I just want to say some some of the setups have been brilliant, but um, over on the sixth scale scavengers collectors Facebook group, that's uh, in association with Chris Leddy's uh, podcast. Um, there's a chap over there called Steve DeRose who's got his setup on there, and he's got all like the modern figures, one of each, all the goons, and it does look amazing when it's filled. That as a toy when you were a kid would have just been incredible to have something like that. Oh, go really nice alongside um. Jez's skiff that he's going to be buying himself very very soon. <laughs> there are there are some beautiful little elements in there though. You've got like a little prison cell with a a very decayed looking Ithorian or for hammerheads for Jez you can't without. Um, and you know, and, I mean just a little little feature of that and he's chained up and he's all decayed and kind of like dead and 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 I mean you do get a jabber don't you? You get a jabber on his little dice as well mm. with um, little, little movable arms. Oh my word! It's just it's oh. <laughs> It's and just, the um, isn't the yak face that's packed with it? I think it was you that actually told me, Pete. The the least produced figure Hasbro have ever done. I don't know it was me. It was someone else, but it is. Um, it's yeah, you know, it's only coming with the barge, but it's but it, I mean, it's aping the power force figure. So the one that's out at the moment is um, because you know they, they have released the figure to the general population, so you can get that figure if you want the the yak face on a on a normal vintage collection card. Um, you know, Return of the Jedi style card, but for that one they got it with a coin, you know, Power of the Force coin um, carded figure. So it is a. It's, that's to be fair. If you, if you only want the barge, get it. 
get that figure, sell that figure, and you should be able to get, you know, people are putting up for four or five hundred pounds. So, so that might pay for it. So it might be an investment you uh, you look at and uh, flog the the yak face figure to get you pay for your barge or pay for postage to the barge. Anyway, it's certainly something that I'm going to um, look at when I return from celebration, whether it's really? whether I've got the space for it. First of all, which I think I probably have. It's four feet long. It's about the same size it's... as Gerald, then, is it? <laughs> Stu, to be fair, I'm not sure you could even carry it. It's just, it, it's your height, isn't it? Is your <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 oh. You could probably use it as a sleeping bag. Mm. Yeah, you, you could live in it, Stu. Oh, yeah. Uh. But it is, it is. I mean, I know it's like you said. It, I mean, it is technically the vintage collection sale barge. But oh my goodness! I mean, imagine if they did like, you know, what could they do next? A Death Starry kind of thing. I mean. Nothing can come close to that, I don't think, because it's such an epic size, and it's all you know. It's one thing; it's complete. If only I'll ask um, I'll ask this Steve DeRose if I can share his his photo of it because he's got it on top of a glass cabinet with all bits in in it underneath. I think to do with the similar sort of thing. It looks amazing, absolutely amazing. Also, some fantastic research. I don't know whether how much you're on the Jabbers groups, you lot, but some fantastic research uh, work have been going on over in the Jabbers groups. An admin called Mark Andrews, who's been admin on the, their groups for around a year, has done some work with the help of a, a Charles Jones. Now, when I think of Jabbers, I think the auction group, standard selling group. But this research Mark has undertaken has been massively extensive and it's in about four or five parts. It's based around Squidhead and all these different accessories and variations. And when you when you read through it, there is so many figure variations or cape variations. It really is worth checking out, especially if you're a variant collector, if you're a squid head focus collector or you just wanted to be educated. Seriously, go and check it out. And um, what I would say, though, Mark, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but I would recommend signing up for something like uh, Star Wars Forum UK or Tantiv and making a thread with all this information so it doesn't get lost and forgotten, because that is always the worry with Facebook that. In six months' time, it's going to, just going to be buried under auctions and other things, you know. Um, any of you boys see see that research? Caught a glimpse of the squid head, and it was just, yeah, as you say, phenomenal amount of work, fair play. I mean, if someone's able to invest that much into a resource, then yeah, I'm, I'd much prefer those kind of people on the internet than all the freaking man babies we see talking about booing Kathleen Kennedy at celebration and stuff. Those guys can just... Sorry. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. Sorry. <laughs> EJ's crikey. Look forward to editing that. Cheers, Jess. Um, <laughs> it's fun. Um, and two other little things I just wanted to mention before we get into the podcast. Firstly, Chris Dawson. He is a genius. For all you people who have Helix rulers or HC Ford rulers or any other rulers and not sure how to display, Chris has got one of those rubber sockers. Sockers. Suckers. You put your Xmas lights up with, stuck it on the shelf and lodged his ruler in it. And it looks amazing displaying. Just wanted to give him a shout out because people may have rulers and uh, not know what to do with them. That's what a, a game changer. To bring up, yeah. that's, a, that's a game changer right there. <laughs> He's got um, one of those Argentina Pepsi ones lodged in it. And I thought, ah, good thinking. And finally, before I move on, massive congratulations from all of us to Ed Grant, the founder of Star Wars Forum, on the birth of his son Jasper this month. Uh, absolutely beauty mate and i'm glad your better half and son are doing well 
lovely, lovely acquisition for him, which I realised you hadn't picked in your highlights for the month, Jez, which just shows what kind of person you are. Hey, I send you stuff and then I do updates. So, um, yeah, back off, haters. <laughs> right, so chaps, <laughs> I know I said I was going to have a quiet one on the acquisition front on the lead-up celebration. I think you all agreed. So let's see what we have been buying. Peedy Weedy. Uh, nothing really. Well, there was something I forgot from a previous one, which is a bit of an oddity. And uh, it's going in my scrapbook, so uh, I ripped the pages apart. Um, it's the uh, it's the Italian Cars issue Motor magazine. And on the front is a wonderful picture of a Saab. Well, no, actually not a Saab, I was lying. It's a Fiat. And it's got a bunch of C3PO, vintage C3PO figures next to it. This came out in May 1980. And uh, it, it's just, I don't know, the, the magazine is dreadfully dull. I'm not into cars at all. But um, it's, it's a really nice cover. And very odd that they've used four C3PO figures to um, talk about cars being made by robots. Not very interesting. But uh, the cover's are a beauty. So I just I only got it for like 99p off eBay. It's a, it's a typical car magazine. Very boring. For very boring car people. Sorry, car people. But it is very boring. Um, there's nothing in it of any Star Wars note. But that is. And it's a lo- lovely packet of fags on the back of cover. If you like your smoking adverts. Um, so, yeah. That, that was something a bit odd. I'll put a picture of that up. There was, um, I know they're not, not technically vintage, Stu, not technically, but I've been collecting PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 Star Wars games. So this month picked up Battles, Battlefront 2 and Jedi Power Battles, Episode 1 Jedi Power Battles, very nice. And there is an odd thing, and I wanted to bring this up because it is, a, it is someone got this for me at Christmas, and I completely forgot about it. Jess might be interested in this, seeing as he's, he's a Storm Trooper folks collector. Um, it's, a, um, it's a company called Corsair, and they do toiletries. And it, it surprised me because it's an absolutely stunning looking box with a stormtrooper on it. And the cutaway are, um, in the middle is a, is a um, see-through panel. And inside are two tubes of, you know, shampoo and conditioner and body wash kind of stuff. And with an absolutely stunning sort of stormtrooper thing on, uh, so on either one. There's a half stormtrooper on one side, on one tube, and the other half stormtrooper on the other side. And the surround panel on the front um encase it in their stormtrooper design it's absolutely beautiful but i noticed there was nothing to do with star wars on it it's actually a product they've licensed from uh, the original stormtrooper costume made by andrew ainsworth in 1976 so it's not a star wars product it's an official stormtrooper product and you can check that out on a www.originalstormtrooper.com it's, it's a really I've, I've never known anyone to do a star wars product like that put it out into the market and not be not have a Lucasfilm license. It's licensed by the original designer of the Stormtrooper costume. I'd like to see the image of that, Peter. Well, if you go to Corsair.co.uk or you go to that, that uh, website, you'll see it. I have this. Um, it, it's now empty. I entered and I decanted the items into more useful. The product wasn't very good. Um, but um, the actual box of stuff, so if anyone wants this, they can have it, or I'll bring it to celebration with me. I'll put it online. It's it's really nice. It's really nice for display if you're into toiletries. But I, it was just a lack of Star Wars on an item. I was I've never I would have thought that they, Lucas would have been all over that, but clearly not because they do not have. If you go on the website, they've got like a Marvel license and stuff, but they do not have a Star Wars the word Star Wars license at all. So yeah, really odd. The original Stormtrooper. They, they do other products as well. They do like other toiletries, but anyway, you check it out. Very strange. 
uh, talking of very strange, um, his shorts are very strange and they're very short. Richard, have you been buying anything? Yeah, still trying to kill a joke, yes, Joe. Um, <laughs> so, as I said last month, I was going to, you know, not consciously not buy, but obviously I've got celebration coming up, so I've been quite careful. So, first item I got was um, from Rich Temple. I know he bought loads of things from Rich Temple. He turns up quite a lot of really nice items and certainly a lot of Beyond the Toys pieces. So it was one of the UK-produced coin purses by Touchline. So for those who aren't aware, Touchline was a company that went bust making these uh, coin purses. They're from London. Um, Lucasfilm fell out with them. I'm not exactly certain why, and they withdrew the licence. So they had to destroy many of these coin purses. Um, I wasn't aware that they came carded. I haven't seen a carded one before. All the ones that I've seen are loose. So the one that I've got is the blue Jab of the Hut coin purse and it's my first one uh unused immaculate condition um and these apparently were on sale in cinemas during the first few weeks of jedi so i've never seen them as a kid i've seen some of them at father's form quite a few of them look a bit tatty you know they've been used so that's my first coin purse so are, you, I'll have a... are you gonna try and get the set of them i've got many of these yeah i think i will there are many of them but the problem is each character has several different colors so are you just going to get one of each character, or are you going to go no. down all the different colours? I think there's about 11 possibly listed on the SWCA, because I know Jabba's on an orange one as well as a blue one. I've I've got I've got all of the characters uh-huh. at least once, but um, yeah. I'm sure that I've got... It's either Akbar or R2 on about three or four different colours, mm. so I don't know how how varied they are, but... Yeah. Yeah, it looked good on the card as well. I've seen a few on the card, but not. Yeah. I've not seen one come up for sale on the card. So never seen one on a card. And then, um, who tipped us off about this one? And I'm going to struggle now. But last time when we had Mark Daniels on the show, and I said um, I'll see you on Thursday, it's because he was coming up to a local auction house um, in Newcastle, which somebody had tipped me off about it more so because they wanted me to pick up some items because this auction house didn't ship. They had some third-party agreement where you had to contact somebody else who would come and collect the item and wrap them and post them for you. And that, that's obviously quite a bit of a chew on. So um, once I was contacted, I checked the auction list and I thought, you know, there's quite a few items here. I was off work. I thought, I might as well go up and check it out. I've bought a few items at the auction. Um, most of them were lots, so I didn't individually buy each of these. But I was really pleased to get a boxed Palatoid Droids Factory. Now, this was the one with the yellow base, and stupid me, I've got the blue base one, and I keep forgetting that that's a Palatoy one, and it was, I didn't check the colour of the base inside the one that I bought. Um, it was only when I bought it, and I went, oh, it's another Palatoy one, I bet it's blue, and it wasn't, it was a yellow one, so I got lucky there. It's almost complete, it's missing a couple of little things, but thankfully there are twos there, so it's only missing, you know, the odd shaped blocks, and maybe a couple of um, little plastic pieces, which are fairly easy to pick up, so I'll complete that at some point. I got quite a few MPC model kits. So I got R2-D2, C-3PO, Slave 1. Um, all of those are in fantastic boxes. I've got the Return of the Jedi X-Wing fight as well as an MPC model kit. And I got a box AT-AT, but I don't have the model. So I'm going to have to buy that at some point to put inside my box. So I've got quite a few model kits. I've got a sealed Airfix Millennium Falcon. This was an absolute bargain. Uh, Mark Daniels, who knows way more about these than me, he told me that it was one of the harder ones to get. And um, for it to be sealed in immaculate condition, I got about 30 quid, 35 quid. So I was over the moon with that. 
Um, I got a boxed Hoth Ice Planet set. So that was really nice. It made my uh, one that I've had for quite a while now. That's been torn a bit tatty. I've replaced some of the parts on that. So I've now got a really nice looking one. I got a boxed Imperial Attack Base. Uh, so again, that was a nice one. The one that I had had started to warp a little bit. It's the only thing I've noticed that's ever started to warp. I don't know if it's because of the, the large bit of plastic, but it's definitely started to bend. And the creme de creme, the, the main thing that I was really wanting when I was there, um, a boxed Sears Cloud City playset, which was complete with instructions and figures. I was absolutely delighted to pick one of those up. Now, there was another guy there who was talking to us about it, and he said, oh, he's had a look inside it, it was tatty, and I didn't think of opening it up and pulling everything out, and I thought, oh, well, if it's tatty, I'm not as bothered about it. But I don't know what he was looking at, because it's certainly not tatty, it's absolutely beautiful. So I'm delighted to get that Cloud City playset. So that's the the trifecta of cardboard playsets for me complete. Um, the three, you know, Sia's uh, playsets. Um, I know some people are going to shout at us and say there's the Jabba the Hood Dungeon as well as the fourth Sia playset, but that's not cardboard and it's nowhere near as interesting. Uh, I do have one. I'm still missing that bloody brand and I which I'll get one day. That's a great pick up, the old, um, the old Cloud City playset, mate. Such a good, such a good purchase, and that was a great little job lot you bought as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, lovely. Um, I want to go to Jez, but he's disappeared again. Well, tell us about you, Stu. Then we'll wait for that pillock to get. Yeah, come on, you bought not a lot. Only added two loose figures, Tuscan and a clatter skiff. Um, I did add the found a a great little thing yesterday, a Playmobil R two D two from nineteen eighty bit of a rip-off but uh, i've got a bit of a rip-off shelf which i'm really enjoying so it's gone in there i managed to pick up the imperial dignitary coin so once i pick up my final mock uh, after celebration which i've already arranged i will have my imperial dignitary little mini run complete already after falling in love just after christmas with him um, i bought some 1983 vending machine stickers which are awesome vader r2 wicket yoda jabba and 3po lovely lovely little set uh, i picked up an esb carry case which is nice and a star wars carry case the vinyl cases which holds the figures so uh might finish off that set and finally i picked up a trilogo tebow which was a drink purchase um had a few to drink bought it while i was out not really realizing until the next day so a bit of a treat it's arrived today okay and finally makes a change me going before him but uh what we have with overseas uh, phone calls jez what have you added <laughs> if anything oh mate yeah delighted to say i got two carded figures and uh, it's taken a while to get them to me because i've been away and i wanted to wait because these ones are so nice so i've got a 12a now this is resale all right <laughs> this is a resale a 12a palatoy chewbacca which came up at star wars forum uk by palafan in october and as you remember, we've seen these Palatoid Chewbacca's come up for a staggering sum. You know, that it was the big one at Vectus several years ago. I think five to seven thousand pounds at Vectus because everyone was after one of these. So to get the opportunity to get a resale, well, I'm certainly not going to get a fully sealed one. And this is in lovely condition. And uh, so that's great. So I'm really delighted with that one. And the other one is a 65 back Palatoid Luke Skywalker. And uh, and that's a special one for me because it was Luke Skywalker, which was the first figure I ever collected as a child. So to have that as a mint on card is brilliant. And I got a uh, lovely deal from Ed, uh, Ed Jedi, 
and uh, Ed Grant for that one. So uh, I'm delighted that I've got those two in my collection. Jez, I don't know why, but I always thought that something like, I don't know, 21B or Lowbot or FX7 would have been your first figure as a child. Yeah. Brilliant. No, it was <laughs> it was Luke followed by Han after having watched Star Wars as a young lad. So oh, well before ESB and uh, yeah, loved it. Loved it. So uh, yeah, cheers. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for that. I never understand buying two goodies back to back. Who do they fight? Well, I don't know. Make love, not war. Obviously, not at the age of seven. Um, but Brilliant. Yeah, I don't want to know what you were doing with your looping hand. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. You know, I have my imagination. I have my own Lego. I didn't need any licensed Lego. I have my imagination, and you know, when when you've got the thoughts running around your head that I have, then you know, it's just a party up there. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, boys, I'm going to um, move it on because it's celebration in so well. As we record today, it is, what, 23 days away to the first day of the event. Um, I think, Pete, I think it's something like 20 days until you leave. 21 for me, Jez, and Rich, about 24. So I'm off on the, I'm off on the 8th, so only, only a day before. You're off on the 8th? Yeah, so 20, yeah, so it's, oh, so we're three weeks today. So, wow, it is coming around pretty fast. So we're just going to have a little... A little overview. We have got um, the collecting track coming up in Rebel Briefings, where we're looking at, and we've got a roundtable with Chris Jagulius, Ron Salvatore, and Chris Fawcett, where we look a bit over celebrations of past. And it, you know, there's some great little stories in there as well, and a little insight into things like where the track, collector's track came, how that's evolved from a room which held 20 people to where it is today. So, um, yeah, definitely something to look forward to there. But even if you're not going, it's, it's a great roundtable to listen to. lots of stuff now starting to get leaked things getting announced we alluded to it in the last show about us being on the fan for tracks booth and rich is actually going to give us exact time and what you can expect from us so rich yeah so we're the fan for tracks booth which i can't remember the number from memory but i know it's right next to the celebration store so if you head down towards that area you will see the fan for tracks booth there and we're going to be there on the sunday um two o'clock and we have the booth to ourselves. And we be humming and hawing, thinking what we're going to do. So we're going to keep it nice and fun, nice and light-hearted. All of us will be there at some point between 2 and probably about 10 to 3-ish. We're going to have some fun things to do. We're going to have some quiz games, puzzles, and uh, possibly some giveaways for those lucky people. But we would love people to come down just to have a chat to us, uh, talk about vintage collecting, um, ask for any advice, although we'll all will admit we're not the most knowledgeable people on the planet. Uh, perhaps to have a look at some photographs of um, some of the guests that we're talking to and their fantastic collections. We'll have um, the book that Stu's made that we'll take around for this one. We'll probably take that, do some kind of an update for the last 20 or so shows that's now in the book. Uh, but yeah, it, it's all about fun. It's all about coming down, meeting us, having a chat, um, sharing stories. 
Um, perhaps somebody wants to come down and be interviewed in the next podcast. You never know. Anything goes. bit like Pete, anything goes. And I said on the last show that we're going to make a TVR uh, video for the YouTube channel. That is still my aim. I've, I've sorted out my camera. I've bought some extra batteries and stuff. Maybe while we're on that booth, maybe we can uh, get a couple of minutes with different people. If you fancy being on that video, come over and talk to us about how your celebration experience is going because at that point yeah, we're we're deep into day four so hopefully people will have some stories to tell us um even if it's just for 10 20 seconds It'd be great to get as many people on that as possible but yeah sounds sounds like a fun and uh, look forward to seeing people there you just said some giveaways obviously we've made a little bit of tvr swag uh pete you've been chief designer of this can you tell us what we've made i can we have been doing some our usual so traditional traditional badges so we've got five badges um they're currently on our social media well they're by the time you get this they've all been out on the social media um so there's five badges they're all kind of like action figure tv mashups this time so jez has an a-team mashup i have a golden girls mashup um uh, which is quite amusing uh stuart has a fresh prince of bel-air mashup Richard has a Married with Children mashup and Steve has a Chips mashup. So all sort of TV shows back in the day, well, mostly back in the day, apart from Richard, who's gone against the grain as per usual. And uh, me as well, I think. Um, also, yeah, uh, a poster. And I, we always have a poster going. So um, I've done a rather gorgeous poster, which will, again, be free. Just come and try and grab one of us. We're trying to have some around. I think we've only got about 100 this time, so you'll have to wrestle us to the ground to get hold of one. And I think we mentioned about giveaways. We we have acquired some uh, Helix pencil sharpener Death Stars, so we will be we will be getting rid of some of those. Um, come and grab us to get one. So we have acquired quite a lot. Uh, well, yeah, more than ten, less than fifty. So we'll have those in our mix. And I will have a few fanzines as well. So I'll bring the rest of the fanzines with me. I might might make up a few tapes for issue two and stick them on the front. So, uh, yeah, still got a few of those. I might have those at room sales. So um, I'll try and, try and get rid of the last few. And we'll be uh, we'll be using those proceeds for, let's just be honest, beer money. So if you want to come and uh, buy us a beer, come and buy a fanzine off us. So you get something and we get a drink. So uh, don't be afraid to throw some money in our tin at the room sales for all our bits and bobs that we are getting rid of lovely stuff now i also said that there's some great um swag sites on facebook at the moment anyone seen any swag that they really really taken with that they would love to hunt down um yeah the akbar mousetrap yeah i did see that who's uh made that i have that, no idea but it's absolute genius it's someone we know i'm pretty sure on someone that we know it looks so good and it's it's been handmade it just oh no is it um christopher real is it it's him, you know, our friend, our lovely friend, him and his uh, other half, who always come to our booth and uh, tap us up at Celebration. And also the man who was very famous for doing the best ever Tuscan Raider impression. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rich, anything you've seen? Yeah, there's loads and loads of nice swag. Um, poker chip seems to be popular this year, but I'm going to highlight David Dean's. He's got two different card backs. So number one has R5D4 sticker, but he has a coin on there, so it's made up to look like a Power of the Force um, card back, which obviously R5D4 never appeared. And he also has a second one, which has a green circle logo on with R5D4 with the sticker. So both of them are really, really nice. So I'm going to have to hunt down David and do a uh, swag to it. Yeah, definitely. Right up your street. And Jez, you must have seen some stuff, because you're always on the net. 
<laughs> do you know what i've just been accepted to some more swag groups today and because uh, there are a few aren't there there's a couple and it's probably a good idea mate just for you to mention the names of some of these swag groups in particular but i did see thorsten sith put on swag proud to announce this year's swag which a fellow collector and i've created as we're germans it has to be something linked to german collectibles and he's put on this great photograph of what they've got which i'm going to read it just uh what he's put in his post we'll disseminate a total of eight different buttons two per day and a unique folder to put them on display almost all pictured figures are prototypes which were shown in early german promotional catalog from 1979 the run is limited to 50 complete sets so find us trade with us and enjoy celebration swag time and and the images of these buttons of these um, badges buttons are, are straight off the back of uh, the card bag or as he says German promotional catalogs and uh, and they look great but there are so many clever play on words I did see because of the bean the very very sort of famous piece of artwork in Chicago there's uh, a Yoda themed Chicago patch which just says bean there done that. And that's really, really clever. And uh, that was on the Celebration Chicago 2019 patch pin and swag group. Try saying that when you've had a skin before. Jez, that thing that you just mentioned there about Torsten, is that yeah. not the thing that we've talked about a few times where it has like the bug eye Death Star droid and the, the yeah. square-shaped R5-D4? Yeah, they've focused on on some creatures in particular. But yes, that is it, mate. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll try and get an image and I'll, I'll definitely share that. So uh, that yeah. was impressive. And uh, yeah, good work, Thorsten. Yeah, I saw that. It's absolutely fantastic. It would be a shame to break it up, but I do just want the R5-D4 because it looks so nice, but it would be a shame to destroy a set. Somebody's yeah. going to be going home with a 49 set crying their eyes out. <laughs> do you know what? One of the best uh, best groups I've, I've come across for, for swag is the SWC Swag Crew. If you type that in, there's it's got over a couple of thousand members. So there's plenty of stuff going on on there at the moment, but there is just some amazing pieces. Everyone, you know, so creative and so much effort and time and thought gone into so much swag, you know. And it's it's just for what it really is. People giving it away, and I'm just amazed by it. There, obviously, some of the Star Wars Forum UK group have got some great swag, hasn't been properly announced yet, so I, I don't want to uh, mention that too much, but. Justin Haney has got a, um, a bag of sand with a, a black comb sticking out of it with like a random bit of cardboard at the top. I don't like sand with Anakin's face kind of in a... He looks like he's on the toilet, but great piece of swag. Just random. And I'm just, I'm just looking at it all at the moment. There's cl- there's clothes pegs. There's milk cartons. There's um, bags, you know. People have made swag bags. Uh, Amy um, schoberg has got... A bagger swag, so she's got like bagger from the Ewoks cartoon um, on hers, being an Ewoks fan, and um, so so much good stuff. It really it really is it amazes me that so many people spend so much money and to produce something like this. It just blows my mind. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, there's your Akbar mousetrap. It is Christopher Roll. Good, good point, Pete. C three PO head Christmas decoration. Um, BB eight bow ties. It's just so much of it it's brilliant sorry boys just getting excited by watching all the um... dude you said um swc uh, sorry the swc swag crew i just want to say the guy who runs that brett isaacs is a legend he he's been such 
a ray of light in the Star Wars community. I don't think he listens to this podcast. I don't think he's he's a vintage collector per se, but he he is he's just been so up for so many things, organising various different bits and pieces in Orlando as well. And he was one of the guys who really dug deep and tried to help out uh, to get me a treadmill for Orlando. And I'd be forever grateful for that. And uh, no, so he's been a massive supporter of a lot of community projects. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to uh, publicly say thanks once again to Brett, even though he's not going to be listening to this, I'm sure. So artists, let's go on to some of the art. All the art's been um, announced. And Jez, I've given you this job. And then we'll go on to see if any of us have ordered any of the images. So, Jez, can you give us a kind of overview of the best of the art? Yeah, the the Star Wars art area is definitely an area which people should look at. Now, there are 18 pieces which should appeal to a broad taste of Star Wars fans, be it sort of original trilogy, prequels, or even the new era. So there, there is something from everyone. And from experience of going to these in the past, there's always plenty of extra art pieces that get displayed which weren't on the original pre-order. So don't for a second think you've seen it all if you've already checked out the pre-orders, which just came out a few weeks ago. The pre-orders have now closed. So if those pieces have sold out, you might think that you're out of luck. But I've got some good news on that as well. But 18 primary pieces, and they're priced from $40 to 125 so that that's you know not too bad. There were some I was like, oh yeah, that's very nice. Um, the two which I knew definitely sold out, and one was Cantina by Jason Christman. Now I know that there was a lot of interest in this within our little community, within our little group, but quite quickly that one sold out. I think sold out within about thirty six hours or so. Now this is a thirty six inch by twelve inch piece, and they had two hundred and fifty of those available online. The good news is. There are going to be 50 of these available on the uh, on the on the uh, on the desk of the artist at the the actual um, the art area. So it's not over. So there's going to be a frantic rush, I'm sure, of people getting there on the first day to get the last of the cantinas. And that's Jason Kreisman. That's fantastic. And that was sixty dollars. And then there was another one which was really really quite nice, quite moving. It was entitled "No One Has Ever Gone" by Karen Hallian. And that was a, a moment between Luke and Leah at the end of The Force of, uh, the Last Jedi. That one again, $60, and this time it was 16 by 20 inch. So more, rather than it being a, um, a landscape, this one's more of a portrait orientation. And it's a really, really lovely drawing, um, which has got some really great detail in, which I only noticed on a sort of second, third, fourth viewing. So, so that's great. There are a few others. If you want me to, uh, if you want me to go on, then this is the thing. People have put their heart and soul into these, and there there are some great ones. I liked, and I think this is Pete's cup of tea as well. There's one called Thirty Seconds Over Tatooine, which is a, a sort of um, World War II propaganda style one of Leah with R2D2, and it's all about communication, sort of that old loose lips sink ships sort of thing. So that was really good. But what, something which I noticed earlier on when I was looking at on my computer as opposed to on my iPhone is one called The Ill-Starred Love by Zoltan Simon. And I just assumed at first look this was a side profile of Natalie Portman as Padme. But when I looked closer and I looked at it on a large screen that I saw her beautiful face was surrounded by something else. And it was Vader. 
and it's been really cleverly done in the subtext next to the title is the good in him so actually it's vader but with natalie portman inside and uh, and i'll just read very quickly a piece which zoltan simon has written the idea of this image came into my mind when i was standing in a beautiful garden at lake como last september at the shooting location of the wedding scene from attack of the clones the picture catches the dark and inevitable future in a beautiful and happy moment darth vader's mask building up like a cracked glass coffin around Padme's face. From the opposite point of view, if we try to see through Vader's mask, we can see the love and good in him, the good that never left him. It's beautiful words, which I've just, you know, tripped up on. But it's it's a great image, and um, it's something which, yeah, I urge you guys just to take a second look at that, because on the first look, you might have just thought it was an image of Padme. There are other ones, and... Uh, so if you uh, if you want to view this now, you can go to links direct through the Celebration website or Dark Ink. If you Google Dark Ink Star Wars imagery, I'm sure you'll get them there. But there's, um, yeah, at the very least, there's going to be 18 beautiful pictures, something for everyone. Yeah, totally agree, mate. And uh, have you ordered any yourself? Yeah, so I was one of the lucky ones who got the Cantina. I really, really like that. And I had... Not just because I've got the entire entire back catalogue so far, but I also like the Mandalorian, which was the Malcolm Tween one. So uh, Malcolm Tween is a is a favourite of ours. You know, he's he's produced swag for us in the past at Star Wars Celebration London. If you remember, he did our Tie Fighter pilot postcard. But he does some great images on nineteen by thirteen landscape and this one is mandalorian i think this one could be very very popular particularly if there's some mandalorian type trailers or who knows what but it's a, it's a great image which is uh, quite clearly got the rear of what appears to be boba fett what looks to be tatooine and what is most definitely millennium falcon flying overhead and it's a, it's a really really great image which i think will go beautifully with all of the other tween images which i have just, so two for me just uh, just um, explain it because i mean i i find it really confusing i that image is a nice image but um i find it confusing because robert fett wasn't a mandalorian at all mm. he was some bloke <laughs> some clone um so that is clearly boba fett going well we, we have to assume that's him after the, after the Sarnat pit, he's got up up and out of there, and he's watching the Falcon take off after the uh, the sandstorm scene. But why the Mandalorian, Jez? What's your take on it? Mm. Why 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 is it called the Mandalorian? Yeah. Or why is he why designed? Is it called the Mandalorian? Because remember, he you know, he always does his kind of like off off screen images, and uh, that's clearly an off screen image. So we have to so, like I said, we have to assume Boba Fett has just got out of the Sarnak. And he's watching the Falcon leave the, after the sandstorm to say, ha ha, I'm not dead. But why is it called the Mandalorian? Because he is not a Mandalorian, is he? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's Mandalorian armor that he wears. There's no denying that. Um, it, the, the whole point of it being called Mandalorian is nothing to do with the TV show at all. It was kind of meant initially to be either a pre-Tatooine spine mission or a post-Sarlacc escape, potentially. Who knows what, but it's a, it's a great image. And uh, and maybe that's a good thing about this one. It leaves a lot to the imagination. Now, all of his his other artwork, which you've done, is not being necessary or not at all taken directly from a particular scene in a the movie. The, these are just almost stills from what's going on in the story, but not a direct representation of something you see in the movie. So, you know, one of the first ones which got my um, 
attention was the recon team endor one which was return of a jedi where you actually saw two uh atats and a couple of scout walkers and a biker scout obviously doing some sort of reconnaissance mission through endor and that wouldn't have featured in the film but a very very popular sold out piece of art to do with return of a jedi you know he had another one called exit echo base which was again another falcon but just burning away from echo base with a couple of x-wings in the background over hoth again that, that looks great but that's that's the assumption based on that but just titling it mandalorian it just leaves a lot to the imagination unanswered questions pete you're right yes joe i think it's worth mentioning a couple of others uh one what really takes my my eye is the uh the but it was just too expensive to buy it was 125 dollars it was the the hopeful which uh, is kind oh of like God, uh, yeah. in the style of the uh hildebrandt kind of imagery um but Leia's looking very saucy um in front of luke um he's kind of holding his lightsaber more naturally in the sort of the film cut but that was quite nice uh but i think he's Jerry. done vader really really well in that image yeah i mean a really the whole thing, looking vader yeah the whole thing's been i would say it's more of a film cut rather than a um you know sort of like the things you see in the film apart from Leia, which is that's a completely weird image but everyone else looks like they've been lifted from from moments in the film so it's really really that's Jerry Vanderstelt, which I thought was was a, a fantastic image, but it's just uh, a little bit too pricey, maybe. If I've got cash left, there's any left. Um, I think you, you all mentioned the Karen Hallian one. I've got uh, other ones of her work previously. She always does a really, really good sort of um, almost graphic art more than anything else. Um, I, I would definitely go recommend checking her stall out if you get a chance to go to the art area because her stuff's really sort of iconic my mom's actually got a piece above her mantelpiece that i got which was the the layer of padme one which is beautiful um another one which which i would have probably gone for but it didn't quite have enough energy in the image which was maelstrom by brandon kenny which is uh from the last jedi which is my favorite scene of last jedi which is the the fight scene with uh when ray and kylo meet up and have a big old ding dong with the Praetorian guards, but um, didn't quite have the, the energy as the, as the film uh, real had, but it's still a nice piece. But uh, yeah, some of the, I mean, there are some really nice pieces. Um, have you pre-ordered anything, Pete? No, I haven't. I, I was, uh, the two I mentioned are kind of, I was really tempted. I just thought, oh, I've got so many posters and tubes. I didn't want to buy another poster and leave on a tube. So no, I, 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 I might still buy something there. I mean, I think, um, I don't think many sold out, did they? So, I think only two or three actually sold out, so I think they all have a few left over. Which surprised me. Really. Think of how many people are going to the to celebration, and only a couple of the post the pre ordered art sold out. I was quite surprised by that actually. What about you, Rich? Did you order any of these? Anything up your kind of street? Nah, I'm the least artistic person on the planet. Um, I'm very star destroyers are beautiful. You know, white walls, very very sharp angles, clean corridors, things like that. I had a flick through them. Maybe the Jerry Vanderselt one that Pete mentioned, The Call of Destiny, is the one that if somebody said I had to get one, um, or if I'd won something in a competition, I could choose one, that would be the one. But there's, there's too many. I'm not a fan of all these Ahsoka ones and, you know, a lot of these ones from Rebels. They just, yeah, just don't do anything for me at all. Yeah, I suppose that's not really your area of... I know you like them all, but your fandom's very OT, isn't it? It's a bit... I've ordered the the Cantina. But I'm also I'm I'm tempted. I, I really like the hopeful. I'd be tempted with that one. I really like the um, thirty seconds over Tatooine, which Jez already mentioned. Um, and I'd quite happily buy the um, Brian DeGuer, the celebrating twenty years of pod racing, because that would go lovely in my episode one corner, um, which is currently in boxes. But hey, 
some lovely, lovely stuff. I don't think any of us can disagree on that. Some brilliant, very talented people. May I say also that it, I don't know. We may well find some Mark Daniel stuff there. I'm sure in the past, in addition to the thing, you know, I said that there's always extra artwork on, on show. Uh, you know, keep an eye out for other people's stuff because, um, yeah, it's, there is something for everyone. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited for it. It's good. And, and less of a price of a carded figure. You get some lovely artwork and uh, signed by the artist who's put his heart and soul into it. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, what about some expectations, boys? Are we expecting a title before the show? Are we expecting a trailer at the show? Are we ex- what kind of panels are we expecting? I know that there's been an episode nine panel announced for Friday morning, I think it was. What other what other things you were excited about with regards to that kind of reveals? I think they'll do. Um, I, well, I, I would assume would have the big the big major panel of I was episode nine on the Friday. I would think Saturday. We I wouldn't be surprised if they had. It's either going to be the the Clone Wars series um, big panel or the Mandalorian panel. I mean, they're, they're, I think all these will lead the morning panels. I think. I mean, they're bound to have Mandalorian stuff. I mean, it's not it's not that far. I think it's going to be released at the end of this year, isn't it? So maybe just before Episode Nine. So I'll be staggered if we don't get something there. And uh, you know, and maybe some announcements about further TV shows. But um, it seems that the animation panels are the, the big thing. I mean, we've just come to the end of Star Wars Resistance, um, and that seems to have picked up a lot of momentum. So I think they, I wouldn't be surprised to see if they had uh, a season two sneak peek of some sort or announcement there. But yeah, I, I, I mean, it seems like because they've got the five days, they'll have four days of uh, morning panels. We've already got the episode one panel, haven't we, on the Monday? Which I think would be quite fun, and we should see some. I think we should see some big names. I hope on that panel. I remember when you know I went and and saw the trailer live, saw the show. I remember the feeling when BBA rolled out, and everyone was like, "Oh my word, that thing's real!" Uh, and the just the excitement and the build up, and you had um, the the two DJ guys there doing it all. What's his name? Mark Daniel and. Um, there's uh, one other DJ dude uh, and uh, it was one of the reasons I went to celebration just to have that feeling which I had for the entire visit of Essen when it was just wow this is amazing just let us Star Wars nerds together you know I'm, I'm in the hotel for a whole week maybe to give up the opportunity to get the opportunity to, to be in the main hall um, I don't know I don't know it is it is a, an, an electric atmosphere. I mean, when, it when really I saw is. when we saw, oh, I can't remember what it was now. It was one of the animated shows. Whether it was Clone Wars, the last season. I think, yeah, it was. It was like one of the, the when Captain Rex was announced in Clone Wars. Yeah, I was in that panel. The place went nuts. I mean, there were people going mad. I mean, they were yeah. running into the aisles, you know, banging their head, going, "I can't believe Captain Rex." I mean, for me, it was like, "Oh yeah, I mean, it's, it looks like a fun show." But I wasn't quite as into it as some of the people. But you know, it was just the fact that, that the place erupted in like yeah. a football crowd, and you went, "Oh!" Well. And of course, then we had the, the 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 Force Awakens panel. That was more everyone was expecting something special, and uh, the place did. It, it wasn't quite as bonkers as that Clone Wars panel, but it was pretty pretty good. You know, the, the reaction was like, "Come on, let's have this trailer." And of course, we got an yeah. hour of introductions of the cast, which was which was nice. Like I said the BB was fun, but. When, when that trailer hit, and of course the Han and Chewie, you had to be that kind of thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, what about a title? Now, I noticed on Friday, I think it was, Reddit leaked 
what could have been a potential title in, I think it, I, I said it was the only hope. Now, that's not being confirmed anywhere. Kind of makes sense. What do you think? Do you do you think that's a, a legit title? Do we feel surely the title is going to be announced before before celebration because of surely they've got merchandise with that title on that they want to be moving? Yeah, you think that it would be leaked, wouldn't it? I mean, if they got a bunch of T-shirts sitting there, someone, someone somewhere, unless it's all packed in boxes and all kept quiet, someone somewhere between the design, the production, the distribution is going to going to open a box or something and say, oh look. That's a that's the title. So, I I would think we'd get it maybe the week leading up to it. I don't know. I'd be I'd, I'd be amazed if they held on to the title that long. And it would be a shame if it was sport before you got there, wouldn't it? So, you know, it was going, going to all be the, be the big announcement, and then someone sport it, and everyone goes, yeah, we know what it is, we know what it is. So the tra- I think I mean I think the trailer's enough. Just having a little teaser trailer will be enough. I think I think that that that's fine. Doing the title is not for me not not a big. I wouldn't cheer a title. But if it's, the, if it's the only hope, I think that's really poor, personally. You know, you said that no one really likes spoilers and stuff. Well, have we just done exactly that? Because I had never heard of that title until Stu just said it. Now I'm like, oh, right. That's There's no way it's the only hope. No way. What? <laughs> just no, it's just not going to be that. It's just it's just not a, it's not a Star Wars title. The only, the know, only hope works. sounds a bit like, so, oh, it's only a, it's only a banana. No, but it works. Just... When, you, when you couple the three titles together... The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, The Only Hope. It's like a sentence. That doesn't go at all. Yeah, it does. It's like, oh. hey, we've just awoken The Last Jedi. Who is our only hope? The Last Jedi being Ray. I mean, it's just, just a thought, just an observation. You know, I'm just saying, it could work. I so I wish I hadn't heard a it. Lot more, a lot more epic than that, I think. <laughs> but when you, say, when you say, have we just given away a spoiler though, Jez? You wish you hadn't heard it, what, right? But in a week's time, you'll read it on the internet and it'll just be at that. I don't know what, what that's spoiling. It's not like I've just given you the plot of the film. And I don't get how that's how that's ruined anything, because all you're going to do is ruined read it. it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I can't think. Yeah, right. We have had more guest announcements since the last podcast. I think some of these have been around for a little while now, but... Uh, we've seen Billy D. Williams and Forrest Whitaker's there. Trying to think now. Paul Bettany's been announced. Riz Ahmed. Some of these might have been already announced. Uh, Annabelle Davis from The Force Awakens. Uh, Bobby Moynihan. I know that uh, Pete is after that one. Who? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I'm trying to think who Tamora else. Tamora Morrison. Come on. Yeah, yep, her as well. Um <laughs> her. Uh, Greg Poops is there, Fode from The Phantom Menace. Hugh Quash has been announced, as obviously ready for the um, episode one panel, Captain Panaka. Um, what else have we had? I'm just tr- on stage. Warwick. Uh, Warwick Davis is signing, yes, of course. That is very, very true. Katie Sackoff, who Pete is getting, and K- Katie Cartwheel was another one that Pete is interested in getting. Who? Um, she was Rio Durant in Solo, Pete, oh, as you yeah, well uh, know. Yeah. I'm trying to see who else there was. Ahmed Best. Yeah, Ahmed I was just Best. going to come to that. Penny McCarthy, um, who is the horny devil in, uh, in the cantina. But yeah, I just wanted to say, Ahmed Best. Four of us have booked a a group of photo with him. Uh, Pete, why have we chosen Ahmed Best for a squad photo? Well, obviously, because we're all massive Jar Jar Binks fans, clearly. 
I mean, that that poor guy, you know, he's been ridiculed by the likes of Jez, the likes of Rich, and I like, hating the episode one film. No, um, I, you know, I, I just think it kind of sums it up. I think I think this will be the celebration of uh, Phantom Menace, obviously it's 20 years um, anniversary. And I think he deserves a bit of love, to be fair. I think, um, and, you know, I'm not going to pretend that, that, you know, Jar Jar Binks was the most irritating character of all time from Star Wars, but it doesn't mean to say I don't love him. So, you know, as much as Judge Binks gets ridiculed, there is a kind of like a, I don't know, a kind of fun, fun stupidity about the whole thing. But um, as we've seen recently with people, they just can't just move on. If you don't like something, move on, get your life sorted out. You don't need to drive him to suicide. I mean, he has contemplated suicide, we found out recently, because... I think he put so much investment into the character of Jar Jar Binks. Whenever he saw someone criticise the character, he took it very, very personally, and that really, really stuck with him. You don't realise that a creative sometimes cannot leave their artwork alone. And, uh, you know, he he took that role. I mean, it was an enormous role, really. It was groundbreaking in special effects. Um, he did, you know, I mean, I, mean, I think one stage they, they changed the whole setup of how they were going to do him and uh, sort of reverted to, you know, rather than do a lot of kind of... Um, um, overlay of computer graphics. They, they did a lot of motion capture and stuff. So they really did sort of take the industry forward in those sort of terms. But yeah, I mean, people just don't like it. Like him, just didn't leave it. And uh, the poor guy, you know, was stuck. I think I think this should be his celebration. It'd be nice to see like a Jake, some like Jake Lloyd turn up as well, because he also suffered a similar kind of fate of going into bouts of depression because people just couldn't leave it alone. Had to say something to him every time they saw him. And uh, you know, he hasn't had a hasn't had a massive career um, in film or anything. So you know, he has, has been he has been stunted by that that episode. And I think I think I don't know. I just I just think it's it's something which we we owe him really. You know, like I said, he might not be a favourite Star Wars character, but. He has he has kind of redefined <laughs> the modern Star Wars era. Oh, I love him. But, I mean, you do. You you've got a massive um, Jar Jar Binks collection, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, on and off. <laughs> I'm, I I can't wait to meet him. I am definitely going to find a Jar Jar hat <laughs> on the show floor to wear to that photo shoot because um, it's going to be awesome. I cannot wait for that moment. I think all, I'm I think so excited. All buy a t-shirt or or something. Or something, because I mean, we used to, they used to do those kind of like uh, those cheapy kind of cardboard hats that we each other likes. You know, they kind of divide as you put them on your head. I mean, we should better find one of those. I'm hoping um, for some kind of like yeah, soft hat. I think he's, with long ears. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure there'll be something like that. Get one oh, made really? for you. But I think in terms of all the, all the autographs and stuff, it's important to say that um, there's a really good spread of all the stuff. So you've got some original trilogy stuff. You've got the animated series kind of bits and bobs. You've got creators, you've got, you know, voice actors, a lot of voice actors. Um, sadly, obviously, a lot of the original trilogy actors are um, far, either too old or passing away. So there's not a lot of them, but there's so many people coming. And there's also team ups. So you, you can do your, your autograph. So you get a picture, you get your picture and an autograph, obviously. And then you can do your photo op, which I'm definitely doing. Okay, sack off my... That's it. Um, Rich, <laughs> just before I, um, I start to close out celebration, Rich, are we expecting more announcements? I am led to believe that they are still working on uh, one or two bigger guests. Um, I believe there's problems with the agents fees and various other things. Um, I do think, I mean, it's just like every celebration. I mean, I'm sick of hearing people complaining. I think on the celebration 2019 page, there must be 30 people a day posting. Has anyone got the tickets yet? Has anyone got the tickets yet? It's like this every single year. Um, and then people are saying, well, 
oh, well, what's happening on Thursday, what's happening on Friday, what's happening on Saturday. You, you'll find out the week before, because that's how we pop operated for every celebration, you know, that we've been to. You know nothing until just beforehand. Um, think back to last year when Hamill was announced, like, you know, the, the few days to go, and, you know, they, they keep everything back to the last moment. So, yes, there will be some more guests. Um, you know, there's none, I mean, I don't pay for autographs anyway, I just don't, I don't see it, I don't, I don't get the whole autograph thing. Um, I can understand going to meet somebody and then getting a signature as a memento, but paying somebody a hundred quid for a signature, nah. I love you. Um, right, so one, one quick final question to you all. What one thing will you definitely be targeting on buying whilst out there? Something that you've really got your heart set on, that you, if you see it on that floor at the right price... There's no going to be no hesitation, and I don't care if it's modern. I don't care if it's uh, Christmas decoration. I don't care if um, Jez is saying I want a Chicago fake tan while I'm out there. Let's see what you've all got, so Jez. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I want something beyond the toys. It room sales, which re- I don't know what it is yet. That's just a thing. Yeah. Something beyond the toys room sales, which I never thought I'd see come in which is just takes my imagination. I'm like, yes, I'll take that. Yeah, it's a good shout because it's a give you that memory of Chicago. PD Weedy. Oh, well, there's two, there's two different things I've got. I'm jumping on straight, straight away and I should better get them. If I don't, I'll be really upset. Uh, one is the, is a modern item, which is a, the Praetorian guard six inch black series without, with a different weapon. Cause they've been really hard to find over here, but there are other versions of those figures. I've got now what one, two, three, four, four. I've got five Praetorians in my little display with my Ray and Kylo. So I need a few more, but I'm hoping to get out. But the other thing is, is a vintage item. Um, the micro collection, um, best spin freeze chamber set opened and used if not, but just make sure it's all complete and all there. That's what I'm after. Shouldn't be too expensive. There is one on eBay watch at the moment, but the guy's being silly. Um, it's not great condition, but that's what I'm after. And, and normally it's good for micro collection over there. It's just a bit of a bugger sometimes to get those square boxes back in your suitcase. But yeah, definitely should should be achievable. That I think. I'm quite, I quite I like that, Pete, because I can remember having this conversation before Anaheim, and you're going out there to find a micro collection item. I can remember Orlando, and me saying to you in the this this part of the chat. Are you still looking for micro collection? No, I've lost interest in that. <laughs> and then we've come back to a American one, well, and you've gone full circle again, back to well, micro collection. I, I, bought, I like it. I've bought a micro collection one every single time I've been there. I've always got a nice cheapy one, which has been opened. The boxes are always not brilliant, but you see, I, I, you know, and, and that satisfied that micro collection thing. But then, then I started a very small mini focus of Bespin freeze chambers. So I've got three Bespin freeze chambers and a Lego. Um, one, I've got the Power of Power of the Jedi one, which is absolutely outstanding. I've got a Micro Machines one, and this will complete those sets. So I must have it. I would like the book, Gus Lopez's um, Micro Collection book, if anyone sees it out there. Keep yeah. It in mind. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to add that to my list. Yeah. Oh, bugger. Uh, Rich? Um, I'm pretty easy, actually. Um, perhaps either a Trilogo Imperial Gunner or a Trilogo Luke Stormtrooper. Um, there's some that are on sale on eBay that I see quite regularly, but they're just ridiculously overpriced. So I'm looking for something about half the price that those are being listed for. Um, maybe an A12 back. I don't know. Pretty easy. I'm pretty easy as well, actually. I I would love to bring a piece of Sigma back, preferably the next Rebo uh, music box. But um, I'm just going to enjoy it and see what pops up and what takes my fancy. I'm just going to bring something back. But the uh, the Sigma 
Sigma money, the Sigma money box, the Sigma music box would be would be my um. I would I would be delighted delighted with that. And hang on, Stuart, let's not Rich, let's Rich. I want you to name something really determinedly name something so we can help you. Um, oh, you see the things that I'm starting to want now are, are, are running into the four figures, and I'm not going to pick anything like that up over there. It's not the right place. Right, okay. If, if I had to nail me master on something, a try logo. Luke Stormtrooper for about two hundred dollars. Oh, you haven't got a hope in house chance. Well, I don't know. You do, you, I'd say what's you? you. I mean, you're not been to the American ones, and you do get some decent prices on some of those car bucks, you know, especially on the on the floor sometimes. Try logo um, Luke Stormy for two hundred dollars, no, no, which is that. But <laughs> but you do you do get some people who do some, take a ton of stuff along, and you can bargain them down over the days. I tell you. I mean, yeah, they're going to. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Well, if Rich, you find you find one for under two hundred dollars, I might even treat you to it because you, you won't find it. Uh, I didn't see it under. No, I didn't see it under two hundred dollars. You, know what you said no, no more than two hundred dollars. That's not what me. I said either. I said two hundred dollars, not under. So it's got to be bound two hundred dollars. <laughs> That's going to be even a tougher challenge. You're giving yourself no leeway. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, it's going to be fun. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to make the video. I can't wait to get little snippet interviews with you constantly. Um, I can't wait to play Pete's little challenge game on the Thursday. I can't wait to go to the basketball with you boys on the Tuesday. We're going to have such a laugh. There's one. Set for stun. She'll be all right. Lord Vader, we have a prisoner. Okay, let's go back over to Jez after his nine-month sabbatical of not doing anything. He's in charge of the quiz this month. Brilliant. Back in the seat, Jez. Back in the seat. In charge of the quiz and the point allocation. No weapons. You will not need them. Welcome to this episode. Inspired by a recent post by Darren Simpson, actually, on Echo Base USA. So very recently, Darren puts on a blaster, kind of blaster which you have some batteries in and you could play with as a kid. It's the uh, blaster in packaging, but this is a very unique one. I'm not going to go into the detail too much of it because we're hoping to have Darren on not long after celebration to discuss this and some other items. However, it did make me think of blasters. Blasters are fundamentally important to the Star Wars franchise and to Star Wars collecting. Now, I'm going to take you guys back now, and we are going to have a quiz based on the blasters of Star Wars and Star Wars collecting. Welcome to Blast Points. Right, lads, this quiz, no surfing, right? No surfing online. Can I all, can you absolutely hand on heart now swear that there's no cheating going on? Rich. Yeah. Pete. Shame is green if you want. 
no well it's fine and i don't want anyone <laughs> picking up car backs and looking at car backs or anything like that this is just based on knowledge right this is from the original kenner star wars to power the force line just so you not... do know Stuart's sitting in his uh, in his room yeah. full of star wars Stu, <laughs> you can just close your eyes Stu, right close your eyes don't cheat because you'll know that you've cheated i still think you'll do well i don't right. i think i'll come last at a blaster quiz right but, well, and i won't i won't cheat because i can look at them and i still can tell you what they are <laughs> so don't panic <laughs> right so as i was saying star wars to the power of the force line i'm not so worried at this stage unless i say otherwise of leddy or droids line or anything else right all the following questions are based on blasters and what i mean is weapons that fire blaster or plasma bolts right so not ewok bows or staffs so blasters but that does include rifles I'd like to give thanks as ever to the Imperial Gunnery and Rebel Scum for providing such great resources of information. However, lads, you know, I've gone to these sites, I've checked some of my information, but as vintage Star Wars collectors and people who think they know enough to be on a Star Wars collecting podcast, you should all know this stuff. So I'm expecting maximum points. right question one <laughs> right then indeed right there you are pete so what we're going to do is there's going to be some questions where you're going to need to shout out the uh you know pete steve whatever right we're not going to do any silly sort of you know creature sounds or anything like that so richard can you just practice now your best blaster sound pew pew brilliant Pew pew. Okay, Peter, yours please. Oh, that's a good one. Stuart. You got a silencer on that one. <laughs> Does it have to be a bastard? Can I go? Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's brilliant because that takes me back to the childhood. Yeah, yeah, so that's all good, right? So you've got your blaster sounds and that is what i'm going to react to and hopefully it's not going to pick on my brain too much that i just hear like i'm in the middle of some sort of war zone and i don't know who's gone first all right so let's let's just roll with it and we'll just if it doesn't work we'll change it it's all good all right it's fine all right man load your weapon stop that ship blast So question one, there are, some of the answers to this are going to be worth two points and some of the answers can be worth one point. And <coughs> what we're going to do with this one, and we're just going to go from, as I've got it written on my piece of paper, we'll go from left to right. OK, so what figures from the original line have a blaster weapon that is specific to them? Two points for one which is specific to them, one point if it has a special colour <laughs> to an otherwise available weapon. <laughs> right. First of all, we're going to go to Peter. Uh, oh, OK. I thought we were calling up. No, not on, this, not on this one. I'm going to go okay. from one to the other. So a specific blast themselves. Um, I'm assuming Chewbacca is a... a Chewbacca, one. yes. Well done. You have two points. Right. Yes, I'm not on north. Yes. Um, I'm going to say fall on. Fall on. Well done, Stuart. Two points. 
Richard. Baker Scout. Biker Scout. Well done, Richard. Two points. Peter. The um, the Mr. Greeny, that rebel commandery kind of bloke. Rebel commandery kind of bloke. Brilliant. Peter. Yes. <laughs> two more points. Wait, your last two possibly. Stuart. Yes. Uh, prune face. Prune face. Well done with his rifle. Lovely. Richard. Pelcor pilot. Ooh. Ooh, is it? Uh, uh, no. Nope. Oh, nine num. So, mm, 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 I'm not going to give away anything at the moment with regards to the cloud car pilot who might also share a weapon with TIE fighter pilot. Um, right, was Richard and uh, Peter. Uh, you said it's got to be a blaster, yeah? Blaster or rifle? Oh, anything God, which fires? Um, I'm trying to think if it is. Um, is Reese? Is that a blaster? Reese, yes, that is a blaster rifle. Reese rifle, well done. You are currently in the lead. It's not a club. I thought thought it was a hitting stick. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, No, Reese is is definitely a rifle. Cool. Um, It's my go. I I went with Fallom, so I'm going to go with Zuckus. Yes, well done. Yeah, Zuckus has definitely got his own. And Richard, go for it. Somebody with their own. Yeah. Um, I'm struggling. Uh, I'll go nine num this time. Oh, right. I'm going to give you one point for that because nine num has the black pilot blaster. So as you said earlier on, the grey pilot blaster goes to a tie fighter pilot, and also who did you say? Cloud, uh, car. T- cloud car pilot. You said yeah. So there we go. So that was the one point. Right. Back to Peter. Well, if you go on colour, then Princess Leia has a unique black blaster because her other figures have blue ones not according to the imperial gunnery mate what? Um, so her from memory i think i think the black was with uh leah organa and also um bespin i think not, yeah not so. my, not my, not my world all right well you know we'll, we'll come back to that you know if we get any feedback but that, i'm sure that's what i took um from the imperial gunnery mate so uh, yeah go for there are still one two three four five I think I might have unique a weapons it's very surprising Stuart. Yeah, i'm gonna go with jawa jawa of course don't shoot don't shoot this never end. Yeah. Stuart, you have taken the lead. Rich. Uh, oh, I, I'm really struggling here. Um, I, I, I'm, so if they've got, say, for example, I said a colour, but there's two of them with the same colour, that, that would be a no point, I would it? That's correct, yeah. It's oh. not a specific extra one to them. Mm, that's going to be tough then. Um, oh. I can't think of any more. Uh, with somebody like does no, because he has a stormtrooper. I'm going to go over the Hoth stormtrooper. I don't know. No, no, because the uh, the Hoth stormtrooper shares his with Dengar. 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 Yeah. Okay, Peter, can I come back to you? <coughs> oh, so um, I'm trying to think of rifles. Um, does uh, Hoth Luke have a one? Have a one. No, Hoth Luke does have, from memory, it's the Hoth rifle, rifle which he shares with Rebel Commander. Uh, so, uh, no, nothing there. 
I'm glad we've Rich went with that for a minute because my next answer was going to be Dengar. So I'm quite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. thanks, thanks for that, Rich. Um, cool. I'm going to give you a clue: three from the Empire Strikes Back range and one from Return of a Jedi. Three from the Empire Strikes Back. I'm going to say. <laughs> Attack driver. Perfect. Well done. Attack driver has got a very unique hilt to its to its rifle, so definitely different to uh, what you'd find on Luke Hoth and the Rebel Commander. Target maximum firepower. What is it? So there's two more from Empire and one from Jedi, is there? Yes. Oh, I'm torn between two. Um, I'm going to go with... Is a Lando General? No. no. So the Lando General, he has a special... I think they call it the Palace Blaster. Yeah. But that's a Black Palace Blaster, which is also shared by Luke Poncho. Oh, yeah, of course. You can tell I've been doing my work. I thought, one was, I thought yeah. one was black and one was grey. Oh. That's why I went with Lando General. I don't think... One comes with the black one and one comes with the grey one. Two come with black, one comes with grey. I'm not giving you the title of the grey one. Right. Uh, Moving on to Peter. I don't know if this is a if this is a gun, but Leah Bush has got a big gun looking <gasps> thing. Yes. It's a rifle. Absolutely. Well done. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 the Bush um rifle. So well done, Pete. That. that was gonna be my next guest, Pete, but I was convinced it was gonna be a staff and I was gonna be wrong. Right, so, um, so I'm going to come to the end of... Uh, I'm going to give Stuart one more chance and Richard one more chance, and then we will declare this one done and we'll move on to the next question. Right, well, you've already said that there must be... Remaining ones must be... Um, must be Empire. So yes. I'm just going to pick one out. I'm pretty sure it's not. I am going to go with Leahoth. I'm afraid not. No, nah, I didn't think so. I can't think of anything. Okay, I'm going to go Richard. with... Bosk. Well done. Yeah, Bosk has got a very distinctive rifle, Bluster rifle, which goes as you as you know. The handle to this is right at the end, and it goes up his arm, doesn't it? So really, really unusual. Right. And, uh, it's yeah. one of the um. It's the last one. IG88. Yes, mate. That's it. Boom. <laughs> Unfortunately. No, so what you had, IG88 has got a definite rifle of his own, but on the other hand, he also has the regular Imperial mm-hmm. Blaster. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Dengar actually has the Imperial Stormtrooper rifle. So yeah, great round there, guys. Um, some good scoring all round. And the additional one-pointers that you know no one went for because everyone was really going for the two, Black Imperial Blaster, Luke Stormtrooper. Black Rebel Blaster, hand trench coat. Hey, it's me. Grey Palace Blaster is Luke Jedi Knight, and Grey Bespin Blaster is Squid Head. So all of those were unique colours of an otherwise not unique weapon. So 12 of our main production line have all got their own unique weapon. And it surprised me to see that some of those weapons, you know, they're, they're not expensive even though they only came out with one specific figure. Um, interesting fact, there were also Takara and Top Toys Imperial Blasters, which was specific for the Stormtrooper. You guys will be aware of that. You know, the, you've seen the uh, the Top Toys one. It's got a definitely distinctive Stormtrooper Blaster. 
Pokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side. Okay, moving on to question two. For one point, now this is pure guesswork here, but I'll allow all of you to shout out what blaster currently has the most number of repro variations. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. Go on, go on Pete. I would, I think because it's value, I'm going to go for the Lear blaster. No, that doesn't have much number. <laughs> Stuart. I'm just going to go for the like a standard blaster pistol. What is a standard blaster pistol? Um, well, I, don't know, I don't know the names answer. of it. The, sign, the ones that kind of came with the security guards and all the... No. What I, no. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to go to Richard for this. I'm going to see the Stormtrooper blaster. AKA the Imperial Blaster, what everyone does refer to as the Stormtrooper Blaster. Yes, the Imperial Blaster, according to Pig and to their website, there are 13, now 13 different variations. I have the cheapest chips. I know, but they've had so many different variations, and those 13 include Repro, I'm sure, of the Takara and the Top Toys ones as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, um, yes, there we go. So, Richard. You get that one point. Right. Moving on. Uh, another interesting fact there, though, whilst the Imperial Gunnery Forum isn't as busy as it once was, the actual .com, the website, is very well maintained and updated regularly. It's had several updates already this year, and it definitely is something which you need to keep your eye on. I've seen people in the past when people have been putting stuff on for, on Facebook, etc., saying, oh, is this legit? Is this legit? You can't now rely on information and imagery which you saw a few years ago thinking, oh, I know what a good one looks like now because some of these repros are so sharp. Just just go back and check the Imperial Gunnery. Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. What happened? Uh, I had a slight weapons malfunction, but uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? Right. Question three. Now, this is one where you can call out, and if you get it wrong, you're frozen. You get three points for the first clue, two points for if you get it on the second clue, and one point if you get it on the last. This blaster was released in Return of the Jedi packaging. Pew pew! I'm not sure if he's going to get it. Go on, go for it. I'm gonna go with the the carry case, the the one that was a big carry case, the grey one. Go on, can you give me any more? Oh, the the name of the carry case. Um, well, what's it called? It's, it's the laser called laser rifle carry the laser case. rifle carry case. There is only one. My words! I thought you were gonna go for something else. You've just got yourself three points. This blaster. You know why I changed your mind? Because you go said on. I wouldn't get it. I was going to go with a bike scout pistol, but as soon as you said I'm not going to get it, I changed your mind. Ah, right. This blaster had a feature which allowed you to store accessories and secret messages. And the final clue was up to 19 figures. So well done, Rich. That's you, question three. So interesting fact for the uh, for the case. Apparently, Kenner planned for this to be the primary storage case in their post-1985 Power of the Force range of toys. And it was shown in Power of the Force packaging in their 85 catalogue. But as you know, the line ultimately failed and the version of the toy was never released. Bit of a dull dud, that one. It's uh, certainly not a very popular carry case, even though I think it looks pretty awesome. Right. Go on. 
I was going to say, if you bought that in um, Chicago at Celebration, would would you be able to get it back? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably. It's them. Slap them. Get back to the show! Certainly has courage. What good will it do us if he gets himself killed? Come on. Question four. For two points, the Imperial Blaster has a number of colour variations. What two figures came with the blue Imperial Blaster? Imperial. Yes. Pew pew. Go on, Rick. <laughs> right, I'm going to say one was Boba Fett. And the second one, I'm going to go with... How do you see? Because you're going to say blue black, aren't you? Um, and we'll see one's Boba Fett and one is... No, I'll, I'll go with the Stormtrooper. You have no points. No. Oh. Go on, Steve. <laughs> I'm going to stick with Boba Fett. Huh? He's <laughs> just giving us no points, man. <laughs> yeah, but oh, wait, wait, would he have got one point if he got one point? No, no, no. Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. I didn't realise oh. they were both incorrect. Okay, oh. I'm going to go then. Oh, oh. oh. I'm going to go with Warus <laughs> Man <laughs> and Snaggletooth. Oh, you have no points. <laughs> uh, blast. <laughs> I'm going to have just a random go. I'm going to go with uh, the uh, Desperate Commander and, I don't know, who else had one. Um, um, did Red Staggle Tooth have one? I've just said that. Oh, because I've said that. Everyone that. mocked me when I said that. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Let, let me also <laughs> change my mind. Good yeah. thing. Order, order. You, you crack um, on while I just write no points on my sheet. Sorry. Okay. Um, right. who, who else did that blast that? Someone else. Right. Said... Time's up. We're going to move on to a question. Oh, question. What was yes. the question? Right. I forgot as well. All I heard was Imperial Blaster. I was just... And For so two points. <laughs> oh, my goodness. For two points, the Imperial Blaster has a number of colour variations. What two figures came with the blue Imperial Blaster? And the correct answer is... The blue Imperial Blaster came with Imperial Commander and IG-88. Oh. Fun I'm fact sure. to you. Come no, on. Warsman's got a blue, blue blaster. Hey, Boba Fett's got a blue one as well. Yeah, blue, black. Blue, black. Blue. Yeah, oh, fair enough. Fun fact for you. Another one of Jess's fun facts. There was a silver Imperial Blaster was released with a Kia Mole from the Glasslight Droid series. There you go. <laughs> uh, Ow. Uh, Kia Mole. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Brilliant. Two points, two um, points. So, well done, Stu. <laughs> Question five for two points. Two characters came with a rebel blaster that you might not expect. Oh, what oh. Bad guys? Came with the Rebel Blaster. Oh, 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 oh. You give them more clues. Well, I know one of them. No, that's not more clues. That's oh, the question. Uh, oh, go on, Stu. Greedo. Greedo. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry about the mess. Yeah, yeah, we're <laughs> um, oh, I don't know what another one, but I know the fact Greedo's got a. Uh, um, right, um, opening up to the other two. So what was the name of the blaster again, Jess? Because he was he was the Rebel the, Blaster. The Rebel, so the blaster. Rebel blaster. Sometimes referred to as the Smuggler Blaster, but this is the Rebel Blaster. It came with a couple of guys who you pew, might not expect. Pew. Go for it. Bespin Scooter God? No. Go on. Is it the is it the oh I don't know. It, no. Uh, I'm gonna say it yeah. sounds ridiculous, but for some reason it's in my head. I don't know why, Jazz. Is it the um Hoff Soldier? No. Because he is a rebel, so you would expect it. Uh, you've all had a guess. No more guesses. Guessing is closed. Snaggletooth. Oh. Yeah, a baddie blaster. Yeah. <laughs> a baddie blaster. Right. Here we go. Another fun fact for you. So on the 2021 back cards, Greedo and Snaggletooth are shown with an Imperial blaster, not the Rebel blaster. And though pictured on the back of the Star Wars 20 and 21 back cards with a Han Solo blaster, Warus Man was packed with the Stormtrooper blaster. Crazy. Maybe she's got a few surprises left in her sweetheart. Right. Lads, for one point. <laughs> it was initially a secret and then it changed to action. What's going on? Well, I know a figure was with a blaster. For one point. I've no idea what you're talking about. This so initially was a secret and then it changed to an action button. Oh, pew, 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 pew. Richard. It's the button on the, um, I don't know what the size, what do you call those? Yeah, it's the... The pit, the handgun, it's the yeah. smuggler, the hand solos gun. It's a button on the side of it that makes a noise. The laser pistol, laser pistol, laser pistol. For the first iteration on the Star Wars, it was called a secret button, which mm-hmm. then changed on the packaging to action button. So you depress the second button to make the sounds. Yeah, laser pistol. We've mentioned that before. Shame the others didn't remember. Never mind. Stu, are you like me thinking? Hey, I'm looking at you know, action figures, action figures, action figures, and he goes talks about. Guns! I didn't even know what he was talking about then. He just came out with, he just came out with a really strange the, sentence, which was I remember Jez's NEA from a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> right, we're just going to have a quick ton up of the scores. Stand by, I am control. Five. How many, how many more? How many more rounds? Seven, I'll take any more. Eight, 11. Right, Peter, you have eight points. That'll Stuart, do me. 
you have nine points richard you have 11 points we've got everything to play for guys and just a couple of very quick questions to go the big one was the first one no need to be so rude person who's in last place (laughs) right for two points what two figures came with the bespin blaster that you wouldn't associate with bespin oh my word pew pew go for it rich Atat Commander. Yes. And I'm going to say the Imperial Commander as well. No. But one point for you. Okay. I'll open it up to Pete and Stuart. So, (laughs) someone came with a Bespin blaster who you wouldn't associate with Bespin. I think who was um, else's cam out on Empire that wasn't on Bespin. Who did you just go with, Rich? Atat Commander. I went for the Atat Commander, yeah. Um... Crikey. Who can look through their cards first? That's the thing. I can't look for my cards. They're all, all on top of each other. That's what she's okay. in the middle of a yeah. sorting. Going to have to press I'm, I'm going to go, ow. Right, I'm go. only only a guess this is, because it, is it the, um, oh, I forgot what the bloody figure's called. The Hoff, Hoff Soldier Geezer, Rebel bloke. So, Soldier Rebel. Rebel, Rebel Soldier. Brilliant. <laughs> Yes, it was. Yes, so the rebel soldier was the other figure who came with the Bestman Blaster, who was from Hoth. There we go. Brilliant. That armor's too strong for blasters. Okay, question eight. One point for each answer. According to images shown on the Power of the Force card backs, what figures are the left-handed blaster holders? In the Power of the Force. Right. Richard, go for one. Greedo. Greedo. So we've got one rich. Next person. Ow. Stu. Howhead. Yes. One for Stu. Go on. Who else is a left-hander? <laughs> uh, Who else holds a blaster in their left hand? No idea. Ow. Stuart. This is a guess. Because of Greedo and Hammerhead, I'm going to say Warus Man. No. <laughs> Good guess. That's that, that, wasn't it? I was going to say that as well, yeah. Pew, pew. Go for it. Yes. Luke Stormtrooper. No. He's got two blasters. One has got to be his left hand. <laughs> oh, good point. IG88. Stormtrooper. <laughs> IG88. IG88, Stuart. Well done. <laughs> I went with your logic there, Rich. Thanks. Yeah, I was going Pew, pew, pew. Go on, Luke, then, Rich. Luke Jedi. No. Yeah, you come on. Oh, that's saving hands to the left hand, isn't it? Yeah, he's got a, he's got a blaster, hasn't he? No. Yeah, that goes in his right hand. Well, he's got two in his right hand, is he? No, the light no. sets left hand. Well, he's left-handed. He uses a lightsaber. He's left-handed. Yeah, I know. They made it ask about tit, didn't they? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Come on, Stu. <laughs> um, I'm gonna, yeah, I haven't really thought about the answer. Um, Snuggletooth. No, we've already said that. Now I'm going to draw a line under it. Now, so this is me studying the back of the card. And I went for the Power of Force card because that's the one which has obviously got the most figures on it. And uh, if you look at the tri-logo, most of the, well, lots of the tri-logo cards, uh, figures on the back of a tri-logo card back, aren't holding any weapons at all. I'd never noticed that before. If you look at the back of a tri-logo card, lots of figures not holding weapons. Come on, give it, give her the more surprising one than Jez. Sorry? Give us the more surprising Luke one. Poncho. Luke Poncho. Luke Poncho. Yes. Is he? Right. Are you sure? Yes. Ah, interesting. There we go. Right. Oh, yes. wasn't Boba Fett one? 
No. She actually couldn't say about the guns not in hands. Um, somehow he got cloaks, proof faces naked. <laughs> Crazy he time. He's got his cards out. Right. Here we go. Hey, Pete, you can still get this, all right? Because this this last one is I'm a three pointer. This penultimate one is a three pointer. So it's you can't at all. We, we're currently looking at Pete on eight. Yeah. Stu on 12 and Rich on 13. Uh, uh, Princess Leia, are you all right? It's not bad. Freeze! Oh dear. Don't move. I love you. I know. Hands up! Stand up! <laughs> For three points for the first clue, two points for the second clue. It uses two C batteries. Pew pew. Richard. Two C batteries. I'm going to go with the three position laser rifle. No. Nope. Second clue. It has an actual see-through scope. Stuart. Like, I have no idea here because I've never ha- owned any of the guns. I'm just going to guess the Biker Scout pistol. Biker Scout, that's it. With its Is it? Through scope. It's the only one yes. I can think of. <laughs> Stu, you have 14. Rich, you have 13. Pete, you have 8. Yes. However... It is a complete coincidence that I've made the last question worth a staggering six points. So this is up for anyone. Right. According to the Star Wars Collector's Archive, there was a very cool toy that was considered in 1977 based on the original Laser Blaster. What is it? A really cool toy that we we just missed from the toy line. None of us have it beyond the toys, and we should have. And it was considered, it's on the Star Wars Collector's Archive, based on the original Laser Blaster. What was it? Hey down there! Could you give us a hand with this? TK421, why aren't you at your post? No one can guess this within the next <laughs> 10 seconds. The winner on the blaster. Um, automatically be Stuart on 14 points. Is it, is it like a, a toy? Um, it's like one of those dark game things that you're talking about. No, I'm afraid not. I'd love it if it was, uh, but I'm afraid. Laser tag kind of thing? No. So you're on the right lines, but I'm going to say we are three, two, one. Time's up. No idea. Yeah, what was that? The Han Solo Blaster Squirt Gun. Awesome. 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 Awes
This is a design mock-up for a Han Solo squirt gun that was kit-bashed out of the production Han Solo blaster electronic toy. From the exterior, the toy appears to be identical. However, the internals have been modified to hold water and squirt when the trigger is pressed. The back of the gun reveals a plastic plug where the water is filled and sealed. Similar to most water gun toys, this toy is an example of a one-of-a-kind handmade prototype that was then considered for marketing for the early vintage Star Wars line. In this case, the toy was never produced for reasons unknown. That would have been awesome. Why didn't they do it? That would have been the... so good. What do right. I, what, did, what did that what would that have taken? Oh, lads. Well, Water. thank you for joining me for this, uh, you know, for the, for this month's blast points. Blast points too accurate for sand people. Only imperial stormtroopers are so precise. I think we've all learned a lot. We've all taken a lot for it. And and maybe, guys, you know, we, we look at pre-production figures and we and we try and differentiate the different staging processes put together for making a, a, a toy figure. But maybe we need to go back to basics and look at our loose figure collection a little bit more and make sure that we've got the right weapons with the right figures and uh, massive props to the Imperial Gunnery and Rebel Scum for uh, putting on such great information. I never doubted you for a second. Wonderful! I thought that hairy beast would be the end of me. Of course I'd look better. Friendship. Collecting track excitement. The rebel base is on a moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Uh, Rich, engineering a friendship, and I should think you uh, have to work harder engineering them the most. Um, what have you got? Well, actually, that's some truth to you. I was a former engineer. You know, I worked in an engineering place for the MOD for probably about four years, maybe a bit longer. Never mind. Okay, so. A few of our listeners have been asking questions about a forthcoming book called Engineering an Empire. And this is 
written by Matt George, Gavi Borbridge and Stephen Ward. And I was absolutely delighted that when I contacted the guys, sometimes we think, you know, one may come on, possibly two, but all three of them were willing to come on and to give an interview. So I've got an absolutely cracking interview here with all three of them. Really looking forward to meeting these guys in Chicago. So rather than us waffle on, let's cut over that interview now. I'm delighted to welcome three collecting veterans on the show this evening. Firstly, we have Matt George, who was one of our main guests of honour way back on episode 16 in August 2015. Welcome back, Matt. Thanks for having us, Rich. And joining us tonight are two collectors that we've not had on the show before, but both could equally be our main guest. So firstly, a big welcome to Gary Borbridge. Hey, Richard. Thank you so much for having us on. And finally, a big welcome to Stephen Ward. Hey, Rich. How's it going, man? Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time to bring us on, bud. Now, I'm really looking forward to this interview, but before we get into our main topic tonight, could each of you give us an introduction to yourselves, who you are, what your collecting focuses are, and your current collecting experience? So we'll start with Stephen, because Stephen, I do feel sorry for you. You're often seen as and Stephen Ward online. Well, I'm I'm usually confused with the one who runs UKG, so that makes for a lot of really interesting emails <laughs> from time to time. Well, kind of established. My name's Stephen Ward. I live I live here in uh, in Texas in the U.S. As far as what I collect, I really tend to focus on Rebel Commando, uh, vintage and modern pre-production as much as I can, uh, or as much as I can actually track down. You know, I got into collecting really in the kind of like the mid '90s through really just exposure to like toys that my cousin and I would play with uh, you know I'd seen the movies but I think I really had more of an interest in the toys and eventually probably around 1996 or so discovered the Star Wars collector's archive online and saw a picture of a of a rocket set and was pretty much completely hooked on the pre-production process and and all the little ins and outs of that so certainly try to go after things related to the pre-production process with Star Wars and especially other Kenner toy lines and a lot of Kenner internal items and things like that. So that's pretty much about where I sit with everything. Awesome. I remember some of that actually from the interview that we had with Christopher Letty. He he mentioned yourself, and I think it's Justin Rollins with the three Rebel Commando guys from memory. That is that is correct, yeah. So, Gary, same question to you then. Well, I'm from the fine state of New Jersey here in the U.S. It's also known as the armpit of the United States. <laughs> uh, right now, I primarily have been focused on collecting Empire Strikes Back pre-production items, kind of dabble in other things, whatever kind of strikes my interest or whatever I happen upon that, that is interesting to me. I'm, I'm more than happy to add to my collection. Primarily Star Wars. Uh, I do have a couple little side focuses and other, uh, other toy lines, but for the most part, Kenner Star Wars and, and mainly uh, pre-production items, employee items. Uh, I've gotten to really appreciate and have a fascination for and um, love for the, the stories that we heard during the process of, of doing our project. And, and I've really come to appreciate the items and the things that are um, historical to our hobby and to the toys that, that we all collect and love. Yes, and we're hoping to touch a lot more on that in this interview because it sounds like you've got a, a huge passion for behind the scenes and, uh, you know, as, as Steve mentioned as well, pre-production items and how things come together. For sure. And the same to you, Matt, because it's been quite a while since you've been on the show now. I'm aware that you've been on little snippets here and there, but August 2015 since you were on with Ross Ball. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the reason I came on that time was Dewey Shoemade Auction. I came on and talked about the the clear Sabre Ben, and that's actually how this project got started on, which I think Stephen's going to touch on here coming up shortly. But that's how I got kind of started with the project. And then um, I've, I've been collecting vintage Star Wars since 1989, 
currently focus on first 21 pre-production. I'm trying to put together a run of first 21 first shots, slowly but surely getting there. And um, I also uh, have a character focus of Ben Kenobi. And I've got, uh, you know, modern and vintage examples of Ben about as early as it goes back. So that's kind of my my Star Wars focus, like in, uh, Indiana Jones toys as well. And just now getting into Ninja Turtles. So that's that's my collecting focus now. Now, guys, as I've said here before the show, we've had quite a number of people ask us about your forthcoming book, Engineering an Empire, and if we have any information to share. So rather than just us chat about it as a team on the podcast, I thought it was best to bring you guys on for a chat. So firstly, I'm led to believe that this is not just another vintage Star Wars collecting book. So what should the reader expect from this book? Well, I think the thing that the reader should expect from the book, first and foremost, is is exactly like you said, really to go into it without an expectation that this is this isn't really a book about the Star Wars toys or just the toy line itself. That stuff has been done so well so many times, going back to Steve Sansweet's from Concept to Screen to Collectible book. It's one of those subjects that when you look at it, when you actually look at the toys, you have to think that there were a lot of folks involved in actually creating that toy line. And very simply to that point, you know, those were actual people with actual lives and actual stories behind them that were bigger than just a specific toy line. One that we really love, that we have a lot of passion for, and so do a lot of other folks. But I really just think that it's important that they understand you're not going to be opening a book that's just going to be about Star Wars toys, that's going to show nothing but Star Wars toys and prototypes or, or figural things. But really, you're able to open up kind of what we've described as a scrapbook of the times, something to give you a glimpse into the lives of these people and put an actual name with a face and understand the human element behind creating such an iconic line. What was your prerequisite for contacting people for this book? Did they have to work directly for Kenner? No, they did not have to work directly for Kenner, and that's that's something that it's not necessarily named as a as a specific caveat in the book, but a lot of really fantastic work, some of the most important original work on the line was done by outside contractors, and and that's kind of one of those facts that it, it kind of floats around in the kind of the edge of the general hobby consciousness. If if you're really really into pre-production, and a couple of the names have been around, guys like Bill Lemon, who was a very prolific model maker, worked for Aurora, did a lot of the Aurora monster kits, a lot of planes, muscle cars, things like that, back before he ever did anything for Star Wars. But he was a fantastic figural sculptor, and he contributed to some of the stuff on the first 12. But he was never a Kenner employee. You know, Kenner never actually signed his paycheck, as it were. They all came from Kenner, but he never actually worked for the company. And that uh, that's pretty typical of a lot of folks who did contribute to a lot of things during that run, you know, from 77 into 85, 86. Okay, so what was the inspiration for writing a book, and how did you decide on the theme that you went down? Well, the origin of the entire thing really starts in late summer of 2015. I was talking to our, our friend Andy, and he had a really, really good you know, friend since childhood who worked for a guy who had a boss, who had another boss who supposedly worked for Kenner. And this is just kind of a story that came to me and you know, when we were hanging out, uh, you know, just drinking a beer, shooting the bowl or whatever it was. I didn't really give much thought to it. And then we circled back around on it a number of weeks or you know, maybe a month or two later, like, hey, man, what the hell was that story you were telling me about the Kenner guy? You know, that'd be really, really neat to figure out who that guy is. You know, I'd be a fun guy to talk to. 
So I started doing some research and without much to go on, eventually was able to figure out who the gentleman was. And as I got to learn a little bit more about his role, I really thought back to the things that I was fascinated with as far as the, you know, the pre-production process and obviously being a, a fan of the line. I'd always wanted to write ever since, ever since I was a kid, I really thought, I'm going to grow up, be, you know, be a paleontologist, to be a baseball player. But the thing that I really thought I could actually do that I had the passion for was was writing. And thought maybe I can write something up about this guy. And eventually, you know, after figuring out who he was and and touching base with a few a few other folks, you know, I'd I'd spoken with Matt and and then, you know, we'd spoken with Gary and said, why don't we really go and try to track down a lot of these folks and get their stories? not just for posterity, but really because they're, they're fascinating. And these people have such interesting and, and rich lives outside of just one toy line. And that eventually uh, grew into engineering an empire. How did you gather the material for the book? Because as most people who work on books, they always say when they first start, they just didn't realize how big a project it was going to be. Um, so how did you gather that material and how long did it take? Well, our first trip out to Cincinnati was... February 19th, 2016, and we started with four names that we had come across just in our research. And you got to start somewhere, so we started with those four names. And we met with those folks, and just during the course of our conversations with them, you know, got more names, and just it kind of snowballed from there. Luckily, we've got Facebook now, and a lot of people are on Facebook, and so we'd reach out and contact people that way. And then just as we got more names accumulated that way, it just kind of got bigger and bigger, and people begin to realize, hey, I like, you know, I think this, this is a good direction for this book. Um, here, here's some more names of people that you need to reach out to. And so fast forward three years, like to the day, like February 19th, 2019, we, we finished up. So it took exactly three years and we gathered material for the book just by talking to folks. And I don't know how many times we've went up to Cincinnati to meet with folks, but not, not only was it Cincinnati, we've, we've, out to Arizona, Florida. We've gone out to L.A., um, made trips out to Indiana, Kentucky. I think Gary may have gone to New Jersey or if I traveled up the road uh, in his home state of New Jersey to meet with folks. So that's that's kind of how we went about it. We wound up talking to over 100 folks for the project. It was just a really good experience all, all the way around. I think we've become really good friends with a lot of these people, and it's just really cool to be able to, to kind of tell their story and kind of bring them into the light because uh, you kind of take for granted that how a toy comes to the store. Um, if you're a kid, you just walk to the store and see a peg of or a huge wall of figures. You never really stop to think how they got there. And it's, it's pretty cool to be able to highlight them and their work. I remember talking to Chris Jorgulius a few months ago about his first delving into Ken employees. And he said that because he spoke their language, as in Chris was an engineer, it meant opened avenues to him. So by the sounds of it, was it your passion, you think, that helped you into getting these stories for the employees? I think, you know, first thing, War, uh, Stephen is a very accomplished artist himself. Um, he's a very good sculptor, a very good illustrator, drawer. So I think early going, that kind of was a huge help, especially when we we're talking to the people that were sculptors themselves. So, uh, you know, in our search for more and more names, it helped that we could you know, at least speak the language uh, when it comes to Stephen. And he was able to talk to those folks early on and, and show them that, hey, we know what, you know, we can speak your language and we can transfer what you said and 
and articulate it in such a way that the average layperson is able to kind of understand what they did. Chris Fawcett has become a good friend of ours, you know, kind of through this book, and he helped us out with some of the names that he had talked to over the course of his collecting career, and it helps that he has been in the toy industry himself, and that automatically kind of lends credence to kind of the project we were doing because he was so able to speak their language back when he was communicating with those folks. Yeah, I remember Chris actually mentioned that, but Stephen, I'm just going to go back to you a second. Did you take any of your illustrations or designs to any of these kind of sculptors and did they see any of your work? Because that must have been amazing if it happened. Yeah, there's there's actually a, a few folks that, that I'd, I'd actually brought some things to because, you know, we, we talked about art, talked about sculpture, talked about painting, and, and there's a few folks that I ended up kind of trading a few things with. You know, there's one one of my favorite pieces that I that I'd done resides with a, a former Kenner sculptor now, you know, and, and, and it's that's a it's a very humbling thing, you know, to, to see see somebody who worked on something that was so important to your childhood actually take a uh, a real interest in, in something that you've done, but kind of, you know, with what Matt was saying, it, it really did help to be able to say, I, I understand some of what goes into this. I won't, you know, patronize you to say that I get exactly what that would have been like or how everything was done, but it, it certainly helped. And again, I, I think I just kind of have to circle back to it. It's a, it's a humbling experience to be able to somewhat speak that same language and, and be able to look at things kind of through the same lens, I guess. Uh, as these folks you grew up idolizing in in a, in a way. Wow, that must have been amazing for you, that. So, guys, what are your favorite memories of meeting or talking to the former employees? This is Gary, Richard. I think for me, it's been actually the whole process. I really didn't know Matt and Stephen very well prior to getting involved with them with this project. And uh, I think that uh, our friendship, number one, uh, and foremost for me, now the friendships that I've uh, developed with these two guys has, uh, I'd consider both of them probably two of my best friends in the world right now. And, you know, the, that evolving happened over this project, you know, never expecting to have two friends that live in Texas that I barely ever get to see, but I, I talk to them every day now, uh, either on the phone or on, uh, on, on private message or, or one way or another. And, uh, and a lot of times it's not even about the project itself. It's just about life stuff. It's just about, um, you know, two guys that are now considered, you know, two of my best friends in the world. So that's one of my favorite parts, traveling with these guys and and, and planning with these guys and brainstorming with these two guys and, and coming up with ways to track different people down. And, you know, it, it was a challenge, but it was an awesome challenge. It was an awesome experience. Um, so as a whole, I would think that that's one of my best things. But one of the, you know, the, the most important things that I took away from, from our project was the friendships that we developed. So, Gary, can I just ask about, you know, like, Obviously, we've heard from the likes of Chris Fawcett and Chris Joglius and Ron when they said they were first meeting up, you know, 20 years ago and going visiting these guys. Have you had a sense of that experience and coming together even now in 2019? Oh, absolutely. Um, it was, I think, one of the biggest challenges that we had were convincing people to, to talk to us, to, to convince them, because a lot of these people had been contacted so many times over the years. And, and a lot of times it was to acquire things from them. Do you have anything, you know, any, any stuff for sale, anything that we could buy, that type of thing. So it was kind of breaking down those barriers. It was it was a challenge for us. But, yeah, I think it's a, a very similar to what those guys were doing 20 years ago. And they were we just kind of had a different purpose for doing it at this time was to collect their stories versus collect the things that they had maybe saved. And when you're talking about stories, are you talking about just times at Kenner or are we looking at things before they were Kenner and after Kenner had finished? Absolutely. We, we, it's a lot of it's very biographical. So we, we get their, 
you know, what were they like when they were growing up? What influenced them into becoming what they were, whether it be an artist or an engineer or a, a painter, uh, designer. Uh, so we kind of get all those early influences and then we incorporate that into their, you know, what education choices they had and then into what, you know, what did, what did they do before Kenner for, for work or, you know, what drew them to Kenner? What specifically about Kenner? And then, of course, their stories while at Kenner and, you know, what you know, specifically they got involved with with the Star Wars line. And then even after after Kenner, what, you know, what led to them if they did leave Kenner and what did they do after and how did they, you know, what they did at Kenner influence maybe what they did after. Um, so it was uh, we kind of run the gamut from beginning to end what early childhood all the way through to what they're doing today, if they're still with us. And I don't know if it's just me, but that's the bit that I'm most looking forward to, reading the stories leading up to actually when they started working at Kenner. That's what I'm going to find most fascinating. And there's some fascinating people. I mean, just truly talented, amazing um, craftsmen and artists and, and creative thinkers. There's some, uh, some, some true, truly amazing talent that went through that building, Kroger building and the Kenner company itself. It, it all makes sense now why the Star Wars line was so successful. Now that we know more about the people that were behind it and all the the, uh, the people that came together to collaborate on that specific toy line and, and the other Kenner toy lines, but Star Wars specifically because they were incredible, incredible thinkers, incredible artists, incredible people as a whole. And it all makes sense to us, makes, at least for, for me and I think I speak for both Stephen and Matt. Uh, it, makes, it makes so much sense now to why that toy line was so successful because of the people that were behind it. You know, I don't think I've ever heard that said. I've always had it in my mind that it was the movies that was driving the toy line. But what you're suggesting there was the toy line was almost as strong as driving, not possibly the movies, but certainly keeping the Star Wars brand going for kids. I think that everybody knows what Star Wars is and and knows what uh, visually what it looks like and, and, and loves the story. But it's not as easy as you would think to make toys based on on that there's a lot that goes into it there, and there's a lot of things behind the scenes you know that went on between lucasfilm and kenner that uh that, you know you'll be able to read about in, in the in the book that didn't make it always easy for the toy folks to to do their jobs and they had to kind of think outside the box a lot of the time i mean the the, the early bird kit is one example never been done before again but that was that was uh, an idea that came up and and obviously we know the story of that and how successful that was and that's just just one small thing but how big of a an impact it had on on the toy industry and specifically the toy line. To piggyback on that, obviously it was a really successful line and all because the you know in part the property was good, but they were just really well made toys. <laughs> One of the anecdotes that kind of sticks out is there was never a recall on any of the Star Wars products that were released in the market, and that struck a chord with uh, George Lucas and his wife. His wife even commented that one of her her visits to Kenner was uh, she commented. You know, I really appreciate the fact that none of this has ever been recalled and you were, you guys are going out of your way to making sure that these are safe for kids. They over-engineered these things at the beginning in order to kind of hit a deadline and they had to completely change the way that they were engineering these toys in the beginning. Usually to, you've got a much longer lead time. So one team would handle one part of the process, then hand it off to another team and they would, you know, take weeks on their part and then so and so and so until it got done. Well, especially with the case of the Landspeeder, X-Wing and TIE Fighter, they got a little a kind of a committee together with a representative of each part of the business and used kind of what they call concurrent engineering to do it all at the same time. And that shaved months off the, the lead times. And they were not only able to finish kind of on time, they actually finished early. There's an account of actually toys being on retail shelves for Christmas in Cincinnati of the Landspeeder, X-Wing, and TIE Fighter just because of how these guys were able to kind of reduce the timeline to get these products engineered on time. 
Yeah, and all of that without modern day computers as well. I mean, that's just that's just amazing how they work collaboratively, you know, way way back then. Is there a sense of pride working on the original line still, or do you think that you'll be amused by it all 40 years later? I think that there's there absolutely is, is still a sense of pride now that you know 40 years has passed and, and Star Wars is still alive and and kicking. Uh, a lot of the folks that you know, we talked to, and then it was kind of a common sentiment, is that it was kind of just like our job. Um, even the even the artists, the sculptors, you know, it wasn't it wasn't their art. It was art that they were doing and being told to do. But they still took a, a sense of pride. They still tried to put a little bit of their self, a little bit of their uh, own touch on each piece that they worked on. And looking back on it, a lot of them, you know, they've realized the impact that it's had now. But at the time, uh, and this is a very common thing that we've heard from basically everybody, it was just, you know, it's basically just my job. I didn't, I didn't think of it that way. I didn't look at it that way. But now looking back, I can see this is the greatest toy line of all time, the most prolific and longest lasting toy line of all time. And that's, uh, there's something to be said for that. And there's, there's definitely a sense of pride. Um, whether, you know, some of them didn't want to admit it, but you could, you could tell, you could, you know, in talking to them, we sat down with these folks, you could see it. So can we describe the book now then? So how have you divided it up and what, you know, what we're looking at, the number of pages, quality of print, is it hardback, softback? Well, I'll start with, it's, it's a hardback book being printed as we speak. We uh, were approximately uh, a little over 200 pages, 220 pages. Is that, is that right, guys? I read on the number. It's, it's 200 pieces of paper. It's 401 total right. pages. Wow. Okay, yeah. yeah, front and back. So it's, it's a nice size book. In doing the project, we, we try to touch some you know each aspect of the of the company each well, from each area uh, was our goal kind of going so we can kind of give a full story by having a representative of uh, and tell stories of the people from each kind of department <laughs> we quickly learned that kind of had to draw a line in the sand with how large it was getting because it was going to end up being a you know a, a 900 page book uh, before we knew it so we kind of uh, made the decision that you know the the amount of folks that we were able to include at this point we were going to kind of you know stop and and make that one project and, and you know We've already got plans on on continuing and, and having a you know a second volume where we continue on where we you know where we left off because again there's there's so many people and so many stories that we still want to tell but we kind of tried to you know at least with this first project you know weave through each different department have a representative or two of, of to, to kind of have an example of, of what that part of the business did or what that part of the company did. Um, and we have it laid out where kind of start from the beginning with kind of some of the most instrumental people in in bringing the Star Wars license to Kenner. And, and we kind of go through kind of each department from sculptors and, and the guys in the model shop and the guys in the machine shop and the engineers and the designers. And we kind of kind of just kind of flow through the company the way that uh, the way the projects would. And that's how the book is laid out. Now, I've noticed recently that you've uploaded a video showing some of the pages being printed, and there were some wonderful images in them. So, how did you source the images and incorporate them into the book, and what are your favorite shots? Well, luckily, a lot of the Kenner folks supplied really good images, kind of behind-the-scene images um, themselves. I mean, there's images from Dave Okada's uh, going-away lunch, and just very kind of off-the-cuff moments that are captured kind of throughout the book. We have got some own items from our collection that are that are in the book, but most of the product-related photos came from friends of ours, and we absolutely cannot have done the book without the help of a lot of our friends, you know, Gus and, and Chris and Ron and the other Chris. No way that the stories could have been told without their help. You, know, you can't really tell the full story of the people who sculpted Star Wars toys without photos of the sculpts that they created, so we are definitely indebted to them. Favorite shots? I mean, I, I'm sure that we each kind of have our own. 
the kind of the ones that stick out to me the most just are two of the ones that I did, so I'm obviously a little bit more attached to them. But I got to interview Harvey Albach, and he was the guy that sculpted Darth Vader and Greedo. But it's really cool the way we kind of did that chapter was, you know, told his story, and then we tied every element back to a photo. So he was an actor growing up as a kid, so we've got photos of him on the set of um, Our Gang, The Little Rascals, and we've got photos of him on kind of other projects that he acted on. And then from there, it kind of went and he got into into sculpting, and he was one of the early sculptors for Barbie. And so we have a photo of the actual Barbie doll that he used as kind of his inspiration for his Barbie sculpts. And then from there, it went on to, you know, when he was with Mattel, he met John Gardner, who ran sculpting for Kenner and hired him to do the Vader sculpt. And we've got the original notes that he was sent on how to sculpt Vader, and it's juxtaposed next to the actual uh, sculpt of Vader that that the guys let us use. Then it's got a uh, photo of the Greedo sculpt that, you know, Gus let us use from his collection. And then it's got Polaroids that no one's ever seen of the Vader and the Greedo right next to each other with Harvey's signature on them. And it's, it's just really, it's, it's cool to visually tell the story and also tell the story, you know, in written form. And so I think it just was laid out really well. Another chapter that I worked a long time to kind of make as good as I could get it was, this gal named Holly Yost. She was an industrial design engineer, really, really young, kind of like one year removed from school when she started. But her first tasks were to design the second half of the second wave of figures. And she did the design work for uh, R5-D4. And we've got really good images of R5-D4. Uh, but then she also did Luke X-Wing. And we were able to get the turnaround that she did from Ron and use that in the book. And it's right next to the kind of the hard copy and a first shot and a, and a production figure of Luke X-Wing. So it, it visually kind of tells the story that she was doing, uh, the kind of the job that she was doing that we that we wrote about early in the chapter. So that's really cool to be able to kind of tell those stories of those folks, both in written and visual form. And I think that those kind of those two chapters do a good job of capturing kind of what we're doing with this project. Finally, Gary actually kind of, this is the first time I think he ever used Photoshop, but he created what I think is the coolest shot of the book. We took a, a 21 back card back and we deleted the characters' names and then we replaced them with the, the sculptors that sculpted those figures. And to me, that's just a really good visual element to kind of just sum up what the book is about. And I think we put that right up front. It's one of the first images in the book. So to me, it's a really strong image and it turned out really well. And I think Kind of those are the, to me, those are kind of my three highlights for the for the book. Well, you've certainly made me want this book even more now. What was the most unexpected part of creating this book? Because I'm pretty sure, looking back now, it's been a wild ride for you. It's definitely been one of those journey of a lifetime kind of things. I don't think we quite knew how stressful some of it was going to be, you know, because you hit a lot of dead ends with with doing research, and you end up hearing uh, kind of some varying versions of things depending on who you're talking to and that can that can certainly kind of have uh, i guess an overall effect on morale because you get a little bit beaten down you're like oh man i really wanted to know the get down to the truth of of this or why this was sculpted this way or why kenner made this decision uh, and that, that is kind of some uh, an aspect i guess that really was kind of unexpected how not cut and dry so many things are but Really, one of the most unexpected things, just to circle back to what Gary said, is really, you know, how close the three of us are. I mean, these two guys are some of my best friends in or in or out of the hobby, you know, and, and, you know, we, we hang out, we talk about, you know, crazy stuff, you know, our, our, our kids do and we hang out and we drink beer and, 
we don't need to talk about Star Wars necessarily or figures or the book or whatever it might be. But I, I think as far as specifically in the book itself, one of the things that was a little bit unexpected because you don't quite catch it as you're in the middle of it, but really the, I guess the kind of the raw humanity of some of these stories, because again, this is, this is a book that is essentially about the people who did Star Wars. It's not about the toys themselves. The toys, that's just the, the common thread that ties everybody together and runs through everyone's stories. But like I said, the real like raw humanity of it, there was a woman that we interviewed. She ended up staying in the toy industry as a contractor because, you know, because her mom really kind of needed some help financially. And when I was interviewing her and getting her story, you know, I, I came to find out that it was because her father had committed suicide. He was getting, he was getting very ill, worried about becoming a burden on the family and when I wrote about it, I tried to put it in the most respectful way possible without making it, you know, anything that was, was in poor taste. And when she read the draft, she read it and she enjoyed it and said, you know, everything was, was good. There's a couple little things. And really the thing that I think you should do is be very honest with people. Like, you know, my dad didn't pass away suddenly, you know, he, he killed himself and that's not necessarily easy for me to deal with. And, and no one really likes that, but. I think that's the most true way that you can actually tell this story and be completely honest. And I really thought about that. And, you know, we all kind of had, had thought about the fact that this is ultimately biographical writing and being true to those stories and being, you know, as accurate and true to what those people experience as, as we possibly could be was, was really, really important. And despite times where it was very challenging like that, when you're touching on a, a, a fairly sensitive subject, you know, and, like I said, that was really one of the, the big unexpected things that just kind of came out of nowhere is realizing how much you have to tell these stories with a really unyielding sense of honesty to really help others who haven't met these people and don't know their stories get the best sense of, of exactly who they are, what their experiences in life have been, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. I think you've alluded to part of this, but it must be difficult keeping something like this down to a manageable size. So I initially prompted you guys with what didn't make it into the book, but I think it's perhaps fair to say what's being left for a second volume coming out later. Yeah, absolutely. You know, not everything made it into this book. I've had enough alcohol at Celebration. I think I might, me or Ward might be able to tell you about a very embarrassing moment that happened to us during one of the interviews. But outside of that, uh, there's a lot of people we interviewed that we just couldn't get into the book um, due to timing, waiting for information still. And then, you know, even since we sent it off to the printer, we've talked to, you know, half dozen folks um, just in preparation for volume two, because we, we knew that not only was there stories we left out from the first volume, but there's so many more folks that, that we can talk to that were very important and integral to the process. So it took us three years to write volume one. I think we've probably learned a few things that we can capitalize on for volume two. Hopefully it won't take three years, but we want to make sure that we, we capture as many stories as we can for it. And hopefully having volume one in hand may open new doors when others actually see the quality of it and what you're actually doing. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, to that point, since we've kind of finished up and, you know, been marketing up, having finished it and put it, you know, putting the pre-orders up for sale, it's it's definitely helped because I think that there's, you know, several folks that have, you know, started a book or said they were going to write a book. They just never got around to it. Like people at Kenner wanted to do a book and didn't want to talk to us. And then they realized, that, hey, I'm not going to do a book. So, you know, I'll talk to you. Got other folks that have been told several times they're 
going to be interviewed for a book and that book never came out. So it's really helpful to be able to say, here, this is a tangible thing. You can go order it. It'll be to you in April. And yeah, it's definitely opened up a lot more doors. It's making, making the conversations easier. The barriers of entry are much easier. So how do I pre-order this book then? Because our listeners will certainly want a copy. So when will this be available? How much does it cost and where's the best place to go? Well, we're giving it a couple more weeks here where we're, we're allowing pre-order lower price. And uh, the easiest way to get it is to go to our webpage, uh, which is engineeringandempirebook.com, and just follow the link uh, for the pre-order. Hopefully, they're going to be in hand in April. They'll be they'll be mailing out in April. Where if if you're coming to celebration in Chicago, we'd be more than happy to uh, to hand the book over to you there. And there will be books, uh, barring anything crazy happening with our printing, uh, we'll be we'll be you know, we'll be happy to present them to you in uh, in Chicago. But uh, the easiest and best way to uh, to pre-order um, and and lock in the, the lower price pre-order price is go to our webpage again. It's uh, engineeringandempirebook.com. So you mentioned there that you'll have copies in Chicago. So how would somebody track you down to flick through these books? Do you have a stall or will you be available at any of the collector's events? Uh, you just want to look for the three uh, most handsome guys <laughs> in the entire building. I walked and, uh, straight into that, didn't I? Yeah, and, and it'll be, one of us will, will be able to guide you. Probably the easiest way to track one of us down will be to, to find the Texas Collectors Club table. One of us will, will most likely be there at, at all, all times and, and we'll be able to, uh, to take care of you. And, then, and uh, we've had some friends, some other collectors who, uh, who are going to have tables, um, that have also, uh, offered up, uh, some space for us to, to put out some books too. So, um, I'm sure if you want it, you'll, you'll be able to find it at, uh, at Celebration for sure. Our friends Bill Wills and Tracy Hamilton at Cantina Collectibles have, have offered up some, some space, uh, at their table. So if you guys do want to end up going and grabbing a copy, in person, Cantina Collectibles table is going to be where where you're going to be able to find it for sure. And I believe I believe the Texas collecting booth is going to be booth number 1440. As Gary said, one of us will probably be there, or if we're not there, whoever is there will know how to contact us. So guys, many thanks for your time. I've already pre-ordered my copy, and I'm really eager to receive it when it's ready. You know, I'm waiting with bated breath. So hopefully, sometime around early May, perhaps you might be shipping to the UK. That's what I'm looking for. Well, hopefully we'll ship them all at the same time, which is looking like April at this point. So we will try to have yours and, and give you yours directly um, in Chicago if you're going to be there. Yep, I'll certainly be there. So that would be cool if you could keep mine back today. That would be awesome. Thanks very much for your time, guys. I've really enjoyed this interview, and I know we're going to get lots of feedback on that. Oh, good. Thanks for having us on. Thanks a lot, well, and, and And, hey, Rich, I'd certainly, uh, I certainly want to make sure that, you know, we kind of throw it out there that, you know, the three of us are the ones who – who wrote and, and researched and did all, all the crazy front end operations for making this happen. But, uh, I, uh, I think we, we would all feel terrible if we didn't mention our, our good friend Chance, Chance Sanderson. He did all the layout and design and he just did an indescribably great job of taking, you know, that kind of that mantra, that scrapbook of the times and kind of our wildest dreams about what the finished product should look like and actually turning that into, uh, into a reality. So. Absolutely. There's like, I think you know, there's like yeah. three, 3,455 different visual elements in the book. Yeah. And yeah. he handled every single one of them. And yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, a good call. It's a, park. Did he design the front cover? Because I think the front cover is fantastic. The yeah, front cover was a collaborative, that was a collaborative work. Um, it was our idea, but none of us, you know, I mean, especially Gary and me can't really paint that well. So the creative bunch, Stephen and an artist who was Casey Bailey got together and Steven sketched it out and 
Uh, Casey Bailey actually executed it, so we're really happy with the way it turned out. It went through several different kind of iterations, and no one was really able to capture kind of how he wanted it until it got in Casey's hands. And he's done work for uh, Stephen in the past and really happy with his work, so he did a tremendous job on it. Okay, thanks very much for your time, guys, and we'll certainly be hooking up in Chicago for a beer. Thanks, Richard. Yeah, man. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. Rich, collecting track excitement, a bit linked into what we were discussing in the intro, but but obviously the uh, the main panel stage for us collectors. Yeah, so hopefully by the time this podcast is out, the panels have been released and everybody's had a chance to digest them. So we're recording a little bit sooner and huge thank you to the guys from the SWCA for sending us the panel information um, because we were scratching our heads trying to pick bits and pieces that have been released online and when you hear the interview in about what we've got, Jess's quiz coming up and we've got a bit more, maybe in about 44 hours time. Chris and Ron mentioned some of the panels. So I've got a list of them, guys, so I'm just going to break them down. Uh, We haven't had these panels very long, so I'm just going to go through them maybe in groups of five, I think. I think there's 20 panels in total. So I'm just going to whiz through them in groups of five, and I'm just going to pause and see what he's going to think about them. So first one, and we've got no idea, the running order. We don't know which daisies are on. Um, We've got very little information about them. So we'll start with the first one, which is Star Wars Tiki Mashup. The second one, Collecting Collector's Books, Turning the Page on Star Wars Reference Material. The third one, Weird, Wild and Whimsical Star Wars Collectibles. Next one, Star Wars Original Pops and Costumes. And then 20 Years of Collecting in Lego. So two of them really jumping out for me. Pete, any of them tickle your fancy, mate? I always tickle my fancy. I well, I, yeah, let's let's have a shout out for Star Wars Tiki Mashup, Rich, because I think you know it's a, sometimes the the ones you don't think about are often the panels that you get much joy in. Uh, if I think of the joyous moments of last celebration when I went to vegetable <laughs> Japanese vegetable Star Wars carving, which is one of the best panels I've ever been to in my life. Hey, can I just uh, jump in for one sec? Yeah, well, go for it, man. Um, well, it's a question for you. Okay, tell us what a tiki is. Uh, it's kind of like a um, well. Um, let, let me let me let me just in case I racially offend somebody. Polynesian, isn't correct? It? Yeah, Polynesian. That's 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 it. So I haven't racially offended anyone. That's good. So it, it's like little. Um, I say they're kind of kind of clay-ish pots. I I, I don't offend anyone, but like a, like a sort of a totem pole, maybe like one or two sort of heads of a totem pole kind of thing. If you think of what a totem pole in the olden days look like so sort of heads made of you know very sort of ethnic carvings um but of sort of Poly- polynesian kind of flavor and uh there's some if you i mean the, the, there's tons of it out there um it's never really come across me because i haven't seen any ray stuff or <laughs> so because i'm selfish lads i haven't really bought any yet but it is on it is kind of on my radar don't tell anyone i guess in some ways it's probably like, like another market that hasn't really sort of opened up that's when i was trying to hit that that area of the world um, I don't know if there's any vintage tiki <laughs> mashup stuff, but I've seen, you know, obviously vintage type, you know, characters from the original trilogy and stuff. But yeah, so it, it's it's so the the whole kind of body is contained in one kind of model kind of thing, you know, in one sort of straight model. It's it's they're actually pretty cool. I'd, I'd say check them out. But um, yeah, I, I reckon that might be a, quite a fun panel actually, considering that you know we've got stuff that we've probably sort of seen before. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm well up for that one. Obviously, all those are absolutely fantastic. Uh, Jez and I and Grant 
um, and there were a couple of others as well, caught the props and costumes one at Essen, and th that was absolutely fantastic. And we said this just before the Orlando show as well. It's if you've never been to the original props and costumes kind of panels and talks, you've got to get yourself to them because they are absolutely fascinating. The one for me is I'm possibly thinking, you know, the collecting collectors books might be an interesting one. We've done quite a few chats on books before. I think Stu, you led something not too long ago where we went through our favourite books. Uh, but the weird, wild, and whimsical. You know, there could be some bootleg items in there. There could be some Japanese items. You know, stuff from South America. I think that one's uh, going to be equally fascinating as well. Rich, I think if you can't get excited about weird, wild, and wonderful. <laughs> then you shouldn't be into collecting <laughs> that's going to be see that's another one on my list see because that's sort of like ooh that could be fun um, you know I like a bit of uh, bit of oddity I think it will go above and beyond bootlegs I think it will go more kind of like the old as we all used to do here the old gimcrack kind of items real oddities I'm hoping for stuff we've never seen before like Stu buying around right so the next five then so we've got Tall Toys an Australian Star Wars story Star Wars prototypes and unreleased toys, the effect and influence of the Palatoy Company on Star Wars toys. Mm, I wonder who's delivering that one. Bring balance to your tree. Well, that was. <laughs> you couldn't make it up, could you? What a want to follow the Palatoy one. Anyway, bring balance to your tree. Collecting Hallmore keepsakes, ornaments, and other collectibles of life day and every day. And Kenna, from concept model to collectible. So, Jez, I'm going to come to you now. Any of those five tickle your fancy? I love the idea of the Kenner from concept model to collectible. I think that could only be Steve Sansweet. I would have thought doing that one. And uh, that that seems great. The Toll Toys one, though, that's that's also one I've not seen in my five visits now to Celebration. So that'll be one which I'd like to try and get on, if time permits. You're right on that, because I haven't seen anything on Toll Toys. And I'm trying to wrap my brain now. How other than Palatoy, I don't think I've seen anybody. Did, did Stefan do a Meccano one, or was it wider? Um, Matthias did um, Swedish. He did, In yes. London. Yes, he did. I'm sure there was a French one in Essen, possibly. I think that's when we had the Colgate. Um, you know, there was that sort of Colgate handout in one of the presentations as yeah, well. Yeah, that was a European uh, one. I think I had about... Yeah. 10 guys on there and each of them briefly talked about their one couldn't we but uh, but i think that toy toys one if, it, if it's a 45 minute an hour long somewhere in the middle i think that one's going to be very much a, a whole in-depth look at toy toys so i think that one will be really fascinating good shout on that one there jez right next five toys that made us part two vintage canadian collectibles a tale of two languages the man who shot luke skywalker Star Wars collectibles and Grail stories. Joe, come to you next, mate. Any of them that you really want to get yourself down to? Um, yeah, a couple of them. The toys that made us. I've just currently been enjoying that um, that show, and um, as coming up in the round table we've got this month, uh, they do talk about that and a possible second Star Wars episode on that. I think one of the the gents alluded to on the round table. Uh, the, but for me, out of those five, the Grail story sounds great, but I would like Vintage Canadian Collectibles, A Tale of Two Languages. I'm always fascinated by the Canadian stuff. Definitely a bit like the Toll Toys one. I think it would be quite a fascinating, um, fascinating delve into that area. Star Wars Sports Collectibles. What on earth? Is that going to be those American football helmets that I keep seeing around at the moment? 
the Tuscan Raiders. I know that you, you said it was one of the ones you were also interested in, but Grail stories, yeah. I think that'll be fascinating as well, because, you know, we, you get to hear the Grail pieces, the real special bits, or, or yeah, the the bits which have got these guys so, so interested, and they thought was completely unachievable. And, uh, and I think we'll see some really sweet, sweet pieces there, which we may not really have had shown in public before, possibly. That could be the hope. So uh, that's one to definitely look out for. I really want to go to the man who shot Luke Skywalker, Kim Simmons. I'm assuming it's Kim Simmons, unless he's forgotten himself. I, I just find that person completely fascinating. And you think of most of those pictures, you know, have been in your mind from your childhood. I just, I don't think I, I can't miss that one. I've got to do it. I've, that, that's what I've got to do. Unless on the same time I'm getting my photo opportunity with somebody. <laughs> Pete, if you're going to go to that one, will you wear the Obamacare T-shirt? <laughs> what? <laughs> he, he's he's the most um, Republican of the Republicans, you know. He's very pro-Trump. I hate everybody who's left. Should I take a big bag of Cheetos and uh, <laughs> and uh, make me hair and make my skin orange? <laughs> <laughs> no, they might well, take the You look like Jez's skin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Really, you're going to be so disappointed as you always are when you see me. Yeah, <laughs> right. And then the last six guys, so there must be 21, unless my maths is wrong. So the archive turns 25. The history of the Star Wars Collectors Archive, special collections, 40 years of the Star Wars holiday special collecting. Star Wars in a country far, far away, Argentina, collecting Star Wars fashion. Star Wars pinball and arcade collecting and Star Wars around the house. Uh, so back to you and Pete, any of those that you really want to get yourself off to? Yeah, I, I think there's quite a few there on that list actually that, that in, interest me. The Star Wars archive, obviously it's, that's people we know so that might be a, a visit because you know we, we, <laughs> we do use them quite a lot and uh, read their information and we will be doing it this podcast Star Wars Holiday Special now I mean I remember listening to a podcast a couple of years ago about stuff from the Holiday Special and it wasn't a great deal so yeah that, that could be I well I'm, I'm assuming we're going to get some big items in that so you know probably some costumes and props in that one as well I would imagine but um, yeah I'd be interested to see what, what's out there because I don't think there's a lot is there and I think the other, the other one there which I, I would really look for and I hope they do bring stuff with them is a Star Wars pinball and arcade collecting. I would love to see some actual ones that, because if I had the room, which I don't, I would love to have a room just full of arcades, um, Star Wars arcades. And uh, hopefully if Stuart wins the lottery one day, he can buy me an uh, original one I played when I was younger, the original Star Wars arcade game. But, uh, you know, obviously put it on your list, Stu, you know, when that lottery win comes through. Cheers, Stu. What? I think we've pretty much summed it up there quite well. I mean, there's 21 different panels here, and there's there's no weak links at all. You know, so if anybody's passing any of these and the queue doesn't look too big, and you, you know, you, you want 45 minutes or 50 minutes to take your weight off your feet, and you want to see something, listen to something that's incredibly interesting, and pick up a star tot, then you won't be disappointed in going to any of those. The people, the presenters on these, put a lot of time into it. I can imagine, I bet, you, I bet you there would have been 50 to 100 applications for panels and these are the best of the best and all of these guys who would be doing these I think it was a prerequisite that you had to be comfortable talking to people in the past, I think that was part of the application so they're all going to be top notch 
So I'm really looking forward to getting to as many of these as I possibly can, support our fellow collectors. And uh, you might, Lindsay, you know, I mean, I like, taste something like a Star Wars fashion. You might not realise it, but I'm not, not actually somebody who follows fashion. So even going to something like the collecting Star Wars fashion, I'm going to find that one really interesting. It's going to be a great, great panel, although it's not something I would ordinarily go and do. You, you honestly don't follow fashion? I uh, know, it's surprising, isn't it? Yeah, it's a real surprise. I'm shocked by a man who, who has a wonderful array of tracksuit bottoms and shorts. Uh, I, I am amazed. I'm staggered. Yeah, yeah. I, I set the scene. I don't collect the scene. But um uh, Jez and Pete, you know, you both said you know Toltoys, you've got Canadian or that was uh Stu and also Argentina as well, so three different countries per sectors on collecting Star Wars back in seventy seventy eighty five. Really looking forward to the collecting tracks, the you know, they're a huge part of celebration and thank you to everybody who's involved in them. We're gonna really looking forward to it. Celebration all year long. Are you ready to celebrate? I can't believe what I just saw. Rather than having an interview this month, I'm delighted to welcome uh, three stalwarts of the hobby, really, to come and we're going to we're going to go through celebration. Celebrations in about three weeks. So we're just going to go through and have a look at the history of celebration and how it's grown and how it's evolved and hopefully get some stories from these. Ones. So tonight I'm joined by Chris Fawcett. He was our interview on episode 17. Good evening, Chris. Good evening. Uh, we're going to call you CJ, aren't we, tonight? Yeah, because... that, would, that would work since we have another Chris here. <laughs> Yep, uh, we've also got Chris Tregulius here, who uh, was on episode 46's interview and is part of our Vintage Alliance. Good evening, Chris. Evening. Morning, Chris. Morning, chaps. Evening, chaps. Evening, Ron. <laughs> Evening, everyone. You sound like Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> Actually, I thought you were trying to make jazz. Yeah, that was, was a pretty good jazz, jazz impression. That. <laughs> And uh, finally, we've got Ron, who was our interview on episode 32. And again, 
helps us out with the Vintage Alliance, which I hope is on the case this month. Good evening. Evening. Can't do that. Yeah, morning, Ron. Uh, evening's all right for me. I'll, I'll let you guys call it evening, just uh, out of deference to your uh, late schedule here. But thanks for having us on. Hope you guys <laughs> are doing all right. Pleasure's all ours. Um, the thing is, it isn't actually evening here, so it is. I'm always recording the evening, so it's a bit weird. And uh, we're joined by Rich. So um, just to completely baffle you with his accent. Rich, good evening. <laughs> <laughs> good afternoon, guys. <laughs> this yeah. is going to go well, isn't it? <laughs> so I think you need the coffee, my friend. I said earlier that I needed to drink some coffee, but it sounds like you need coffee. I think I need wine or something, actually. I think it's a midday. <laughs> it's a... <laughs> Could do something a bit stronger. So like I just alluded to, we, we're going to go through uh, a bit about the celebrations from the start. And because you three have all, I, I take it you've all attended all of them. I have Chris G. Chris G. Uh, I've, uh, I've, I've been all done all. What did you miss, Ron? I've been to the American ones. OK, you've never traveled to any of the others outside I, of. I, no. And what about you, CJ? Have you? I've been to all the U.S. ones plus uh, the second one in London. Right, so you got them all covered, though, haven't we, really? Chris, you uh, you went to the Japan one as well. I did, yes. Right, it'd be interesting yeah, to get was... a bit on that. Okay, yeah. Right, so before we go into them, I just wanted to... Chicago is... Um, I think it's about three and a half weeks away at the time of recording. You're all probably involved in panels, different things like that. I just wanted to know what your involvement was this year. Go in any order we want. Ron? Um, I am doing a panel uh, with Sky Payne, Steve Danley, Gus Lopez... And uh, Chris G might be in there as well. I think that one's still in motion, but it's going to be um, focused on the Star Wars Collector's Archive for the 25th anniversary. Uh, so that's the one panel. I'm only doing one panel this year, which is uh, fewer than usual. And then just helping out. I'm helping out Todd Chamberlain right now with the uh, the, uh, the social room, which is next to or, or pretty close to probably where the, the panels are held. Uh, so I'll be helping out with some of that and also might help out with the, the Kivecast with their their podcast thing. But again, that's still in motion at this point. Have you had um, a part to play in all of them since the start, Ron? Uh, yeah, I think I've presented at every single one, although the first one, I guess it counts. But uh, that was kind of a hinky presentation. Um, so, yeah, I've been pretty much involved with the collecting track since 99. Absolutely right involved. Um, what about you, Chris? Got much planned this time? Yes, I, uh, as usual, I've been doing, uh, heading up the uh, the giveaways, working on Star Tots and getting everything in and shipped to the convention center. That's what we're doing right now. Got some last minute, you know, things that are being still manufactured and get it all to the warehouse and then it gets over to the convention center the day before. I'll be doing, uh, I'm on that archive at 25 panel. Uh, that Ron mentioned. Uh, that's just now starting to get together, kind of figure out. Sky's really leading that, what, what the content's going to be and how that'll work. And then I'm doing a another panel called uh, Kenner from Concept Model to Collectible. I'll be doing that with Jim Swearingen, of ex-Kenner guy, you know, the, from, from yeah. um, Toys That Made Us and Plastic Galaxy and you know, he was on the original design team, and we'll be going through early concept models um, from all the different toys in the the Star Wars um, from the Star Wars line specifically. Just because there's no time to do more than that, it's already long. And 
yeah, that's pretty much it. And then, you know, whatever else is going on in the collecting track area, but that, that's what I'll be focusing on. Have you been involved in the, the Star Tots since they started, since that was the lead? Yeah, actually, those were my idea. Are you amazed uh, yeah. at how um, how chase they are? Like uh, Jason Smith, I'm sure you're aware of him, um, Mr. Palatoy from the UK, will yeah. literally uh, go to a panel and come back out and join the queue. Um, I'm sure he enjoys the panels, but like Startop chasing to make sure he comes away with a, a complete <laughs> set, which <laughs> um, it seems like a big effort that does to me to go to a, an event like this and then spend your entire time like getting in and out, in and out all the time. But they're um, the whole property, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I think we've done really well with our giveaways pretty much uh, the entire time. Uh, just, you know, they, we, we created the giveaways as an incentive for people to come participate in the collecting track. Yeah. So they started in Celebration 3. We did trading cards, and um, I think Gus and Todd Chamberlain and Jeff Carell were the ones that really worked on those. And um, and those went well. You know, we had – and it drew, drew people in. Basically, you'd come in there. I think the cards were, like, on the seat, or they'd kind of hand them to you. But it wasn't – it was a little bit informal. It was Celebration 4 in Los Angeles when we uh, did the medallions – that's what re- it really was gangbusters. And we, we, we went from, you know, not many people around at the collecting track, uh, you know, especially the first collecting track, you know, in Denver, but in, in first one in Indianapolis, not so many. And then the, the third one, not so many, but the fourth one, oh my gosh, we had the fire marshal came through. It was like, you got to get these people out of these hallways. You got to, we had people just all over us. So it's really gone well since then. I mean, that really put us on the map in terms of the general attendance. And, you know, the Star Tots are, have become a big favorite because, you know, they're vintage inspired. They're, they're cute. People like cutesy items and just general fans. And I think they, they have a pretty wide appeal there. So it's, um, it's, 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 it's fun to see the, the excitement. I mean, for people going panel to panel, like you mentioned Jason doing, I mean, there's trading in the hallway. So we're, we're encouraging collecting by presenting and collecting as well. So it's, it's just, you know, all encompassing there. So you can, if you're not a collector, you can become a collector at the convention by collecting 20 star tots and going through that and meeting people. And so it's, it's, it's gone really well. Chris, we've got April Fool's Day coming up. So would you do me a favour and just put, because I know you, you you understand the variant market, can you put a variant star tot out on April Fool's? I just want to see Jason Smith's reaction. Oh, I'll see, maybe. Oh, bless him. I don't know if I have a variant. I don't have anything, if I can throw something together like that. But maybe, we'll see. Let me, let me think about that. That's a good <laughs> He should not want to sky as a star tot. <laughs> <laughs> so it would go well. CJ, what about yourself? Yeah, um, so I'm doing my normal, uh, you know, running the audiovisual portion, uh, which mostly involves wrangling all the presenters, like between now and the convention to get their PowerPoints all done and making sure those all look nice. And, you know, there's some consistent feel between them. So we have a professional look and, you know, I help run the run, run the stage and all the AV stuff on site. Um, And then. I'm also doing just one panel myself this year, but it's one I'm kind of excited about it because it's a new one. Um, me and David Gall are doing a panel on uh, arcade and pinball collecting from uh, you know 19. I, I don't remember the first game came out. 83, I think, was the first arcade style all the way up through today. So I'm focusing mostly on the arcade stuff, and Dave's handling most of the pinball stuff. So that'll be 
that'll be a pretty cool one and it's it's new as well so we're gonna have a lot of uh video in that one too showing people what these games actually look like so it'll be fun that sounds cool you've seen you've seen the lists of what's on there what if you were a, a punter and one that you're not involved in which, which where are you heading chris i know you've got the the list where would you be heading what would be your recommendation Oh my gosh, I should have had it out while I was talking to you so I could remember. I think there's another Argentina panel, um, looks interesting. There's a Star Wars Holiday Special panel, that'll be fun. A couple of guys really into Star Wars Holiday Special collecting, There's it's an amazing amount of uh, items for, for that one show. Of course, the prop panel's always always a, a fun one to go to and highly uh, desirable. That's probably the main ones, and there's some, there's some more. Ask Ron, and then I'll get back to you, and I'll tell you because I have a I'll have to look for the list. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have a list in front of me either, but um, I'd I'd give a shout out to Chris's panel for sure, the one on uh, the one with Jim Swearingen, because I saw pretty much a rough draft of a rough draft of it uh, in the panel that we did last year in in Nashville at the IC ICCCCCCC uh, event. Uh, and uh, that's going to be really cool for anyone interested in prototypes or early Kenner uh, production stuff or, or pre-production stuff. So make sure you check that out if you have any interest in that vein of collecting. Uh, other than that, you know, I, I usually try to hit the ones that my friends are doing. So, you know, it'd be cool to see CJ's or, you know, Gus Lopez's are always worth checking out. Uh, I know a lot of the people doing them. So I usually look at it and say, well, I know this person or that person, let me try to get in and see that one. Uh, so that's kind of how I approach it. But I haven't really even looked through the, the list of actual panels yet. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. What about you, CJ? Have you, have you seen the list? Yeah, I, actually, I'm prepared. I have the list in front of me, unlike these other guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's it. <laughs> uh, so the, the, the one I'm definitely really super interested in is uh, Brian Volkweiss is going to be doing a panel on the toys that made us. So that one I'm really interested to go to and see what they have to say about, you know, that show and, and what they did on the Star Wars episode. So uh, that'll be cool. And there's been some rumblings and rumors that maybe they're doing another, uh, like maybe season four, I guess, would be, which would be maybe next year. They might do another Star Wars one. So I don't know if that'll be announced there or, or what's going on with that. But I've, I've just heard some rumors about that. So I'm, I'm really interested for that one. The other one is is one I really have no idea what it is because all I have is a title. It's Star Wars Tiki Mashup. So uh, that's uh, Ken Tarleton and Matt Erickson. So I don't even have any clue what that even is, but the, just the title has made me curious. Tiki. Yeah, I think it's 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 uh, you know you've seen a lot of Tiki inspired Star Wars artwork and and products. Just using that, you know, like. The, South, you know, Polynesian style at Tiki art and how it's blended in and guys who collect that type of uh, mm. type of stuff, so, which is interesting. I didn't know a thing about it until I saw it on this. No. And for those you might know, Ken Tarleton was the Elvis trooper back in the day. So if you ever saw pictures of Guy Elvis Stormtrooper, that's him. He's sort of he's that's he's retired that now. But yeah, I'm not sure who the best person asked this to, but. Um, in track is one of the the major highlights for us going over to Chicago. We really enjoyed the ones in um, in Essen and Orlando last uh, couple of years ago. Um, so what I'm interested in is how much has it grown since Celebration One compared to what it is now in terms of number of panels, um, attendees, 
planning and preparation time. I mean, I'm sure it's exponentially bigger, but I just can't visualize uh, what what the difference is. Um, here, well, I, I can answer some uh, in terms of because I know how much is behind the scenes. Um, I can, the first one was sort of in in '99. Uh, I think Steve Sansweet was originally they you know um, approached him on Lucasfilm side to do something on the collectibles and he was too busy and he said hey you know should you let Gus Lopez do this so that's Gus was you know from the start the head of the collecting track so basically he's like hey you know send the note out to several people said hey we're gonna have a little stage we're gonna do presentations on collecting. You know, there was no AV at the time. We brought items and stood on the stage, like show and tell, like at your school, like grade school. And you had a microphone in hand and it was outdoors. Um, I forget how, how big this It was a small stage. I mean, uh, you probably couldn't have put more than 50 people on the stage if, if that. And no, that, that was just small presenters. I remember it, it was, being about like. 20 by 20, 20 maybe 20 by 20 i mean you could stand yeah, 50 people in there, right? anyway, 20 feet by 20 feet so what's like like maybe like four meters square and we stood up there and then people were just standing out in the because out on the tarmac because this was at a at celebration one was at a, at a old air force base um so you're out they, they set these tents up out on the tarmac out on this big you know paved paved grounds and then people just stood out there and they watched you standing up giving your presentation and you know, you're holding your item you're talking about it and and there was you know 5 10 15 20 people maybe out there there was all these people lined up it was funny to see people in lines to go to other like the big main tent which was where like Ray Park or Anthony Daniels would do something there was a line to get into the main building to go to the store and i think it was that that line that was really close to where we were. All people had to do was like turn around and face us instead of turning the other direction. And they could, and there were people literally with their backs turned to us, just standing in line, looking at nothing else or talking to each other. And then you just turned around. They would have seen us doing this. And it wasn't even that far. It was so funny to see these people. I thought, man, they're just sitting there on the floor. I could just turn around. You know, there's nothing else going on. That just goes to show you the apathy and, and about collectibles that some people have. So, and then fast forward, you know, in terms of, and then they grew, you know, in celebr in the second and third celebration, um, you know, we were indoors then for the second one, and I can't remember how many people the room held, but you know, we may have gone from say we say twenty people max to maybe you know fifty people there, and then celebration three probably wasn't that much more. It was, oh no, no, it was more because at that point then we had the, the trading card giveaways, and then. At four, we had the room held probably 150 people, 200. And then it was jam-packed because then we were giving away medallions, but we didn't create enough medallions for all the panels. So we had 20 panel or 16 panels. I think it was 16 panels. I think it was four panels a day for four days there, 16 panels. And we only had 12 medallions because we didn't anticipate needing – we, we didn't know what we were – you know, we, we just – did 12 we did 12 medallions because we thought hey we'll do like the 12 back figures so that was 12 figures 12 medallions but we had 16 panels so it was like the, the, the giveaways were random and then people didn't know when we'd have a giveaway so they showed up for every panel and people would be mad because at the end of the panel it's what gus would decide yes we'll give one away or we won't and some people were anyway 
we learned our lesson there. So the very next convention, we had the equal number of giveaways for panels. But we only had 12 panels at Celebration Europe and 12 giveaways. And then Japan was the same way. And then we got into the, I think it was five, Celebration 5 at that point. We had 16 panels and 16 giveaways. And so, th- and then the rooms were big. That was the first Orlando one, I think. So we were into like 300 people, 350. Yeah, it was 350. And then, and that's about as big as we've gone, um, just in terms of uh, room sizes. So uh, while the star tots and everything was, like the room was capped at 350. And the panels have, you know, we pretty maintained, maintained pretty well at 20 panels because you can't do that many more. You just can't, don't have enough time in a day. And then, you know, even it's a challenge there, especially people who want to try to collect all the collectibles, uh, all the giveaways, you know, to have to, like you said, Jason Smith, panel after panel after panel. There's a limit there. There's a limit also in cost. You know, it just costs to produce more items. So it's a pretty good cap, I think, running 20. It gives people a good chance throughout, throughout the day. You know, a lot of people don't care to see every one of them. They're just going to come there, maybe see two, three or four in the whole weekend. And they're, you know, take away a few items and that's it. You know, not not that many people are after full sets. Uh, but we do make it easier. Usually everybody knows that the, after the, the last panel on the last day, we'll have a giveaway with the remaining leftover Star Tots. So I remember Celebration London, the second one. Uh, we had our booth near the collecting <laughs> panel and the queue right. the things trying to get the medallions at the end, the coins. You're that's right. right. It was mental, and like some of them, like were going in and getting it, and they would come run out and get back on the end of the queue again to get back in there. It's just like that's right. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Power, power of free items, you know. Give away <laughs> something free, and people, and they're cool. You know, there are nice items. You know, I mean, there's ways to get them after. You know, you could buy things on eBay, and there's trading and stuff. But people like to do it in the moment. It's fun. It's just like trying to get swag, or you know, you just take you're caught up in that excitement. And the thing is, you know. I think you waiting in that in that line. There's something to show for it at the end. Well, you have some people that wait in those big main panels, you know, three thousand, four thousand seat theater to see, you know, Harrison Ford or whatever. Yeah, they're going to camp all night for that. But that panel's going to be on YouTube, you know, maybe even simulcast. So, and then you come away from that, you know, with empty-handed. You know, you have some memories, but you know, we make people wait in line. But you know, you wait in the line of one or two hours, you come away with an item. And then, I mean, I see some people, they walk out the door with, and they've, I've seen them sell their start top right there, 20 bucks, you know, to some guy. So, you know, you just made, you know, you could, you could work the angles, you know, with any convention and sell exclusives and, and find your way through it. So what about, um, so anyway, the, um, that's how it's grown in terms of t- people. What about with, with, with the giveaways while we're on, while we're on the collecting track, the giveaways, what about the people who are on there for the panel? Like, uh, if I was going to go to a collecting track panel, I'd be really interested in the topic. And I don't get in because there's a family of four gone in there who are just after the tots. I've got absolutely no interest in what they're saying. Does that happen a lot? It, it, it happens. I mean, it's is it a ton? I mean, there's the thing is, there's usually empty seats. Problem is, we, we have a problem with trying to get people to sit in order and bring them in there and then not leave empty seats between them. But yeah, there, there, there. That's always been a problem where you have people chasing the giveaways, and you know, you have family of four. And they're like, "Hey, my infant needs one," and whatever. And you know, it's the thing is, it's sort of par for the course now. I mean, Tony Damata and his crew of volunteers, you know, they're they're pretty savvy to all that. I mean, Tony's seen every bit of 
people trying to game the system and, and whatnot. So we try to be, we try to get people in, you know, as many as possible. And, you know, there are sometimes people just can't, they can't make the panel they want to see. So it's, it's a toss up there. You know, we, we try to make, to video these things and make it available after the fact. I mean, yeah. they're going to be doing that again this time. I think somebody new has volunteered to come in and, and film those. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. I don't think it's widespread or like tons of people who want to see panels can't get in. I think, uh, probably the biggest challenge is, you know, just getting in there and queuing up and waiting because you, you have to sort of miss the panel before sometimes to get in the next panel, especially like really heavy panels, like the Lego panels, usually popular, really popular. And the prop panels really popular. So it's, it's not, it's not a major problem and it's not a, it's yeah. not major. No, it does. Yeah. It, it does happen here and there. Um, so before we move on to the actual previous celebrations, I think we, well, while we're still on Chicago, we do need to give, need to give a nod to the archive party, which it sold out just like that, you know, <laughs> um, is incredible and so great for the charity. So Ron, can you, can you tell us about a bit about the charity and what they're doing and uh, fantastic news of it selling out. So, um, so quickly. yeah, great news. Um, they're given all the, the money for tickets is going towards a charity to help cats and dogs. Uh, so that's kind of the way, just how they want to run it. Uh, I think, you know, you'd have to ask Sky and Steve to be sure, but I think, uh, they're in a position where it's okay. We can charge 30 bucks. It sells out immediately. Um, or we could charge more. And I, my guess is that they kind of figured that with a higher price, I think it's 150, I think is the ticket price now. I think their thought was that it would sell out slower and people would have a chance to buy tickets. Um, it still sold out really quickly, um, which was a little bit of a surprise and I guess kind of speaks to the popularity of the event. Uh, you know, some were, were chapped about the ticket price. You know, I think there's probably some reasonable gripes about that because $150 is, is pretty pricey. Um, but you know, like those guys will tell you, it's for a good cause. Um, certainly the demand is there. And also there's an open bar, which if you don't drink, doesn't really matter. But for those who drink a lot, you know, like the Swedish guys, they'll be able to get most of their money's worth, or at least a good chunk of it just out of, the drinks they get, I suppose. Uh, but, you know, aside from all the price stuff that everyone's been talking about, it's a great event. Uh, you get food. There's there's games you can play. Um, there's like an auction, giveaways, lots of different little events going on. So it's kind of like a, a mini, I wouldn't say convention, but it, it's like an event of celebration, even though it's held separate from celebration. And I think this is the fourth one. So people who've gone to all of them, tend to look forward to it as one of the better social events from a collecting perspective at celebration. And, and Steve and Sky and the folks who helped them out really do pretty, uh, a pretty incredible job with making sure everybody has fun. I, I mean, it's a big undertaking. So I think you'd realize that, you know, if you've been to one of those, so you have to give those guys a lot of credit for making it successful uh, here in, uh, on the fourth go around, although it's been successful from the start, really. So the first one was in Orlando 2012. I, I take it the growth of this has been a bit like, like the collecting track, but not obviously this would have had a following to start with because the archives are very popular, popular uh, thing. The card cast is a very popular thing. So it's yeah. quite easily. Uh, yeah, I think they probably were selling out from the start. You know, 
the folks who go tend to be the same folks who you so you associate with on social media or back in the day on Rebel Scum. And then there's there's other people too, but it's that it's that whole crew. So all the folks that we associate with from a collecting perspective on on the internet are the main audience. And uh, so it's basically like the chance to get together with all those people and socialize in a kind of a managed setting with, you know, food and, and events and whatnot. So, uh, but yeah, I don't know if it's like the collecting track, like, like Chris mentioned, the collecting track has, has honestly seriously gone from something that almost no one showed up at <laughs> for a smattering of people to something that there's huge lines for. Uh, the archive party has been pretty popular from the start, but they've managed to kind of make it bigger and better, you know, as they've gone along. Yeah. Just going to ask, um, maybe CJ can go on this one. Um, back in Celebration One, when we started doing the collecting track stuff, um, was there always the level of respect for people who were putting that thing on and attendees who were going, or did that grow over time? And at which point did it change? If so. Well, I think definitely that first one, like Chris already said, it's like people standing in line that could have paid attention that just weren't just completely ignoring us. I mean, that first one was really kind of strange. I think if I recall, it happened very, very, very late. Like it was only a few weeks before uh, the convention that Gus started, you know, Steve asked Gus and he started emailing people saying, hey, we're going to do this. You know, we've got like three weeks to pull it together. Um, but uh you know, I think, you know, the 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 tots is an interesting thing, because if you if you looked at it at first glance, you might go, oh, well, you know, it's, it's something that you're kind of bribing people to come to the thing. And so you're going to get a lot of people there that don't really care. And, you know, that's true of a few things. But what I've also seen is that um, you get people who maybe come just for that, but then they sit through a panel, especially some of the you know, more interesting ones and they find that they really enjoy it and they really learn something and it's really interesting. And I think, uh, you know, maybe it's, yeah, it's the top maybe that got them there, but it's, I see very few people that are just uh, there for the tots and literally like, you know, looking, watching, reading their phone while their panels going on or most people that come actually do pay attention, even if, they didn't really come because they necessarily were interested in the panel. And so I think that's an interesting dynamic that uh, maybe talk about how, how the respect has gone up, Um, you know, just getting people to come to it and realizing how interesting and great it is, uh, I think has really sort of raised the respect level of, of that whole uh, track of celebration. And uh, so that's, that's, that's been really good. That's been kind of my experience with it. Yeah, just to jump in on what CJ said, I mean, I think you have to realize, but even the first Indianapolis, my memory is that there was not many people in that room for most of those panels. It was pretty sparse. I I could look around and see mostly my friends. Uh, So like CJ said, I mean, there's an aspect of, you know, you're sort of bribing people to show up uh, because once we started doing the, especially, especially the medallions, um, people really started to come and you know it is what it is it's either there's kind of like apathy like we had at denver with people not really caring or there's people really really caring in part because they're getting something uh so i don't know if there's a good in between ultimately i think the way it's worked out like cj said it's awesome to have that many people involved in a collecting topic and if they show up 
and they enjoy something and learn something, then I guess the collecting track is kind of serving its purpose. Uh, so, I, you know, I think the giveaways have been an essential aspect to that whole culture. Without that, it wouldn't be the same. I find that quite surprising, though, because I take it Rebel Scum was around from the very early celebrations. I don't know what year that kind of coincided. Um, oh, yeah, it was. Uh, a few other random people. I mean, there was people who showed up, but it was very sparse. <laughs> and it was kind of, you know, now with the um, the collecting track, there's a line and it's like, OK, we're going to boom, we're going to let you in at this time. And then the doors kind of shut, except for a few latecomers. It was more of a doors are open and people can filter in and out. So when people would come in to sit down uh, because they were tired from walking and just kind of space out, it was just, you know, a lot of you felt like you were kind of an also ran. And that was maybe not the best way to handle it. But there was definitely people there, especially the Rebel Scum crowd. But it wasn't anything like it is now i mean it completely changed with the medallions uh and that was intentional because i mean we started doing the cards you know in the third celebration because turnout was pretty low and interest was pretty low uh without a giveaway so that that whole thing came out of realizing that people a lot of people just didn't care that much so let's go back to celebration one first of all i'm sure one of you could tell me this where, where did celebration originate from where was that concept? I I think um, it was Dan Madsen <clears throat> who ran the fan club at the time. I don't know who came up with the word celebration, but they wanted to do – and that was sort of – celebration, you know, like CJ said, our, the, the collecting track sort of fell together really late at the game. The whole celebration event was thrown together really late. I mean it was in Denver because the, the fan club and Dan were, were in Denver. So they found a place, you know – it wasn't even at the convention center, right? It was at that air air. It's called Winds Over the Rocky Wings Over the Rockies Air Force Museum or something. It was an old Air Force base, and they were like, "Hey, we can put some tents up here. We'll just have people come." And so they sort of threw it together because they wanted to promote the Phantom Menace. You know, that was that was the big thing. So it was in April. You know, the movie was coming out a month later. So it, I, I can't. It's been twenty years now, it, but how how long it took for them to get that together but that was the gist of it you know and it was very ad hoc you know they just lucasfilm sent you know a big x-wing down there um i don't know where that x-wing came from that was an fa schwartz x-wing but they had they they put some props down there you know and and in the main building there wasn't a whole lot and i didn't spend i spent most of my time around the collecting track area but you know they had the big main tent out there there was a big tent for the dealers that was a big draw there wasn't the um where the tent was where the there were there was pretty much dealers only there weren't companies that i remember um but it was amazing some dealers we people we'd never seen they just came out of the woodwork and and set up in there and it was there was some great stuff there was really great stuff at that um vintage pieces to be had at, at, at that and and I can't remember if there was another smaller tent, but the main tent, I mean, people would wait outside. It'd be rainy and cold, and they're waiting to get into that main tent to see like Ray Park and 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 Tony Daniels and and, uh, and but then they they couldn't plan for the rain that happened. You know, it was just it was amazing, and there was nowhere for the water to go. So you know, was, I remember specifically one time looking at the dealers. You know, the, the tent started to leak here and there. Dealers were frustrated because you know their items were getting wet, and there were you know 
and there was like water gushing underneath one of the sides one time going because the tent was over one of the drains, one of the natural drains in the tarmac area. I mean, water it was like a fire hose coming in under the under the under the tent. So it was, you know, planning for rain. You know, they have these events like this. It was funny because I watched Netflix has a, a documentary called um, it was a fire fest. They had this fire festival. It was in the Bahamas or something. It was just a complete disaster. And I kept looking at it thinking that something kind of like that happened as for its celebration over the years or this could happen to us. You know, it was it was amazing to see, you know, like w- what disasters might happen. But man, it was torrential. Your, your it was mate. it was torrential. It really was, you <laughs> know, and the fact it was mostly outside and it was still kind of cold. I mean, it was early April. So um, it was I mean, I remember one time taking the rental car and and going out to different stores to try to buy umbrellas. You know, I was just trying to scoop up any umbrellas I could find to bring back for people to use because it was it was crazy. crazy. What what kind of footfall did Celebration One have? The amount of people showed up yeah. in total. Yeah. Oh Jesus, I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I, I don't know it offhand. What? That's... I'm sure it's something we could look up somewhere. I, could, I, I kind of found the attendees from Celebration 3, but I couldn't find any kind of figures for one or two. It was certainly way I'll less. A third, a third of three, maybe. Celebration 3, it, um, it was rumoured to be around 34,000. Oh, yeah, God, no, yeah, nowhere. Yeah. That's crazy. That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, if it was 10,000, it would surprise me. Yeah. And what about room sales? Did that did that start Celebration 1, or, or was that further down the line? Yeah, it started. So that's been from the get go. Yeah, that was when it was rooms. It was room sales because it was it's funny. We still call it. Sometimes I try to tell people maybe we should call it hotel sales. But, you know, room sales just sticks because but it's still it was room sales literally in first, second and third celebration Four, we started with room sales, but we got kicked out really soon. And that's when it went down to the lobby and we'd stayed at the lobby ever since celebration Four. But one was literally a room sales, you know, but it wasn't that many people. Um, there's a photo on the celebrate on the collecting track Facebook page. We have different photo albums and um, there's one for each celebration. And you can see a picture. You know, we did. We took a big group photo out on the balcony um, over the staircase of most of the people that were at room sales. I mean, there's a few people missing, but, you know, there's 20 people in that, you know, and it was just because and that was because you had decided. I think we were at Doubletree Hotel or something like that. And um, all the collectors decided, hey, let's all stay in this one hotel. And then just naturally, people had just brought stuff because that's how collectors are. You know, people just show up with things. I don't even think there was a concerted effort to say bring stuff. I think it was just like or maybe we did. But it, it, mostly it was like people just kind of knew other people were going to be around. So it's a good time to just wheel and deal. Well, and then certainly it grew from there in terms of people specifically bringing items. The one thing about those first few celebrations that we kind of couldn't continue is that uh, we would try as a, you know, with, with only, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 collectors and all knowing each other and going, we'd have somebody would call the hotel and we'd all try to get the same floor, the same hall. So especially at C1, I think like that whole entire floor and that entire wing of the hall, you know, get on the elevator and turn right was all collectors. So it was pretty easy to, just throw open the doors and have people, you know, walk in and out of the rooms and down the hall. And the reason why it kind of died is because uh, I think Celebration 3 maybe, um, 
we've tried that again and it got harder and harder to get the hotels to agree to block out a room for people um, as the conventions got bigger. And so one year there was, we pretty much got a floor, but there was like two or three random non-collecting people that also happened to get hotel rooms on that floor. And so, you know, we're up at midnight, one o'clock in the morning and there's now 50, 60, a hundred people roaming this hallway and, you know, 90% of your rooms are open and collectors, but then you got that one room right in the middle of it all. And of course, what are they, they're trying to sleep and they have a little kid and it's two in the morning. And so you get complaints and we got shut down. So that's the point we, we kind of moved it into out of the actual hotel rooms and into a lobby or, or somewhere else in a hotel or in the convention center. It's, it's, it's largely because of the fact that we couldn't continue to get large blocks to be guaranteed that all the collectors were on the same floor next to each other. And so, uh, you know, we couldn't disturb other people that weren't in our, in our little collecting realm with that any, any longer. So, you know, and now it would be impossible. I mean, you've seen how many people have come to the last few room sales. It's go, it's, it's grown exponentially. So it, yeah, it's at that point, it's impossible. And now you can hardly even find a room space big enough in a big open area, much less trying to cram in a ho- hallway. Yeah. Also, you've seen room sales or something like room sales at other other events. So, like when we have the Cincinnati show, which happens usually in the fall, but there's usually a, a hotel sale that happens there. You know, Nashville, there was something like that. So it's moved out of celebration in a lot of ways. Yeah, many shows. The Chicago show has room sales like multiple nights ahead of the the actual toy show. It's crazy. I went to my first one after 20 years of hearing about that show and they, they to see room sales start Wednesday night for a show for a toy show. That's like, starts like a Saturday and Sunday. It's, it was amazing to see that, but just goes to, you know, and it adds to the social aspect and, you know, people like wheeling and dealing and having fun trading. So that's, you know, I remember one time, I think it was, I think it was celebration five. The dealers were mad that people were able to do these, Sort of, they weren't. Room sales never sanctioned. They're never planned outright because it's just better to just do it on the fly. But you know, the dealers were pissed. You know, they were paying you know one or two thousand dollars to have a booth at the show, and here's all these people planning to go and just set up their stuff and sell for free. You know, so people were not. The dealers weren't happy with that. But then sometimes you'd see dealers show up at the room sales too. So just you know, it it, it was a smaller crowd. I think now it's gotten too big. I think the fact that people started asking about room sales months and months in advance is just a bad sign. I think, you know, it, it needs to be self-policed. I hope this time, you know, we got shut down last, uh, where were we last? Orlando. Um, because people went into the conference rooms and pulled the chairs out. And they disrupted because these conference rooms were set up for the next morning for like paid events that, you know, the people that the hotel was putting on and the guys got in there, wrecked the chair. So hopefully this time people need, if they, we can just make sure people just are like squatting in the halls. That's the best thing. You just stay yes. out of the room. If you go to these things, don't be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> like one, I think John Peck, who's a friend, but he set off a stink bomb at room sales. I mean, oh. <laughs> like, that, like, come on, like we're trying to, to run an event here and people are supposed to be having fun. But uh, anyway, yeah. Um, 
Speaking of room seals, and obviously we hear a lot about, I think it was Celebration 2 with the Steve Denny um, proof cards and various other things. Um, what are your favourite memories of room seals? So we'll start that one with Ron and then we'll go CG then, Chris. Jeez, favourite memories of room seals. Um, well, since you since you put it on the tee for me, I'm going to hit, hit it right off. I guess Steve Denny showing up, was it Celebration 2? So it was. It was in Indianapolis. So it was either two or three. <clears throat> I think it was. Maybe oh, three. I can't remember now. Yeah. Anyway, it was one of the Indianapolis ones. Um, and we I'm were pretty sure that was two. Two. All right. Yeah. We'll see two. Um, so it was when we were still doing room sales in rooms. Uh, and Steve Denny, for folks who don't know, is is like a legend in the prototype collecting communities. An older guy. He's probably. In his late fifties to early sixties at that point. No, no, he's in his seventies now. I know he is now, but back then. Oh, oh at the time, no, no, time he was like in his forties, early forties. Oh no, 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 no. years ago. <laughs> no, 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 you're well, right, Rob. Accurate the first time, right? So he was, so he was like maybe sixty or late fifties at that point, and um, mid fifties, and he had uh, a huge proof card collection, right? So. Um, he had gotten these things from Kenner, and he was the main source of proof cards for the collecting community uh, for years. And then <clears throat> decided that yeah, he wasn't going to let these trickle out, so he was selling them maybe for hundreds of dollars a piece. He was going to lower the prices and blow them out at, at uh, Celebration. So he went and he had some helpers. Uh, Dan Flarida and John Wooten helped him out, and he set up in a room boxes and boxes of proof cards, right? And as, as well as block, box flats and other stuff as well. And the prices were pretty reasonable. I want to say it's like under $100 for most of those proof cards, a lot of them anyway. Uh, so you could buy, people were buying stacks of these things, you know, for $500. Uh, and that was not possible before and hasn't really been possible since. And, you know, there was such a, that was the first room sales. I remember crowding being a big issue because people were there and they were lined up and Dan set up like a velvet rope from hotel uh, management outside the room to keep people in line. And he would, they'd let you into the room for a, a little bit of time. You could pick your stuff, say hi to Steve, uh, buy things and leave. And I remember going with Chris and we were there and uh, the attitude was kind of like, oh, geez, the, there goes the market on proof cards, you know, because he's blowing these things out. You know, people are going to see how many there are and they're going to their interest is going to wane because who would be buying these things? when there's just stacks and stacks. But how wrong, how wrong we were, because, you know, since that time, the value of those things has just gone nuts. Um, I would guess Steve probably doesn't regret it too much because, you know, it is what it is. And he was still making his, his piece of money on all those things. But I mean, when you see him selling a return of the Jedi approved card for $80 or whatever, and now it's thousands, um, it is kind of funny to think about, but yeah. that's gotta be one of the, the craziest things that's happened at, at room sales. Those proofs were cheap. They were like 20 and 30 yeah. and 40. I know that the box they were cheap. Was like 20. Yeah. Buying a couple of those, but. I don't. Yeah, that, I, there was a range too. I mean, like if it was a Star Wars proof, it was more, and certain characters might have been more. But they were definitely they were under a hundred dollars for a lot of them. And uh, yeah, so, I, I bought a couple of box flats because I was more interested in those. You know, kick yourself things you should have done. But uh, you know, if I had bought them, I probably would have sold them anyway when they were a, you know went up a little bit. I would never have kept them that long. But uh, yeah, that 
especially in hindsight, that's probably the legendary room sales thing. Although there's been other good stuff as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's really hard to beat that one. So the only other thing I can I can say is uh, for me personally was like the the first time I really brought a lot of stuff to sell, um, which was just uh, at the last Orlando one I think, or maybe maybe the first Orlando one. So you know I'd never really experienced room sales from that side. I mean, there's been times I've had a few things here and there, but but that one year, me and James Simpkins, uh, you know, brought a lot of stuff and. It's just it's kind of uh, a different experience when you're a seller than a buyer. The negative is that I I didn't hardly get to go get to go around and look at anything, so there wasn't any opportunity for me to try and find something I wanted for myself. But it was just kind of fun to to be there and you know meeting new people and talking to people and trying trying to manage stuff spread out on the floor, make sure it doesn't get stepped on, and you know you have six people asking you at once how much is this one, how much is this one, and you're like kind of put it in people in order and like okay you're first then i'll get to you then i'll get to you so it was it was kind of interesting um in that regard uh you know but that's that's more of a personal story about it than than uh maybe an interesting story about it in general but yeah the proof cards there's i don't think you're ever gonna top that that sale at celebration too that was just that was just ridiculous you know there's been other events too like uh one year just off the top of my head maybe fluffy the guy we call Fluffy and Todd Chamberlain rolled in with a just a big a big box full of four ups, you know, micro collection four up hard copies. So there's been other cool stuff just put out there for sale over the years. Yeah, Fluffy had um, I think it was um, Celebration Three. He had a, a Kenner employee um, and his wife came and set up in his room, and they were selling uh, oh, yeah. fir- first shots from you know 1999. You know, 2000, 2000, you know, early 2000s, um, tons of first shots. I mean, he had a lot of people coming in the, you know, in and out of the room and they did pretty well. But the wife was like super paranoid. You know, she thought everybody was there to rip them off and steal from them. And it was that was kind of bad. But um, it was fun to see, you know, that, that, that he helped the, you know this Kenner guy come and, and they, they sold a lot of first shots. But I think probably my biggest I mean, yeah, the, the proof cards were awesome just from like oh my gosh can't believe it turned up here but just like from a social standpoint and from a success standpoint i think us getting kicked out like cj mentioned doing the trying to get the rooms and all that was a just the biggest chore you've ever gone through and we tried it it was celebration four we couldn't there was a few rooms in between and that's what that's what got us we got thrown out pretty quickly like but then they the security was great they were like Go downstairs. There's a bar down by the ho- by the lobby. It's empty. You guys can set up there. They were totally cool, and that was that was so great. That was really so great. They they totally diffused it the right way, and and we all moved down there. And then all of a sudden, you had more room. Everybody could spread out. People started bringing drinks down there. It became more of like a social hangout event, not just a because there was no food and drink at the first few. It was just guys in the room, right? And it was starting at four when when you were not in the rooms so and people started bringing, you know, they brought beer and whatever. But there was more room. They could spread stuff out. All of a sudden, it looked like 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 a show floor. You weren't going room to room and everything was isolated. You know, you could see it all. You know, you could see the crowds. And we just hung out there for hours and hours and hours. You know, we talked and, you know, and, and people milling about. So that was, to me, probably the best 
one in terms of how that morphed and, and it turned into, you know, sort of what it is now. I was going to say, has there, has there ever been a disastrous one where it's shut down early, you haven't found somewhere else to set up, and it's kind yeah, of the just one, flat? Yeah, the last one. The last one did. It got, it got shut down early, you know, and the, the security guy was walking around, and he wasn't happy, and eventually he was like, all right, you're out. But at that point, it was too late. There was no way to, like, move it anywhere, so it just sort of shut down, you know, an hour or two after it started. That was probably the most disastrous one. That's why I say, you know, online, I got to, was telling people, you know, like, hey, you know, self-police the same. If you see people moving, don't, you know, it was because it was specifically because the furniture got moved around. I think otherwise they're not that bothered by, it. you know, it's just people sitting around in these, you know, we were doing it by the conference rooms. You know, those are areas not really used anyway. And you can see people are, 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 um, going to the bar to get drinks so they're selling drinks they're you know it's it's benefiting the hotel it was only until that those those rooms got disheveled that, that it got messed up so hopefully this time we'll find a place that works out and people have talked about maybe we should get a real room and all that but that's that's you that's never going to work because the hotel is not going to rent you a room that because their, their events shut down at like you know 11 p.m i think it's probably the latest you could go maybe even 10 so it's that's after that's before we even start you know, and they, if they're, they're, you're not going to be able to get a room. And then it's like, what do you do? Charge money. And then it's just better that it just forms organically. It, it's, it only lasts a few hours and then it's done. You know, it's it, it works as long as people are cool and they and they ever keep other people in check. Yeah. Show a bit of respect. That's all it really is, isn't it? So, yeah. yeah. Like Chris mentioned, I mean, getting kicked out and moving down to the lobby was a big deal. I remember people calling it cantina sales because it was like by the bar and it was just everybody. It was like a big party. I mean, that was uh, people just looking around, couldn't believe how amazing it was. And even today, I, you know, random people who I don't know or ask when, where room sales are and what time they are. I always just think like, geez, what a, what a cool tradition this is to have grown out of 20 people in their rooms and is now, this thing that all these people know about, it happens at all these different conventions. I mean, it's pretty impressive. It's kind of one of the more impressive, uh, cultural things to, you know, that, that's been added to collecting, um, from the celebration stuff. Yeah. I think the hottest room sales have always been Europe. So we, we had, uh, in Essen, remember we had that side room. We just sort of took over that room, but you know, it, and they're not running the air, the air conditioning there because it's after hours and then people are just sweltering because of the heat. And then it's celebration. And then the third Europe one in London, we were in that small area and the, um, I forget what the hotel that was. That was the biggest, listen, I like that day I went scouting around to all the, the hotels that were around, um, the convention center and that was the best area that was the only air open area to get so as it, it's it's also a difference between sort of like european buildings and american buildings where there's just huge grand op, open spaces you know i think there's a just a benefit there but ha we'll see i'm, I'm curious to see what will happen for this yeah. this one coming up so just moving on through a couple of the events. I know we've touched on the odd one. Let's let's just move up to Celebration 4. When Chicago was announced, everyone was like, oh, it's the first five-day event. But Celebration 4 on the 30th anniversary was also a five-day event when I looked it up. But May the 24th, the first the first day of that event, was for Hyperspace Fan Club members only. What on earth was the Hyperspace Fan Club? Yeah, that was uh, back when you know the companies were first starting to really get on board with the Internet. 
um, you know, a lot of them were trying to figure out how to monetize the web and Star Wars Lucasfilm was no exception. And they had a uh, part of their website, starwars.com, that was pay only. So I forget how much it was, probably $20 a year or something like that. I don't remember. But uh, And on that, there was a bunch of exclusive content. So they would post videos and, and a lot of behind-the-scenes pictures and things like that just for those those members only. I think there was also some exclusive stuff like in their merchandise store, possibly that only those members could get. But uh, so that's what that would have been. The hyperspace was, was a paid section of, of the website. So I guess those, those people got in, were able to get in early. I, I'd totally forgotten about that. Were you all members of the hyperspace club? No, I think I, think I no. might have been for a very, very short period of time. I might have subscribed for a month or two just to check out what it was about, but it, it really was not. There wasn't a value there. I thought it was, it was mostly just some video and and photo content, which was cool, like behind the scenes pictures and photos and stuff. But it wasn't worth what they were charging. That eventually, that I don't think that lasted very long. Maybe a year or two, and they shut that. Yeah, down. I don't think so either. You'd see some. You can sometimes you can still see. Um, JPEGs and things around that'll have that little yellow hyperspace club uh, icon in the corner of the of the of the um, the picture. And that was one of the first places I think they showed the behind the scenes footage, like the Bigs and Luke's stuff. But honestly, until you, I don't even, I don't, I don't really remember that that being that, that them having a thing extra day for hyperspace members right now. I just don't remember that. I think I think it was just the exhibit hall. We would have been setting up that day for the panels and getting stuff together and medallions doing that stuff. So we would have been there, but that wouldn't have been a, an official day for, for non-members, I guess. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, but I just, I just I've never heard of it. it. I just I came across it. I was like, Oh, that's it. Yeah. yeah, guys. So I was a bit surprised the first time I'd heard this was in celebration London and I was talking to a few collectors and they were heading home. I said, well, you, you've only been here a couple of hours. And they went, oh, we don't do all this Star Wars crap. We're only here for the toys. And I was, I was really, really surprised. So I was just wondering, guys, what do you get out of celebration? So we'll start off with uh, Chris. We'll go opposite way around. So we'll start off with Chris and CJ. Then one on that one. Um, I, I just enjoy doing the stuff for the collecting track. I really enjoy, you know, doing the giveaways and seeing how those, you know, go. You know, seeing those realized, you know, the first time we even see those is when we get there. I don't see those things ahead of time. We don't, you know, as we have from different suppliers coming in there, we put them all together. Um, just the social aspect, you know, it's funny because my wife, she hates it because I don't, she's like, we never go do anything that's part of the convention. I was like, I don't really care. You know, I'll go between if I'm either collecting track or I'm down somewhere visiting people on um, the show floor. You know, I, I don't really go to the big panels i'm not going to wait in line for stuff you know sometimes we wait in line to go we'll go through the r2 builders just to kind of see stuff or if there's some open thing we can go to mostly it's just there socializing and that's the only time you're going to see everybody from all over the world show up you know and it's and even when i go to run an errand somewhere i have 20 conversations because there's just people you know you see and then you stop and you have a chat so it's not it's like a good backdrop. The Star Wars is a good backdrop for it, but really for me, it's more of a just the time to hang out and socialize. And you know. and then getting swag is fun. People are being really creative now. Um, it's almost gotten too crazy, but that's kind of fun, you know, to see what people come up with and uh, they'll trade their item to you. But again, that's more on the social aspect. That's my take. 
Yeah. So for me, um, yeah, I would agree with all that. It's the main reason to go is, is the social aspect, seeing friends that you only see once every year or two and, and having all of them together. Um, that said, some of the other things I like, I mean, I really like just roaming the exhibit hall floor and, you know, you know, I'm not, I don't really have a fairly narrow niche of collecting. So just to walk around there and see all kinds of stuff that I've never seen before, you know, that even if I have no interest in buying it, I just like roaming around and, and taking a look at things and, and finding interesting things that I think are neat to see and look at that I've never seen. And I'll, I'll usually try to hit a couple panels here and there. Um, tend to be pretty busy running the AV stuff. So I don't tend to get out to get to a lot of them, but uh, you know, some of the things I like uh, if there's ever any panels from any of the behind the scenes guys, especially like the model makers from the films, uh, that kind of thing I really go for, um, you know, sometimes a particular author or something that I like, I might, I might go check out a panel or something. I don't, I don't really generally try to get into the big ones because I don't really have time to wait in the lines anyway with, with you know all the work we have to do to run the the collecting track but i try to sneak into some of those smaller ones that you could you know maybe literally walk in on even after it starts and and uh just check out a few interesting things and try to find some random stuff that just you know maybe i i uh didn't even know i would would have been interested in but i've got an hour to spare and i'll just find some panel i can walk in on and just sit and listen so it's kind of fun uh yeah like uh like the other guys for me it's mostly about the socialization and seeing collectors uh i don't i think the only actual sort of talk non-collecting talk i ever waited in line for at a celebration was at celebration one i think it was with chris to see like a preview of uh the phantom menace so they showed like a preview that had never been seen before i remember doing that i think that's the only thing i've been to that's non-collecting uh, last time I did wait in line to see the Steve Sansweet Rancho Obi-Wan exhibit, which was really cool. Uh, that was on the, the showroom floor. I spent a lot of time on the floor. Uh, I like to go to the um, club uh, tables. So like the Empire State Club, which I'm in, has their own table. And I manned that for a few hours last time around. The other clubs have tables and you can go down there and sort of talk to the folks from Singapore or, you know, the various collecting clubs. That's fun. No lines. You know, I like to see my friends who are set up on the show floor who are selling items. Uh, that's cool. And I, I like to filter through just the rooms that don't have a line and just see how things are going. Um, spend a lot of time in the collecting track. Even just go back to the hotel sometimes during the con and hang out with whoever's there. Uh, that's kind of a celebration for me. Um, there's a lot of folks, even collecting-oriented folks, who will do the whole um, wait in line and see George Lucas or whoever's there to talk. You know, some of that's like overnight waiting in line. And and that's cool. It's just I have basically zero interest in that. I'm not waiting <laughs> to see that stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think you'll find that from a lot of collecting folks that they do pretty much what CJ, Chris and I just described. Uh, there are some who do other things, but there's an awful lot who just go for the the socialization and for kind of seeing what all the collectors are doing. Yeah, I would agree with that. None, none of you would ever sleep on a, a concrete floor then. To, oh, God. Zero <laughs> no, chicks. Yeah. It seems like bonkers to me as well. Hey, I'm not even – I didn't think I'd wait two hours. Yeah. Because I, those spaces, they live cast those things. It's like I, I – yeah. I have a no lines policy in general. Like, <laughs> for work, I was in Orlando, and I had a day free, so I went to one of the parks, and I'm just like – that's fine. You can walk around the park and, and check it out. But anything with a line, like forget. I look at the, the estimates, and people are like, "Oh, it's only 
it's only 90 minutes. I'm like, I'm not sitting there for 90 minutes to get to, get to go on a 90 second ride. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, now I will do that. I'm a roller coaster fanatic. I will wait. I've waited two hours to ride an amazing roller coaster because and that's the only time <laughs> you can't you can't watch that on YouTube. Yeah, I have later no tolerance for anything that has like a line like this. <laughs> Just and and especially when it's like, I mean, it, last celebration, people waited overnight to see the trailer that at the same time was going to be on the internet. <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah, I find that uh, kind of a. But people like it. They like people loved it. They came out of it like exultant you know the fact that they got yeah. this trailer with all these other people was like a major thing for them so i you know i guess people like that so more power to them yeah we need we need you need it you need it i mean i sort of make fun of it in one sense but in that other sense you really need those kind of fans doing that you need people who want to come there and walk around all day long in a stormtrooper outfit it works because everybody's doing everybody's got their corner of it and they do that and then as a whole it makes it for a big variety, a big variety and experience. So I think, and that, and that, and that, that speaks to, uh, you know, when you have people willing to wait all night and stuff, you know, that, 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 that makes some little headlines and things. And, and it gives people to, something to talk about. And it's a big focal point. So if everybody just said, oh, we just go there, we'd go to the hotel at night and we hang out during the day. Nobody would want to go to celebration, you know, fans. So it's, you need all those types of people. And luckily with 30, 40,000 people, there's plenty of each group to do everything and, and, and do their part. And I mean, there's people that go and the diorama and they'll sit and build dioramas all day long. I mean, that's, I mean, and it's fun, I guess, to go through their look. You know, I'll go check those out too. But, you know, I wouldn't do that. But, you know, there's people that want to go and do that. So, and there's people, you know, they'll, like Jason Smith, they'll go wait line after line after line to get all the star tots. You know, it, it works because everybody's got their little, you know, little, yeah. little, little pieces that, that make the whole. I don't know if the store is still a thing, but I remember being amazed. Maybe they do it differently now, but there was a time when you had to wait online forever just to buy convention stuff. I think that's still, still, it's still, it's still yeah, the same. Wait, like, it's hours and hours to buy these things. I just oh, be that, like, what? That, is like, wrong? uh, that one at Celebration 2, I believe. Um, I think they were selling, that was the first year Hasbro did one of the exclusive figures for, there were people literally that waited in line eight hours. Uh, I just, like, I can't, the whole I can't. day they just stood in line to buy that figure. And I'm like, and you know, yeah, they were selling for more afterwards, but it was like, why, why would you, you know, better to pay two or three times the price. You're at a convention. You paid a lot of money to be there, you know, yeah. and then they stand in line all day to get this figure. They could have bought a week later on eBay. Yeah. It would cost them double, but you just save yourself eight hours. But that yeah. was the worst of it. It got, it's gotten progressively better. I think every year, but that first year was just, was just insanity. The line was crazy. They had like 10 checkouts or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and it was, yeah, that it's people really got upset and I, I don't blame them waiting in line eight hours to you know buy some exclusive merchandises was a little ridiculous. It's probably important. I'm sorry, but it's probably important to realize that, I mean, we're bad people to ask because like Chris said, that it takes all kinds to make this convention work. And a lot of people are going there and they're, 100 percent expecting to wait in line that's just part of what they're expecting to do so it's it's like oh yeah we're gonna wait on this line and do this and it's not a big deal for them whereas for someone like me it's like i 
that that's really not what I'm there for, and it's not what I expect out of the con. So it seems horrifying, but for a lot of people, it's like like I said, it's like they're going to Disney and they're going to wait on a bunch of lines, and that's just part of their the, what they're expecting from the show. So it's no big deal. Um, so keep that. I do know that the line that the line thing works out for some people who don't know lots of people. They enjoy the socializing of the line, so they do get the socialization there while yeah. they're in line for something. So there is a benefit there. It's not just like a, a chore, like Rob said. You know, some people are expecting to do it. I think some people look forward to it. I think if they don't know a lot of people, if you're not really active and you've met a lot of people online, I think we're we're in a different boat and maybe jaded because we've grown up and we've met everybody online. We're all sort of in the same say both there but i think you have a lot of people who are fans but they don't really interact with other fans until they get to something like that and then they're happy to do it in the moment and and yeah. so I, i've seen quite I a few people on the facebook groups who are traveling to chicago alone and hoping to meet meet people not even with a companion it's yeah um, i don't think i could do that but um yeah just before i move on a little bit more um chris you, in 2007, obviously, there was celebration in L.A., and then literally several weeks later was in London. You went to both, did you? Yes, I did go to both. <laughs> yeah, that London one sort of was like, they threw that together fast. It was like, oh, my God. You know, we, um, we, well, what, and then it was like, like how... Track? Were they, um, was it like Carbon Copy? Was it taken uh, over from the other one, or was it a complete fresh yeah. lineup? Oh, man, I don't remember content-wise... I remember them saying that they wanted to do a collecting track and then they wanted to do giveaways. And I, and I can't remember how much time difference between them announcing that celebration and then saying, we'll do a collecting track with giveaways. But I, you'll notice the, the medallion, we did medallions there cause I already had that process down and the designs are pretty much the same thing. We just took those 12 back characters and I thought, how do I make this different? I thought, okay, I've always liked seeing the star Wars logo in different languages. So I, scoured the internet looking for the, the the star wars logo in different eu languages um and that's how that medallion set came about it was easy to put together at that point and getting sponsors was easy because we'd had such a success from the first one so i uh, got the first one there was such a success from la just prior so and the supplier was able to get um the made i think at the time Lucasfilm helped us actually get the items to London, so it really, yeah, it was, it was, it was a whirlwind, and I can't even tell you what all the pan. I remember doing a panel there too. I think at that point we went. I mentioned before we uh, we only had twelve panels at that one, so we had one giveaway per panel, so that worked out. So we we had a smaller program there. I think it was a shorter time too. The days were probably shorter. Um, we had a little mini room sale that was sort of part of our social, we had a social hour in the collecting track room and that was sort of a room sales event where people just sort of set up in the chairs. That was sort of, a you know, thrown together, very small, small thing there, but I can't tell you what the panels were. I just remember that there was 12 and, um, you know, we had a room, uh, we had a room. Oh yeah, it was down the hall. It was like where Dave Tree had set up that Palatoy exhibit. It was sort of uh, way off the main floor. You had to go up into these back hallways. You had to know to go find this place. And then we had a room. That room didn't hold more than 150 people, I think. It was pretty small. Um, and uh, 
I don't remember the lines. We didn't have security. I think it was sort of just come in and then we sort of, I didn't think we had to cap it off. Cause I think we had enough. Um, it was small enough event, low enough, you know, promotion that, 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 that it did all right in terms of the collecting track and, and managing crowds. Yeah. And also obviously in 2008, a year later, it, well, it was in Japan and you've already told us that you did attend. Um, as far as Japan goes, on, on the like the floor, was there a lot of like Japanese type toys from the vintage oh, era? Man. Was there room sales in Japan? There were no room sales. The um, Japan was it was awesome. It was an epic failure um, in terms of a celebration. I, I felt really bad for the promoters. You know, they these were guys that had just come on board to work with Lucasfilm to do this show. I mean, the, the crowds weren't there in terms of the show floor. Like, you know, we went there with all kinds of expectations. Oh my God, we'll see all these rare seventies Japanese. It wasn't like that at all. I mean, the, the floor was mostly empty. The guys that had the most toys, the most vintage toys and the most Japanese toys were Andy Loney and Alex Bickmore. And they came from the U S and they came there and they set up as dealers and, um, and, and, and the dealer floor was basically, you know, those eight, those long tables that you see at toy shows, they've had them arranged in a, in a really large rectangle and sort of the guys, you were on the outside of the rectangles where the people sort of walked around it and on the inside of the rectangle were just the guys that were, you know, working those tables and it wasn't set up, you know, it was just a big open floor and those tables arranged, um, and, I don't know what the attendance was there. It was very sparse. It wasn't in Tokyo proper. It was in Chiba. You had to take the subway out there to get to it. Um, there's so much going on in Japan all the time. There's just in to get people to locals to be interested to come out there. I mean, they just, it, it just didn't go over well. Um, the collecting track, man, it was mostly people that came from the U S you know, we, we went out there and traveled as a group to do, um, you know, some local sightseeing. Um, Alex took us to all these because he traveled to Japan numerous times. He took us to all these little shops that sell collectibles. Um, one, one of the days we went to or one or two days we went to multiple shops. Um, and there was like this big toy mall, basically, and they had all these different little dealers inside and they just sold like one or two floors just sold all kinds of toys. And there was like one dealer that sold wrestling toys and one dealer that sold cars and one dealer that sold old He-Man. And it was, it was very segregated like that. Um, in terms of the collecting track, you know, we, we put together another medallion set there. We had more time. Um, just sticking with the medallions was, was nice. We had, you know, I was like, we, we did Japanese collectibles. So we came up with 12 different Japanese collectibles and made medallions of those um those went over really well we had good attendance um there was 12 panels at that one um we had japanese spawn i wanted japanese people involved so we put the word out um i think it was amy takeda who was um, steve sansweet's friend who'd helped him work on a couple of books and translating a couple of books he was able to put me and and gus and and well gus in contact with 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 guys and then and people who wanted to sponsor and people who wanted to give presentations. So we did um, Japanese collectibles and, and whatnot. There were several uh, panels. Well, and they, they, they would be translated. 
So we did them in English. We did them in English, and then there was guys that would translate. Right. Um, that was a much smaller crowd. I think it was maybe a hundred people in that. Um, and uh, it was just really a lot of empty space. <laughs> it was very sad. <laughs> And I was amazed to see a couple other random uh, Americans that were there. It was really strange because most of them were people we knew that were collectors that had shown up. But there was there was a few people that made the, the journey over there. Um, it was just fun for me whole, as a whole as a whole um, uh, trip, you know, with with the with the traveling ahead of time and the and the, and the sightseeing and the going to the shows, uh, the the toy. Uh, places and then finally going to the convention and then uh, several of us we flew from there directly to san diego comic-con um and that's where they had the big pca auction that year um tom derby and brian simling put that on in 2008 you probably guys have seen the premier collectibles auction that catalog with all the artwork tom nyhauser was there so that was back to back with that celebration so we flew from japan to san diego it was perfect timing. I mean, it was like the weekend before was Celebration Japan, and then the next weekend was San Diego Comic-Con, and that's where they would have that. And then Ron was there. He came to that, and we, we hung out in that um, auction room for two or three days straight. And, you know, you've seen amazing items there. We could do a whole show talking more. about that. I take it that's um, that kind of show is the reason that it's not been to Asia or – out to Australia direction since that's 11 years ago. And it's, yeah, I would have to say so. I mean, it's plus you have to haul everybody out there. So everybody who's going to put this on has to travel that far. So that there's a big expense there in terms of, you know, the promoters and Lucasfilm as well. Um, you know, Europe's a lot closer in comparison. If it ever goes to Australia, I mean, that'd be interesting to see. Um, but you got to ensure that you have a core fan base there ready to, to go after Brexit, I don't know how it would work with having a London. It wouldn't even, would it be an Australian? I don't, be I don't think to see Brexit what it would be called. Happen. I don't think Brexit <laughs> yeah, would ever that's happen. A, that's a whole nother, a whole nother yeah, discussion so. there. But anyways, I'm sure we'll see it in, in Europe again, but will it go as far? I would love to travel to, you know, some, some far off locale for it. Um, just from a logistics standpoint, uh, you know, unless Reed is really, or Lucasfilm was able to help us get items there, it would tremendously increase our cost. You know, to do giveaways at a big faraway convention like that too. So there's, a, no, there's a lot goes no inkling, into that. Um, no inkling where 2020 will be if there is one. No, no. It's funny. I'm as involved as I am with these things. I'm totally out of the loop in terms of like where the next celebration would be and, and, yeah. and stuff like that. Gents, I know that it's, it's get, getting, well, it's only half nine out there for you, but it's um obviously starting to, to eat into the day. Just go around each of you. Um, I'd like your favorite show of all the ones you've been to. And one specific memory, not I like socialising, I want those specific memories of one real highlight from any show. So um, let's start with CJ. Um, probably my favourite overall was uh, the London one, the second London one. I don't know what it was about that one, but uh, I, I just felt like it was, it was, you know, it was a little bit smaller than maybe some of the US ones. But, um, you know, I'd never been to one of the international ones and it was I don't know. There was just a vibe about it that I really, I really, really enjoyed. Um, as far as a single favorite moment, um, there was one time I was just uh, actually I'll give you two because they're very, very similar. But twice this has happened to me where I'm sitting in the collecting room and 
between panels or before the sh- before the show starts or after it opens and randomly some people would walk in and one time i was sitting there all by myself and in through the back door comes billy d williams walking through our collecting room to go you know the, the celebrities and stuff are always using these back hallways so sometimes they'll pop into the wrong room or the wrong space so i got to say hello to him it was just like me and him so that was kind of cool and then uh at i think it was at the, the last one in the u.s so um standing in in the room and then uh right across the hall from us was like I think it was the Rogue One um, prop exhibit. And so some of the people were coming to see it. And in walks um, Sam Witwer, who is one of the voice actors. But then also Doug Chang comes in right behind him with his family. And they're coming through our room because they wanted to pop across the hallway. So we got to sit there and, and talk with them a little bit. So that was kind of cool. So those are, you know, it's I'm not really like a big celebrity seeking guy. But I do like it when I can, you know, meet people sort of face-to-face and just have a nice little chat, um, you know, outside of the, the craziness of what a convention is. So those are two kind of kind of fun moments. Uh, Ron? Jeez. Um, I'm going to say that the, the L.A. one that we did the medallions at for the first time was probably my favorite. How popular the medallions were and how cool they came out, you know, thanks to Chris's efforts with all those. I sponsored one, and um, that was just a lot of fun. I remember seeing people who lived in the L.A. area, then coming out. Uh, I think that's the first time I really met Matthias Rendall. We spent a lot of time with him. I remember Hi Catline, who's a um, a former Kenner employee whom Chris and I know going way back, um, showed up, and I hadn't seen him for a long time. I have a nice picture of him, uh, me, Chris, and, and uh, Will Grief, who also knows him going way back. And that was a, a nice memory to see him. Uh, you know, as far as specific memories go, uh, I remember one of the Polish shows, two from, I think it was the same show, you know, Tom Derby had set up with a lot of Tom Nyhazel stuff. And I remember Dave Mandel, who's a collector and is a, a writer, was a writer for Seinfeld and now writes, I think, Veep. He was there filming a, a, a show that he was working on at the time, which was like a nerd show for like nerd culture. And he filmed a segment where he pretended to choke on a rocket from a rocket fit because Tom Nye has had a rocket fit there. So they pretended that he choked on it. And as he did that, there was this guy there dressed as a stormtrooper, like one of these, like, I don't, I, I'm not going to make fun of the, the people who dress up like that's cool. But he was one of these guys, like some of them get dressed up and then they feel like the power of the, the outfit or something. <laughs> this guy, he, Really, I think he thought he was a stormtrooper because he was dressed as a stormtrooper. Right? <laughs> Before this whole incident happened, he got into an argument about he was claiming all rocket fets were fake. And, and he got into an argument with maybe Isaac Lev or something like that. And and he's like, I don't and whoever was arguing with this guy was like, listen, I don't think you understand that this is an actual prototype. And he was like chewing gum real hard. The stormtrooper guy, he's like, I understand what a prototype is. Don't look at me like I don't know what a prototype is. I'm dressed, I'm dressed head to toe in Stormtrooper armor. Of course I know what a prototype is. <laughs> it's just like, what? So he was getting amped up in this argument. And then David staged his choking on a rocket thing out of the corner of this dude's eye and fell down pretending to choke while someone filmed him. And this dude must have been like an EMT or something because he just leapt out like he was going to give him, resuscitate him and give him like a Heimlich maneuver or something. <laughs> And when David told them they were just joking and filming something, the guy kind of freaked out and they got into a big insult fight. 
and he called David names and David called him names back and they were shouting back and forth. Like former Seinfeld writer arguing with uh, this dude dressed as a stormtrooper. Uh, and it was on tape. I, I want to say you can look up David's old show. I can't remember the name of it now. Chris might remember. And you can see a piece of it. But that was a funny memory. Um, and then also the same show, Carrie Fisher came by as we were breaking down. She came out of her um, autograph signing thing and she came by and we we're like, oh, hi, Carrie. You know, I didn't want to bug her, you know, and she said, like, she had this look on her face after signing autographs all day. And she goes, I, I guess I can't say exactly what she said, but she said, I feel like I've just been. <laughs> the shocked look on their face. Um, so those are, those are two funny memories that I have. Uh, I guess Chris? it's my turn. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, yeah, it's, I, I, I forgot about that. The, the guy with the rocket fit and all that. That was great. The thing is, like, there's so many great things that so many great it's 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 not even like standout you can you can just think of a memory but it doesn't make it that much greater than other memories i have so many but i would say one of the for different reasons i like celebration five i think was my favorite because that's when we did the cereal boxes and um we worked really hard on that set it took a lot of effort and creativity to come up with those all the elements on those cereal boxes and those went viral and all these geek sites before celebration and it was really fun i was just tracking them all over the web how they were spreading and people were just really excited it wasn't even about celebration it was just like oh man they just love that those parody cereal boxes so that was really fun to see something we'd come up with spread like that i mean it was growing like gangbusters it was really fun and then um and that convention i felt like so many people had showed up to that it was just really Epic. And I thought they couldn't get any bigger than that, but they, they kept getting bigger in the U.S. You know, more and more people kept coming um, back to Celebration 4. I have a good memory. Like before before the convention, um, uh, myself, Brandon Allinger, who runs a prop store L.A., um, Todd Chamberlain, Gus Lopez, Fluffy, um, and one more guy named Dave Aberley. We drove to Yuma, Arizona to go dig at the Buttercup Valley where they filmed, where they, where they built the sail barge um, movie set. So we took like a four or five hour drive and on the way down, we went to the Home Depot hardware store, picked up shovels and rakes, headed down there (laughs) right to the set. And, um, you know, the, it would, the, the, Sometimes it depends on the weather or whatnot, but but they had buried some of that set. So some things are sort of getting pushed out of the ground, and we found pieces of foam and um, pieces of wood that were getting pushed up and things, you know, we, we accumulated there during the day. I found a really nice piece, of, like the mouth of the sarlacc, that was um, sort of just barely buried under a, a bush, a shrub that was there. And we brought a lot of those foam pieces back, and uh, Gus and Brandon gave, gave them away during their prop panel, and people were really excited. It was these pieces of foam. They were like, hey, we just got these. They're from the Sarlacc pit um, barge set. Um, it was, it was, that was pretty, pretty crazy. awesome. You know, gave yeah. some of those away. Room sales of people were just like going crazy, just like, hey, here's a piece. And, you know, it was and they were, if you take them out of context, it's just a piece of garbage, right? But, but when you know what, what it what it is, and the fact that we just got them there, that was really that was really amazing. Yeah, that's brilliant, gents. Thank you all so so much. 
for taking your time with me and uh, Ron and Chris for everything you do with the Alliance. I know you must think to yourself when when that next topic comes up, you're like, oh, <laughs> here it comes again. <laughs> because of what you guys are just podcasting animals the way you turn these things out. I just can't. It's like, oh, we just finished this and we got another one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like it's <laughs> amazing. Um, but we really, really do appreciate it, and uh, that bit of knowledge just makes that section for us. You know, it's it does go. Uh, it really, it really is appreciated. I know Jez would. Um, Hopefully, people enjoy it. I'm glad. Uh, thanks for including us. It's certainly a lot of fun to help out. Yeah, we really do appreciate. It. And thank you so yeah. much. We really do appreciate. Um, we really do look forward to to sharing a drink with you in Chicago and um, meeting. Yeah, you can't wait. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, let's all get together and spend some time together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll all be really would like that. Yeah, uh, Rich. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. And I've just noticed here that Stu did not say, I'll buy you a drink, because oh. if he did, I'll tell you something, you'll be thirsty. That's totally, totally untrue. You can ask anyone else. Rich doesn't buy anything. <laughs> Nor does water, so he's pretty cheap. But, uh, I'll, I'm I'll a cheap date. <laughs> and Chris, around, something that I know you were in Orlando, I just want to mention this before I go, because Richard gets really cross with me, but were his shorts really short in Orlando? There, I yeah, I I saw a couple of things that I didn't want to see. Those shorts were so short. So <laughs> there you go. So oh, I felt it. bad for Rich though. Poor guy. You know he's in there and he's being wheeled around. <laughs> it, I felt bad for him being incapacitated like that. But I'm glad he made the effort to come there. <laughs> well, there you go, Rich. Official. Those shorts were shorts, and I think we'll uh, end it there. <laughs> All right, guys, have a safe Great. trip to the States for celebration. Yeah, and we'll look forward to seeing you. Thank you both so much. Really do
right, he's back in the UK. He's the colour of a Cheeto. We're back to Jez with N.A. Hello, what have we here? Ah, New acquisition. <laughs> Hooray! Yeah, new acquisitions. Oh, I love it. And really, really enjoyed yet again looking at the stuff. I sent out the show notes to you earlier on in the week. I've been on there again, just looking at more things, just getting my fix of newest acquisitions. Lads, you know, we're going to start off with Star Wars Forum UK. And uh, and we go there and we check out what people have been buying and showing off. Page 2327, uh, Kuma75. Now, I just want to start with this. Now, I'm sure that when we were putting our show notes together, one of you mentioned Princess Leia, a, a carded figure. Now, I don't know if it was this one. Because Kuma seventy five put on a really lovely Star Wars twelve A back Leah, and, and I just want to mention I didn't. First of all, have any of you guys did any of you mention this one? Was this the reason you guys were talking about Leah or not? Um, I think it's what I dropped you in when I was making suggestions for your uh, main topic, mate. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Beautiful. It is lovely, isn't it? And I, I, th- I looked at this, and I think in the past when I've been asked, right, what's one of the most classic images? I think it is this Organa. I think Leah, the original Princess Leah figure, particularly with the Star Wars racetrack, I think looks absolutely stunning. And I was looking at it and I was just thinking, oh, right, yeah, because they've not changed that. You know, they've changed the Luke and they've changed the Ben. And I started writing it all down and I'd never realised this before. Han Solo had the image change. Ben had the image change. Luke had the image change. Vader, Stormtrooper, Chewbacca all had an image change. Jawa, they changed the Jawa. Death Squad Commander, they changed the name. R2-D2, 3PO, they've changed those figures as well. And Sam People, Tusken Raider. Leah is the only one who was, you know, sort of unaltered, really, from that point of view. Yeah, there might be Princess Leah, Princess Leah Organa, etc. But the art and everything else, just untouched, because let's face it, you can't beat perfection. So, um, yeah, love it. Really, really like that carded figure, and uh, it's definitely one which is on my radar. Amazing. So then, go over to page 2329 of Star Wars Forum UK, and it's uh, username S1D0W. I think we've mentioned him before because I remember that tongue twister from last time. But um, he's got a Hungarian purchase from a geek fair, that's what he calls it. And now I asked you guys to take a look at this because he put on a series of pictures where he had been off to a, um, yeah, he said, a recent <clears throat> visit to the Budapest Geek Fair reward- rewarded me with a Hungarian Return of the Jedi storybook, the Hungarian The Empire Strikes Back comic adaption and the Tannin Salon Steady Stuart and the Tannin Salon variant of the Rebel Hoth Trooper. Not much vintage there, but a lot of the fans who wanted to share stories. No Hungarian bootlegs, though. Apparently, Hungary was cleared out of them by overseas collectors a few years ago. But what he has is a load of pictures, and it's showing this great, great image of... Let's have a little look at this. An Empire Strikes Back image. It's got a Star Destroyer, TIE Fighters, Falcon, Vader. It's got Leah lying down on Hoth with her arm around a Luke who's wearing some sort of green jumpsuit. Chewbacca, Han and R2. So Leah is in a very sort of, you know, damsel in distress pose again. She's got a weapon. But the text is Abir Adolam Vesavik. I'll try that again. Abir Adolam Vesavik. 
which is Hungarian for probably not what it's meant to be. Anyway, I put this in. Jess, Jess, can I just interrupt you? Yeah. Can you read the um? Can you read the three words below the Vizavag, please? Especially <laughs> the last one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hmm. So, uh, tell Jez Kibregani Kirish Nevenchikovit. Jez, can I just say, never ever try and pronounce Hungarian because it's totally different to what you think it is. It's yeah. like a, like a Germanic language. It's totally bonkers. I do oh. apologise to any of Hungarian yeah, listeners, yeah. but having bonkers. been there and tried to speak the language for two seconds, they go, "That's not how it's how it's pronounced." You absolute loon, and yeah. they just laugh. It's yeah. totally different. But I, I love the fact it says Tell Jez, the first word. Yeah, it does. It says Tell Jez. Um, tell Jez to yeah, give it up. It did look like pregnancy as well in the middle of the second world, which was kind of a little bit troubling. Um, Jez, there's also a couple of questions on that on the, the setup of that picture. Mm. If Hanso's on the ground, who's flying the Millennium Falcon? <sighs> That's a really good question. It's been stolen, I think, by, I don't know, Wampers or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I put um a bir- I, I put those three words, the the first one, Abiradalam Vasavig in Google Translate, and it started off very well. So A Biradalam and as soon as I started typing that it said the Empire and I was like, Oh perfect, perfect. I know exactly where we're going with this. And when I typed in the next word, Vasavig, it said the Empire is withdrawing. So uh, I thought, yeah, that's, that's close to the Empire something back, I guess. So, um, yeah, that I, is... I did that, Jez, sorry. I did that, and I got um, the Empire hits back. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the Empire hits back sort of is close to the Empire strikes back, so sort of yeah. worked. Sort of worked. Yeah, yeah. But the Empire, <laughs> the empire is withdrawing. I thought, what, cash? Um, I've got no idea, but there we go. Oh yeah, cheers. What's going on with that star coming out of Vader's head? <laughs> I mean, what's that about? What's going on there? Yeah. Is he is he blown up at the top? Is he is there something popped out of his head? Is he, is he doing an R five D four impression? What's going on? What is going on with the green boots and the orange jumpsuit though, and the white boots and the green jumpsuit? That's just you know. Strange. That's just Hungarian colours, but there we go. But that, I'm just disturbed by the thing coming out of his head. <laughs> and it seems... I like the fact that, <laughs> that the whole point that Jez brought this one up is because of the tanning salon variant of the Rebel Hoff Trooper. <laughs> and he's kind of really scoots across the top of it. Because there's a tanning salon it. variant of a Rebel <laughs> Hoff Trooper, which I just think is brilliant. And when you look down, I can imagine Jez running around in the snow in that yeah. with his little orange face peeking out. <laughs> That's it. That's that's the reason. It's like my own little voodoo doll. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> nice one. Right then. So, next page. Well, Stu, you've chosen this one, mate. I had seen this one. I was thinking, right, I'm going to put these in the show notes, and you had already beaten me to it because, uh, yeah, I think you were taken with a couple of awesome purchases by Darth Daddius. Can you tell us about them, mate? Yeah, yes, Jez. Um, Pat Darth Daddius on Star Wars Forum UK has bought two absolute peachy Darth Vader mint on cards. So first of all, he's got a uh, ESB Palatoy 45 back A uh, graded 75 and a stunning Toltoys 12 back uh, graded 17. Impressive. The most impressive. Both mint on cards are absolutely beautiful. To have one in your collection, you'd be absolutely absolutely out of the world with them 
But um, more I wanted to bring the story out for was, yes, they had two amazing purchases, but these went missing for three months in the old um, in the old postal system. I think I don't think there was any ever doubt that the seller hadn't sent them or anything. Track them. They may come around for another pass. Captain Nida, the ship no longer appears on our scopes. They can't have disappeared. There was tracking, but the tracking was useless. Didn't show where they were. Well, there's no trace of them, sir. Captain, Lord Vader demands an update on the pursuit. Get a shuttle ready. I shall assume full responsibility for losing them and apologise to Lord Vader. Meanwhile, continue to scan the area. Yes, Captain Nida. Lord Vader. Our ships have completed their scan of the area and found nothing. Alert all commands. Calculate every possible destination along the last known trajectory. Yes, my lord. We'll find them. But together they finally turned up after three months, a quarter of a year. Two fantastic minton cards um, going through the postal system like that. Echo base, this is Rogue 2. I found them. Repeat, I found them. But uh, thank goodness they've shown up, like, a, like I said earlier. It's one thing losing a... You know, a, a Medine on a 77 back or 79 back, whatever he came out on. But to lose those two cards must have been gut wrenching. But yeah, a positive story in the end, but them both finally showing up. Oh, wow. Yeah, you can just imagine. Dude, I, I searched for Toll Toys Vader on Star Wars Tracker. And I've gone back yep. 10 years. Not Me one too. listed. Can't see Nothing. one. Yep, you're right. Totally agree. I haven't checked. I haven't checked eBay whether whether they do come up. But well, I would have thought if it had been on eBay, it would have been in Tracker. So obviously, you know, these Tracker doesn't cover all deals. But um, but yeah, I was just you know just really goes to show how scarce these ones are. So yeah, the feeling which he must have had when he thought that these were potentially lost. Yeah. Oh man. Can't so there's imagine. a card. There's a card back being sold. Oh. On March the seventh in Australia, right, and the car back alone went for three hundred and thirty-four dollars. Wow! Um, so it kind of shows the yeah. how how rare they are. Yeah. Oh my word! Oh, nice one, mate. Okay, which then takes us on to page two three 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 two thousand three hundred thirty-three pages, uh, and it was sub-level studios. Mark shows off something which doesn't come up that often on Star Wars Forum UK, which is casting crew items. This is an Empire Strikes Back logo paperweight, complete with its original box, and Mark said it's just a lovely item, but it weighs a ton. Yeah, it certainly um, it looks fairly substantial. He's He's got it sort of next to... What's he got against it? Just so you can try and get a little bit of size in the background. He's got it up against an old-style passport, it looks like. And it's about the same width as that. It's certainly a similar size, I would say, to a slightly larger beer mat. Now, I saw this and I thought, oh, man, that that is awesome. And I, and I put the question to you all saying, how much casting crew have, have you seen in particular for Empire Strikes Back? Because... You know, I've seen a lot of casting crew stuff nowadays for, you know, the modern films. But I can't remember actually seeing a great deal up until now of casting crew for Empire Strikes Back. But uh, have you guys seen any other Empire Strikes Back casting crew items? Because uh, it's just a great bit of history, isn't it? Yeah, just, I've, seen that, I've seen that beer map before. Well, I, it was on eBay a couple of years ago and I it went for, it went for under a tenner. And I was really angry because I was trying to bid for it when I was in the pub. 
and uh, there was no signal at all. And it was like, oh no, I'd have, I mean, I don't, I think, I think, I think the one that went recently, or about six months or a year ago, went for like fifty quid. I was so gutted because yeah. that in black is beautiful in beer mat terms. There's, there's quite a lot when you consider the Hoff jackets, yes, and the you know that kind of stuff. The patches, you know, the the flaming logo patches. Whilst we're talking about those, then, Rich, obviously the the jackets which we've seen, you know, we've spoken about before, and they're, they're so iconic that they've recently been remade, modern version. And those flaming patches. The thing is, I see so many of those sort of flaming patches out, and you just think, are these just rip offs? I'm sure they're quite easy to fake, aren't they? Oh yeah, it's dead easy to fake. You could have turned the load out in Afghanistan. You know, I don't think there's much. Yeah. I don't think there's much in them. But even things like, isn't you mentioned the passport? Could that possibly be one of those intergalactic passports? That's exactly you know, what it seen, is. It yeah. is because we've seen a couple of those come up at uh, Pop Store recently, haven't we? Yeah. So that's another Empire item, and also the Lucite Star as well. The Empire Strikes Back uh, Lucite Star is another one. Hmm. I mean, what what we've got here is he's got special previews. He's got the matinee performance, the charity mm-hmm. premieres. So, you know, the what we've seen in the past. Now, I've seen quite a few of the Star Wars ones. And, you know, I've got Star Wars ones and I've got Return of the Jedi. But it's just the Empire ones just don't seem to come up as much. I've just done a quick eBay search, actually, of Empire Strikes Back casting crew. And funny old thing, that beer map, Pete, is on there. He's either not interested or he's muted. But there we go. What's, 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 what? What do you want me to say now? I've just said it, eh? No, I just said the the beer mat, the Empire Strikes Back beer mats, mate. They're back on eBay. Are they? How much? Uh, well, I'll let you into a little secret now. So they are around about eighty nine dollars. It's what? about sixty Stop something. That game of chess. It's about sixty something pounds. Oh. And uh, so there's not many Empire Strikes Back cost and crew stuff immediately available i've messaged this guy saying are you going to star wars celebration any chance he's like oh yeah i am yeah i am and uh i've got this one to sell and one other to sell at room sales and uh and i'm gonna probably meet him there we might have a little chat because i was taken with it grant sent me uh, a link to an ebay auction for one of these a little while ago and uh and this guy got these two and amongst a few other things at prop store auction last year i recently became aware i think it was yesterday the day before that there's a museum in bath i think i want to say it's bath and it's a fashion museum and in there they have a pair of at a driver gloves of all things no way yep and they've made this big thing about it and i, think I was talking to matt booker from fantatrax and he said he lives about 10 minutes away from the place and has never heard of it. And he's never even thought of going to check out. Yeah, but it's, it's a fashion museum that's, that's down there. Yeah, and they've got a pair of Atta driver gloves and they've been heavily advertising them. Apparently they've had for a while, but no, nobody's really paid much attention to them. All right. What, they're for sale? No, no, they're in the museum. They're just on... Because it's a fashion museum, so somebody's donated them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're just out on display. But nobody go, nobody rather goes and have a look. Let's oh, wow. plan a heist and get them. <laughs> awesome. Well, no, I'm I'm dead chuffed for Mark. Is, I mean, the Empire Strikes Back logo is just so iconic, isn't it? It's awesome. Uh, so to have that paperweight, oh yeah, I'd love to have. I'd, I'd actually use that. It's a, it's a 
working daily paperweight i'd be i go really old school and just you know print stuff off just so i can use the paperweight i think it'd be brilliant but i think for the time being i, I might end up coming back from rim sales with an empire strikes back beer mat and then at least i can say i'm in the casting crew club yeah yeah kind of like it now. anyone else casting crew items flicking your switch at the moment oh, not at all can't beat get yourself beer mat I'm not paying eighty nine pounds for a beer mat. It's eighty nine dollars. I'm not paying eighty nine dollars for a beer mat. <laughs> it did I'm say ten, best ten offer. I was reluctant at ten. It <laughs> you were reluctant with ten. It's in a beer mat, Jez, with some old man's beer on it. It's a casting crew beer mat. It's a history. Depends yeah. whose beer was on it. I mean, if it'd been like you know, I don't know, uh, Carrie Fisher's beer, that'd been that'd be a good one. That could we could have a bit of DNA on it. You know, it could be awesome. I mean, you know, Carrie Fisher's DNA. Anyway, yeah, we'll move on from the DNA chat. That's probably all wrong, really. Let's go over to Tantive. So the 89th Chris on page 16. And this is in the area of Tantive called R2's Projector Beam. So if you go to the main area of Tantive, R2's Projector Beam is where they show off their latest acquisitions. And this was a sealed vinyl rebel mission to Ord Mandel. Now, let me bring up this image again, because I had never seen this before. And I thought this looked pretty damn cool. Have you guys all seen this? I'm just looking at it. It's reminded me a bit of the train in Solo. The uh, Yeah. Cockpit bit. No, I see where you get that from. Yeah. It's an audio drama from the guy who wrote the Han Solo novels back in the early 80s, Brian Daly. Um, it's, it's a great image. I always thought that it was Ord Mandel, not Ord Mantel, uh, from what I, from how I had actually heard it. But yeah, you're right. Story from the Star Wars saga, but it's it's a great bit of imagery. But so he's actually put on the post. This is in great shape due to it being sealed. The art is super vibrant. It hasn't been left in a window. It's interesting to see a predominantly original piece of art on the cover. But then you get the two little stormtroopers that are based on the same image used for the card back, just randomly put on the side because. The artwork really does tell a story. It tells a story of C-3PO having lost complete capacity for what he's doing and he just put his hands up in exasperation going, I've got no idea what's going on, standard 3PO. Luke looking all heroic and stuff and just hanging on to this ship by uh, by one arm. And uh, yeah, all sorts of stuff going on, a falcon in the background, but then the two stormtroopers as they are in the, in the um, card back. But yeah, just really, really lovely to see. And, uh, I so love their um. I love where their laser blasts are going. Luke is positioned just perfectly because yeah. one's going between his legs and the other one's going between his leg and his arm. That's right. They um, really have got a bad shot, haven't they? Yeah, he's he's not looking them at all, and it looks like so they're in some sort of spaceship, rebel mission to Ord Mantel, and then the spaceship looks like it's attached, and actually can't go anywhere. It's actually on a tether. It's on some sort of leash refueling probe or something or other. So goodness knows what's going on there. It would have been listen, interesting to listen to the story, and I wonder if we could actually get some sort of um, audio from that now. It worked. Sure did. R2, get busy. He's doing it. Get Luke on the comm link and tell him to be ready. Right. Solo to Skywalker. Solo to Skywalker. Come in, Luke. Skywalker here. We're in position at the freight loading dock, Han. R2's making the switch now, Luke. The money will be brought out and loaded as soon as he's done. 
I copy, Han. Make sure you get the right container. The mighty shipment. So that's it. Don't forget to have R2 give the release to unshackle the landing gear. Gotcha, Luke. We'll see you back at the ship. So that's what brings the Millennium Falcon to Ord Mantell. Uh-huh. Hurry it up, will you, R2? Not much time left before we... You haven't got any time left at all, Solo. Han, look out! He's got a blaster! Keep your hand away from your weapon, Solo. You're more valuable to me alive. But I wouldn't hesitate to shoot you. Well, I'll be. What, does everybody dream about being a crummy bounty hunter? Oh, but I am one, Solo. A better one than Greedo or any of the others you've killed. Fogris, what are you doing? But brilliant to see. And, uh, yeah, Ord Mantell. Who'd have known it? Pretty cool. Talking about the 89th Chris, on the same page, he's got a boxed Rancor. Peep. We're going to go down old memory lane a little bit here because he actually mentions us. He's written, I guess it's one of those weeks. Thanks to a respectable tip from Commander Clint, I've got this Canadian Rancor. It was not labelled as such on eBay. And according to the Vintage Rebellion podcast last month, you might as well not even try to find one of these. Pete was right to say so with only one visible on Star Wars Tracker. It came with the inset as well, all for a reasonable 120 Canadian dollars. Uh, the English side has a bit of damage, but he doesn't mind at all. I mean, this looks brilliant. Pete, you must have seen this. I'd sent you the link. Yeah. Um, I mean, the one we, the, the only one on tracker was 217 squiddles. Mm-hmm. And uh, that works out at 68 pounds. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Same price as a beer, Matt. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather have that than a beer, Matt. <laughs> Pipe down, Skinner. <laughs> yeah. But again, it's just another example of stuff being, you know, incorrectly listed. Well, it's listed. It's just not all the detail is there on the listing. So, yeah, you you um, you shoot your score and you look out for stuff and you you know your business, and uh, and you can get some gems. So, uh, yeah, delighted for you, mate. And uh, thanks so much for once again listening to the podcast and uh, and once again you're featured on it. So, yeah, delighted for you. Congratulations. <laughs> Right, lovely. Shall we move on? Marvellous. Before I move on to Facebook, um, there was just one other thing which I uh, I just checked earlier on again, just before we came online. Page 18. Poncho, he put something on Tanto saying, I do like buying from non-collectors. He made an offer on eBay when someone put up a couple of figures, right? And this is just where you're looking out there and you're just saying, right, oh, that's that. He got a beta red bar R5-D4 and a minty PBP Stormtrooper. Now, he made an offer, and the offer's got accepted. £8 for the first, seven fifty for the second. Now, this red bar R5-D4 is pretty fragged. I mean, you, you can tell it's a red bar, but the sticker is rough. However, end of the day, it's still a red bar R5-D4, and the Stormtrooper is minty mint. So, check it out. £8.750. It made me have a little look at this and think, has he got the score of the century with regards to this particular R5-D4? And are things like Red Bar R5-D4 now going out of vogue? Was it a silly variant which people were after massively and is now sort of dying off? Because in the last three months, the highest price was £330. 
average was 173 and the minimum 69.70 in the last three months. In the three months before that, there had only one been sold for 108. In the 12 months before that, there had been 23 sold. Again, highest 330, average 171 and the cheapest 36.99. I then went back since records began and there are 72 sold 335 being the highest, the average being 154, and the minimum being 1078. So, Plastic Hard, I can tell you that according to Tracker, you have got the cheapest red bar R5D4 known. I mean, you know, there may have been a few others slip through the net, but mate, you've done well there. I don't care how bad that label is. I think you've done well. Lads, do you think, do you think stuff like this is now? Not going out of fashion, but the demand has been hit and everyone who actually gives a damn about red bars, if they've got one, do you think these prices are going to come down now? Because it looks like it. I think we've seen it with a few things, Jez. You know, like Hollow Tube Tuscans. You know, I think I paid 30 quid for mine. And then they shot up to like 150 virtually immediately and they've sort of dropped down. I've seen a few around the £80 mark recently. Red R bar 5, yeah, just a silly variant. I paid 40 quid for mine in really nice condition you know there's no way i was going to pay anywhere near three figures for that uh, I, I think you know there's far more interesting variants i don't understand the whole red bar five thing you know uh, even if you look at something like a 21b you know the, yeah. the shiny 21b and the dull 21b is a far better and more obvious variant just costing me eye across me i mean even the hollow tube tuscan rear has nothing special is it yeah. ig88 um, um ig88 nobody talks about the hollow tubes ig88 you know, there's hardly anybody talks about it, but there is a hollow juice IG8. So why has that not got people in the buzz, you know? Yeah, yeah. Biker Scout, you know, that's one which I think looks cool. But no, I yeah. just thought it was worth looking into. And uh, it's just another one where we've seen success and success definitely on Tantive, where the lads have been there checking eBay and looking out for stuff which hasn't been identified uh, as what it is. You know, you... It's a definite case of you do get your bargains on eBay and you tend not to get the bargains on Facebook as much nowadays. So, uh, yeah, good on you, lads. That's awesome. Go over to Facebook. Richard, you chose something on um, the bootleg and knockoff group. That's correct, Jez. So the the bootleg knockoff group is a really good group. It's run by Joe Y, Todd Osborne and Gonzalo Diaz. And there are some fantastic items that get put up in there fairly frequently. And then every now and again, something comes along. I mean, I'm not the greatest bootleg guy, but you do tend to see the same stuff coming up again and again. It struck me from its just downright ugliness. And Matthew Bartholomew posted, this is the ugliest yet coolest item I have added in a long time. And it's a Jabba pipe from Peru. Now, it's not a Jabba pipe as in the Jabba pipe that you get in the dungeon set. It's an actual pipe, which, from looking at it, I think it's actually working. So you picture, you know, your your grandfather, your great-grandfather may have been sitting by a coal fire smoking one of these back in the day. So I'm guessing it's clay or something like that. Clay pipe with Jabba resting on the top of it. Um, quite a weird little thing. But there's some interesting information that popped up there from the person he bought it from, which who was Patty Pedicini. And he posted on there that uh, these were actually mass-produced. They weren't small small item bootleg items. These, these were mass-produced. And he said they probably are hand-painted, but, uh, yeah, terribly ugly, but widely available in Peru. So 
It was a great item. I looked at that. I thought, we've got to talk about that just briefly. Now, as you can imagine, nothing available online. I checked um, all the bootleg groups. I checked the websites, Joe Wise website, always as to say, couldn't find a thing on it. You know, bootleg pipes from Peru are not going to be appearing everywhere. But Stu, did you say that there was a Yoda one as well that you've seen? Yeah, there's definitely uh, something very, very similar, uh, Yoda. And I've seen it pop up four or five times for sale. Might be the same one popping up for sale on the Facebook groups. I don't know. But um, there's definitely something similar with Yoda's big ears. But I'm, I'm pretty, if I remember rightly, he's hedged more around the bowl bit where you put in, in your whatever you want to put cool? in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it's quite a cool, funky looking thing, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, actually, I've seen the Yoda one now. It's 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 a blue Yoda head. Yeah, I've I've seen it in green, but yeah, oh, there might nice. well be be bootleg. There might well be all sorts of colours. Oh, there's one yeah. in the um, yeah. See that one in the there's one in the photo in the conversation underneath, but that's not mm-hmm. like the one I've seen before. Wow. So yeah. that looks like it's glass or something, doesn't it? Yeah, I was looking. That, you know that that to me looks like it's actually the ball itself. Yeah. No, that's that's not like the one I've seen, but uh, yeah, right. there's a must be a few of those kind of bits and pieces out there. Yeah, so good spot, Matteo, good find. Uh, nice to see, thanks for sharing. So we'll go over to collecting Star Wars Beyond the Toys, 1977 to 1985. And, uh, and Pete, you chose something which really, really flicked your switch. It indeed did, Jeremy. Um, do you remember, do you remember when you were a little child, when you had a box of cereal and they put gifts inside the cereals? Do you remember those days? I absolutely loved it. Now, I, I mean, it was something that oh, wasn't a massive cereal thing. So if if mom or dad or my brother was into the cereals, and it was, of course, a highlight, um, a new packet of cereal with a gift. You know, it was like, oh, my goodness, let's fight over it. Now, these these kept going until ooh, probably about the sort of late 90s, uh, maybe even 2000s. Do you know why they stopped doing that? Probably some sort of health and safety. It hygiene. was health and safety, wasn't it? I think. In fact, it wasn't health and safety. It was actually the the rise of the computer games, no. because they realised that people no longer wanted little toys. They wanted something else. So, the the rise of um, giving codes away to activate computer games online was the end of it. And I thought it would be safety as well, but apparently not. No one, uh, no one apparently choked on. No one was stupid enough to swallow a small toy so because i thought it's bound to be someone choked to death on the toy and they banned it but no so they might make a comeback we might be in for a comeback one day but there we go anyway that leads me on to this item jess and this is why this appealed to me because these are um little tiny kind of card things that were little plastic wrappers and they plonked them into two cereals into two well two kellogg cereals and uh, they were called decoder discs. Return the Jedi decoder discs. And um, these little things. I mean, I don't. Have you got a picture of these in front of you, or shall I? Shall I entertain you with a picture? So you can all I look. I couldn't open that link. Okay, let me just bear with me, Jez. Bear with me, Roger. Let me just throw this in. Do 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 do. Talk amongst yourselves. La 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 Lots of lovely singing. Can you see that picture? Can, you, can we uh, all confirm we've seen the picture? Yes, yes. Roger, Roger. So, so these were the little decoder discs, and they came with um, a couple of packets of Kellogg's uh, cereals. And what you had to do was you had to obviously collect these discs, 
then rub off that little... Um, obviously, you take them out of the packet and mm. don't eat them like a fool. Uh, there were 16 total, I believe, and you rubbed off that little bit of silvery kind of stuff, and there would be a code under there. So you went to the back of your your cereal box, which had this kind of like decoding system on there, yeah. and you might win one of some amazing prizes. And I do believe the prizes were obviously Star Wars toys, that there was... I think you, you could win a uh, snow speeder and uh, yeah, various other return to you know toys. Um, I will just forward you that picture so you can all see. So they're it was like a big bike. Tazo, aren't they? Yeah, like a big Tazo. But um, the, these things are absolutely incredible, and they are very blooming expensive as well if you want to collect them. And it's annoyingly there's two slave layer ones in there, which just it's, it's going to be tricky because uh, they're going to be quite a lot of money. So um, I forwarded the guys the name decoded game. So you can see that uh, it's kind of like a sweepstakes entry for some of the bigger ships. So for the, the ATST, the Millennium Falcon and the Atta. But you can win instantly. There's some smaller prizes, which weirdly, the Snowspeeder, I'm assuming that's the diecast Snowspeeder, um, Han Solo Pistol, a Camorian Guard, and a speeder bike. Well, I'm not sure whether there was actually anyone on it, but a speeder bike. So you yeah. could win instantly of those. So you, you, you had a little code thing, and this appeared on the back of Cornflakes, Colors Cornflakes packets. And uh, it's, it's an absolutely staggering set. Now, uh, the guy who has collected this set, Rob Doherty, um, this is not an easy set to put together, and it's not going to be cheap either. Now, at the moment, if you want to buy an individual decoded disc, then you're looking about about maybe a hundred quid per disc, and that's you know some of them have been cut in half because obviously you have to send these things off. So let me just forward you a disc, uh, the reverse. Bear with me. Sorry, Jesus. That's great. Go. I mean, the first picture which you showed us, um, the first picture which you showed us, is got the Gamorian Guard one. You can see it's been rubbed off, so you can yeah, see absolutely. that he's got the code there. Yeah, so, cool. so, so, so finding these things gives you kind of three things. You can find it. It's obviously very hard to find one in its own original wrapper that's not been rubbed off. So, mm. I'd imagine that that they will go for you know maybe 150 pounds. You can find them with it with the the thing uh, rubbed out with the pictures still on, which are the pictures are really quite cool, very Star Warsy, and uh, obviously you know, elements in the film. And you can find them with the if you look at the reverse of the decoded disc, it actually tells you you know the instructions. And you've got uh, you know um, for the for the sweepstakes one, so you can you can you know, win one of these lovely big ships. You've got to tear this thing off and send it in. So uh, it's um, it's you know there's, there's three ways to collect these things, but they are they are not cheap, guys. No. They are not cheap items at all. And it's a shame because they're only well, I guess they're just small bits of cardboard but so and these only came out in australia so i just want to send you know make sure you know that it's just australia now the 16 were so for all you collect focus collectors out there who are now living in fear like i am there's a princess leah is cared for by ewoks that's nice ewoks on forested moon of endor han solo and c3po hatch a plan i don't remember that bit there we go Max Rebo plays keyboards gamorian guard on jabba's sail barge our heroes held captive on moon of endor CTPO and Log Ray, the Ewok. Luke Skywalker rescues Princess Leia. Jabba the Hutt with Bib Fortuna. Squidhead in Jabba the Hutt's palace. Darth Vader awaits the Emperor. Lando Calrissian, the Nyam. Chewbacca captures ATST Walker. Very succinct there. Salacious Crumb. No description. Jabba, uh, sorry, Luke Skywalker fights Gamorian guards. And my favourite, Jabba turns Leia into Dancing Girl. That's an interesting take on Slave Leia. But there we go. So what an absolutely uh, amazing um, giveaway 
thing, which I don't know. Have you, any of you guys seen this before? Because I have no idea this ever existed. There's um, there's a Canadian version, wasn't there, of the decoder cards, which we've covered before. Commander Clint had a um, a sealed packet with all of them stacked. It was like a a sale sample from Kellogg's, but um, obviously they're different to these ones. I know these were, thing. but Pete, a uh, couple of things. First of all, Rob Doherty is an upcoming interview in the next couple of months. Ooh. Ooh. He's got some amazing stuff, so look forward to that. Um, we had a couple of issues trying to get a, a date before celebration, but it is on the horizon. And also, Pete, you're going to love one of the promotions, right, that I found on the thing. Look at the uh, couple cutouts. Leia swinging on that rope with Luke in a slave Leia outfit. And, that uh, is epic. Would you spend £68 on that? I would definitely spend £68, <laughs> 50 on that. <laughs> Um, I thought you'd like the uh, little promotion uh, poster with that image. Beautiful, isn't it? Decoder, what a great name. Decoders. Have you read the back of it? There are 2,620 prizes. What a random number. Fantastic Toll Toys Star Wars Return of the Jedi prizes, in fact, to give them the the correct terminology. It's amazing. What a great little thing. And I can't believe how expensive they are. So they must be... Must be rare as hen's teeth, but I mean, fair play. He's got the he's got the lot. <laughs> he's got all sixteen. So what a great great bit of uh, collecting there. So we'll look forward to hearing that in the future episodes. If you've got a slave layer one, let me have it. Thank you very much. Happy Christmas. I want to be reminded about what we had in the UK. What I mean, I, I remember fishing into stuff. You'd be excited about, you know, mum going shopping and getting the rice krispies or whatever it was, cornflakes. You'd be like, no, they're the ones I want. They're the ones I want. You know, and as soon as you open it, you shove your hand in, get it, whatever the toy is or what have you. And then, you know, you don't care if anyone eats the cereal at all ever. Uh, I remember, you know, really from a marketing point of view, I was an absolute sucker for it. I really was. Um, did we have a massive range of, of Star Wars ones? I don't know. We need to check that out, really, to see what, what Star Wars stuff appeared. There must have been, uh, there was definitely the transfers, wasn't there? Because I, mean, I remember, I wonder if it was Ready Breck, because my brother would have eaten Ready Breck. And know. he had something in there. And I used to go, you know, it was the excitement of him opening his Ready Breck up. Because yeah. I used to like egg and toast soldiers. I, never, I was never a cereal person, but he loved his Ready Breck. And uh, there must have been something in there, because the excitement of, being, of, of seeing it in the packet when you pulled out that sort of plastic bag inside, and you could see something. Thinking that that there is, there it is. Let's get it out. And oh, my brother yeah. would taunt me. He would taunt me by staying all morning, <laughs> leaving it in there, shaking it in front of me like, oh, that's why he's like punching him. Well, there we go. That's another story for another day. <laughs> or not at all. <laughs> not sure if any of our listeners want to hear about you punching your brother, but there we go. <laughs> he was old me. He deserved it. Right. <laughs> right. Well, there we go, listeners. If you know more. Uh, of tales of, of you know your nationalities Let, let's hear about it cereals what do we have what do we get who sent what who had what it'd be good to hear it and you know no stories about anyone punching brothers uh, i thought they smelled bad on the outside uh. so moving on to the big one you know we're going to end now going back to Star Wars Forum UK. And this was an Andy Preston special on page 2331. He simply shows off his boxed Palatoy Tauntaun. And we all looked at this and thought, we haven't covered the Tauntaun before. It's an obvious one. It's a brilliant one. 
It's the one where it came out and it kept on going. In fact, they gave us different iterations as well. So, from a torn, torn point of view, lads, I'm just going to put it to a table. Come on. Opening thoughts. Um, perfect. I, perfect. I still got my original one. Oh. Oh. Talking all over each Talking all over each other is fine in this scenario because it just shows the excitement for it. Stuart came straight out with perfect. We'll come on to that in a minute. But Pete, you've got your original one. Oh, that's wonderful. Tell me about that. My original Palatoy one. I still have a box. I still have a taunt. In fact, the taunt is sitting in front of me on my desk right now with Luke Skywalker sitting in it holding the reins because it's got to be out. But uh, And it's the open-bellied one as well. I, I don't remember seeing the, the sealed what sealed buddy one. I must have, must have not been paying any attention. But the, that that whole scene, that whole scene of Han Solo shoving in Luke Skywalker into a, a beast, I'm thinking how gross and ridiculous it was. But then at the same time, it was kind of weird, kind of weirdly fascinating what yeah. the, what was going on. But but see, to have a toy of that was absolutely ridiculous. Have you ever heard anything so ridiculous that shoving a Star Wars figure into the tummy of something else, or any figure into the tummy of anything else? It's like a, I don't know, some sort of tiny tots thing. You might have a, a pregnant tiny tots and a baby's coming out of somewhere, <laughs> let alone uh, shoving something in there. This te- I was just bizarre. You think you think about the concept of that whole thing, but oh my goodness, the amount of thing. I mean, I, let, let, let me just check the belly out because I bet it is ragged. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's almost brown. I must have shoved hundreds of figures in that thing. It's all in one piece, though. But what a what an amazing thing to have! I, I think I lost guns and all sorts in that in that stomach of that torn torn. But um, oh, just the whole thing—the the saddle with the, the the comedy kind of legs on it. You know, so it looks like he's sitting in inside the uh, the saddle. Uh, mine's it all stands a few splits here and there, but the the you know the mouth chokery thing. Just oh, just every bit about it jez the horns that are a separate piece that shoved us aside the head the it, it doesn't stand the best all the time because mine has got slightly loose legs but um this little tiny t-rex arms just so much fun to be had in that thing and of course the trap door where you shove luke skywalk you know you know again to give that comedy effect that he looks like he's sitting inside of it just genius right perfect genius I mean, before I go on to Stu and Rich, thanks for that, Pete. I, I want to go back to the item which Andy's put on, because this is something different. You know, first look, you're like, right, so he's got his boxed palatoid, torn, torn. Looks brilliant. But actually, this is a solid belly torn, torn in a Kenner box, but with palatoid stickers. So there we go. And you can find, when you look at the main image, you can just see the edge of the palatoid sticker there on the front. It's just... You know, it looks like it may be coming away slightly. So the Kenner box with Palatoy stickers. And it goes on to say he still has his childhood Palatoy printed box version. And he's really pleased to add this variation, even though the box isn't great. I had no idea. Uh, I had no idea at all that there was a, a Kenner one with the stickers on. Um, turning it into a Palatoy. But then when you look at it from a different angle. Yes, they've got Palatoy stickers on the side and on the uh, side flaps. Uh, they've got Palatoy stickers on the front and rear, but they haven't put one on the top of the box. Oh, in fact, yeah, they have, but it's no longer there, I'd say, because around the Kenner logo, it looks like there's some residual sticker marks from where there may once have been a Palatoy logo sticker on top of that. So I think that's a yeah, really, really cool addition, which I didn't even know existed. Stu, you said perfect. 
Care to elaborate on that, buddy? I one of your questions on on the show notes here is um, any improvements with a question mark? I don't think so. I think of its time. I think it is it is just a piece of art. I think I think Kenner got it right with all of the creatures. We we covered the Rancor a couple of months ago, but the Rancor, Wampa, Tonton, Chewback are all amazing, amazing, amazing toys. The way you can put the figure in the top of it, brilliant idea with the straight legs because you can't. There's no point in having a saddle where the legs can come on the outside. It will look daft, like, a bit like the speeder bike does when you when you stick the the old biker's get on it. Great idea and the open belly, a classic scene from the opening of Empire Strikes Back. It's just it's just perfect. And um, I want to know, Pete, you you used to use a chicken bone for um to lodge in your rancor monster. Did you ever like get a bit of tripe or something and pull it out the stomach? Uh, no, I think we did. I think I'm sure my brother, we, we put something in there. It might've been string. So it looked like guts, but I don't, I don't mean to put anything like that in. Cause if we'd have thought it would start smelling, my mom would have gone, don't put that in there. It would just smell. So I think it was, I think I'm sure we used string and all sorts. Cause I mean, I shoved it in there. Well, it might've been oh. paper. We should definitely put, oh, no, no, man, oh, elastic it, was. Bands. it was wool. Wool. Put wool in there. That's genius. Oh, I'm liking that a lot, Pete. Coloured wool. I just, I just think it's, um, it's, it's so iconic. I think when Empire came out, you, you look at all the original posters and everything. It is, it is on every one. Luke sitting on the back of it. It's all over the place. Such, such a good toy. I just, um, I, I'm just a bit in love with it. Really, I think it's wonderful. I have. It's one toy that I would say I have got over, over twenty of loose knocking around um yeah. what or as leah would say what what Stu, you need five more what is that did anyone know why i've said that 25 tauntons would mean i've got 100 nostrils no uh, 25 <laughs> tauntons is actually how they travel in packs of 25 there we what go is a, a what is a pack of them what is a group of Tontons called? I don't know. I'm sure we covered it once, but I don't know what Did it is they? right off the top of my head. But it is 25. They travel in packs of 25, apparently. There we go. Bit of information. Where information. did you get that Tonton information? How did you know so much about Tontons? It's called uh, it's called looking at looking at Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> in the wild, Tontons often travel in packs of 25 and could burrow into the snow for warmth. Their tails help keep balance while running. There we go. Yeah. Wow. What does it say about what what type of animal are they, mate? They're reptilians. Mammals. Yeah. They're reptilians with fur. Did Did you just say they're reptile mammals, Stu? That's what it says. What I'm reading here. Yeah. Like yeah. the Rancor Wampa, and like Greedo. Perhaps that's why I'm, I'm swayed to it yeah. because it's got a Greedo kind of relation to it. Yeah, it's classification just... lizard. I I know. So this is a, a strange one because on the box it says action figures sold separately. Contents: one mammal, removable saddle and reins. So I just thought that was was rather unusual for them to say that on the box. One mammal with removable saddle and reins, and they everywhere it else it makes reference to it being a lizard or it's a not, it's not a mammal apparently. Well, no. But on on the packaging, so it was decided um, when this first came out that it was a mammal. 
And then they must have decided then after that that it was a, a reptile. However, uh, yeah, it says here actually, although they at first glance they are assumed mammals, they actually lack mammary glands, which uh, mm. all mammals have. So yes. there you go. Yes, because a mammal is you know it's a creature which needs milk when it's a uh, cub, baby, or what have you. But however, you know, so you can have a polar bear mammal, brilliant. But from a, uh, a reptilian point of view, from a lizard point of view, you'd think that actually they they were really, really struggling in the cold, whereas the Tauntauns coped admirably during the day, but struggled at night time. If you remember the scene in Empire Strikes Back, Tauntaun will freeze if you stay out too late. So, uh, yeah, I just, I just thought that was weird. Reptile, mammal, who knows? Who dares to dream? Richard, coming to you, mate. You've been all sorts of quiet about the Tauntaun. Are you just uh, massively taken with this? Is this going to be a full house? Yeah, uh, me 26 Tauntaun. I think I agree with Stu and Pete massively. I think it's an absolutely fantastic thing. But one thing I've never really understood, and I don't know if any of you have done anything on this. So you've got the solid belly. And then it was quite quickly that the split belly came out. Now, obviously they've made a conscious decision to change it at some point, but did they just rush the torn torn out, knowing that they were always going to do the split belly and just wanted them out? Or did at some point did somebody go, you know what, we could improve this by putting the slit in and then putting a bit of rubber in and somebody's went, yeah, stop production, we're going to do these next. Any ideas? That wasn't That's the only it. change, was it? The uh, the split belly that then came with wider uh, wider saddle strap, didn't it? I think I don't think the reins were reinforced necessarily, but I, I think there's a definite difference between the um, saddles of the uh, split and the solid belly. Interesting. I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that either. But I think Stu's right when he said the. For the time, it's easy now to say yes, they could have made the reins out of a different material, but in the t- for the time, the eighties, it was perfect. It was exactly what it was supposed to be. I'm just looking at the the boxes, the Empire Strikes Back boxes. They all seem to be solid bellies. And then let's have a look. When does it become? It came. It, it came split in the Empire boxes. It was 19, 1980 was the original release, and I believe it was eighty two when they changed to split belly, but. Whether that's only like eighteen months difference, I don't know when in the years they came out. But yeah, so there was. I mean, show. I mean, it, it came out because the, the, there's a Palatoid one with Solid, there's a Kenner one with Solid, it's the Empire Strikes Back, and then there's the Kenner Canada one. So they they really did release it and then switch over. I suppose there's no dates on this really on Star Wars Tracker. It'd be quite useful. But yeah, mm, so they they went for the whole full box scenario and then swapped it. I couldn't it's... find um, I couldn't find many more boxes in that though. You've got you've got Palatoy for both and Kenner for both, mm. Kenner Canada and Meccano. But outside of that, it was pretty, pretty limited what I could find. But what I did notice was, it pops up in the artwork of many many toys, doesn't it? Now I haven't checked them all, but I know for a fact, just looking at my boxes above my head, the inter- Imperial Tech Base. He's a, uh, they're on uh, the Atat, uh, Wampa, Snowspeeder. Yeah, there is another box. Is there? I could oh, give yeah. each of you one guess each and you wouldn't get it. Unless you're talking about the when it was reissued on the rescue on Hoff. Nope. Right. Um, oh, it's, it's a quiz now, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think it was on Leddy. 
I don't think it, no, Japanese didn't do anything. You're not yet. getting 20 guesses each way, just give one each. We're talking about it as a team, aren't we? Where else was it really? <laughs> I don't know, Richard, tell us. <laughs> Baffa. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Mm. Well. Do you find, do you find the, the image on the, um, when, when they went split belly? And it's just brought back memories of that box because it, it it looks really undignified. So you got you got a tauntor lying on its side, giving birth to Luke as Han kind of delivers. It's Luke. brilliant. It's just it, it's it's not. A t- I mean, if you saw that as a kid now, you're going, "What the hell's that about?" There's no dignity if that poor tauntor has been cut open by Han Solo, the murderer of tauntorns. Ben. Ben. Uh, hang on, kid. This way smell that kid. Probably it'll keep you warm. Until I get the shelter up. It's just, there is literally no dignity in that. Whereas the original one, the original box, is lovely. You've got everyone having a little party. You've got Leah there, the droids there, some some troopers there. You know, Han having a whale of a time. Obviously, Luke's not around because he's done what I start, you know. Taunton original Mike Leia, though, isn't it? Oh, sorry? The figures weren't out when the original one came out because he got the original Leia yeah. in, a little, uh, in a little white gown knocking around. Exactly, and they're, and they're having a little Tauntaun party, but in the next box, it's all gone wrong. The Tauntaun's dead. There's some bloke hanging out of his belly, and another Tauntaun is standing by going, what the earth's going on here? And he's also trying to get away, or he's, he's come to see his poor friend who's been cut open by some vicious smuggler with a light sword. I mean, dreadful incident that's happened there. That Tauntaun must be very distressed. He probably died as well. But yeah, hmm. Uh, that is great, isn't it? Because you think Bassa didn't do that much, then they did release a Tauntaun. Yeah, nice find, Rich. That's awesome. Pete, what was the term you used to say they treated the Tauntaun with no... Was it no respect, or...? It's got no dignity, no is it? Dignity. It's just lying there. Pete... With his t- tummy talk, open. Talking about no dignity, I was doing a search earlier on for Tauntaun TV adverts, for commercials, and I found three... So I found a, a, a regular Tauntaun. Tauntaun! Tauntaun! From Kenner's Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back collection, it's Tauntaun. My mission is urgent! Tauntaun has removable reins and saddle. Action figures each sold separately. Hail, Rebel Soldier! Han Solo, help! Luke Skywalker's in danger! Tauntaun's front and hind legs move. Luke's okay! I found him! Our mission's complete. Tauntaun from Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back collection. Action figures each sold separately from Kenner. And I found one for the Tauntaun and the Hothwampa. And also UK one for the Tauntaun. <laughs> Will Han Solo on his Tauntaun and Luke Skywalker in his Snowspeeder dare attack the Imperial base? Only you can decide. With Star Wars toys. Uh, And one of them in particular, it was just so disrespectful for the Tauntaun. It came out first thing straight away. Tauntaun's like, here I am. And Wampa just immediately takes it out and it's down. As a kid, you think, oh... What's the point in that? I'm not going to buy that. And, you know, it, it, there was certainly nothing heroic whatsoever about the Tauntaun. It just got as 
ha- ass handed to him. Easy, Tauntaun. What is it? Wampa! Wampa! New Tauntaun, Wampa, and action figures each sold separately. Han Solo, help! Oh no, it's got Luke! Wampa! Watch it, Tauntaun! Gotcha! New Tauntaun comes with an open belly rescue feature. You'll be okay, Luke, as soon as I chase away that thing. Wampa! Wampa! New Tauntaun and Hoth Wampa and other action figures each sold separately from Kenner Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection. And then it was just lying on the ground with someone getting shoved inside him. So, um, yeah, yeah. The... And Solo murdered that Tauntaun. He was no warned, respect. if he goes, that Tauntaun will not, will not last. And he went, blah, 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 I'm going to kill anyone. Anyway. Your Tauntaun will freeze before you reach the first marker. Then I'll see you in hell. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he, uh, he said, I think there should be some kind of, like, criminal lawsuit against him. He knew for a while that Tauntaun wasn't going to survive, and he went for it. And Luke... Killed one as well. They're all killing Tauntauns. Got to protect them. That's why they go around in twenty fives. Yeah, because some bloke in a in a you know a snorkel jacket comes up and starts cutting the tummy open. Stu, man. Stu said earlier on, you know, what's the term for a you know a group a group of Tauntauns? That it is probably going to have to be something like a mafia of Tauntauns just to just to stay together, you know, so um, so they don't get taken out by any more vicious rebels. Yeah, yeah. So, Pete, you had one as a child. Quite clearly, you've still got it. Stu, oh, you've right. now got 20. Did you say you had any of these as a child, or, or Rich, even? No, my first um, my first way of these was getting them at school. Quite a few kids did have them oh, right. uh, when I got the bags of stuff, so it was something that popped up a lot. But no, um, no nothing of that when I was a kid. No. What about you, Rich? Yeah, I had a split belly one, but I don't recall the veins. They would have snapped and been thrown away. Yeah, yeah, that was my next point. I was going to ask about the reins. I was going to ask Pete as well, because according to Star Wars Collector's Archive, these reins weren't just breaking now in 2000 or 1990s. These reins were breaking within five minutes of playing with them. Is is that the case, Pete? Can you remember? Did, you, did your reins break? My reins... I mean, they are split, I'll tell you that, but they're just—they're still together, <laughs> just about. If I move them, I don't want to break it, but the right. um, it's also the, the strap underneath as well, that breaks as well, the, um, the yeah. buckle bit, that always breaks. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's as good as broken, I'm afraid. Right, so that leads me on then. You know, we've spoken in the past about things being fixed, reproduction stuff, what's appropriate, what's not, what's all right in the eyes of collectors primarily foam you know we've spoken about the foam in the digger per playset or death star but what about this what is it in your opinion all right to have reins with uh, sellotape or glue and in fact the strap on the um strap yeah the uh, the strap on the saddle is, is that all right you don't need to you, the thing is you don't need to because they, they sit because the way they're molded you don't need to put them together. I mean, they can just sit there. I mean, so the fact that my buckle is broken, but it still buckles up because the uh, the main part, the the main buckle, it still threads through, so it doesn't matter because the, the way they're moulded, the, the two ends still sit together, so yeah, you don't actually need to repair them. You can do, but there's no need. Because, you, you know, you may well find some on the market which has, say, got a bit of sellotape or got a bit of glue, but who's to say that's not been there since 1981? 1982 or what have you so um you know I, i'm fine with that it just so happens that the reins I've, I've got a split 
and uh, Solid Belly is part of my collection. Certainly not childhood, um, but part of my collection. And I think one of them is definitely got the reins split and I've just got one in each hand. And one of them, I think, like yours, Pete, is just hanging on by a thread. Yeah, if you if you wanted to, to reenact the scene of shoving Luke in his, his tum-tum, you're going to have to remove those things. That's why they kept being you know, breaking, because they probably didn't really design them very well to be removed on-off all the time. I guess with a solid belly, I, would, I bet you find those things on the solid belly ones more than you do the split ones, because you have to take it off all the time to get him in and out. That's me putting my taunt on the table. Okay. Cool. Let's jump in one sec before you carry on, Jez. You've all got the um, Rinsler books, the making of books, have you? Yeah. Have you seen the artwork and the early concepts for for them? The Tonton kind of looked like a, a giant kind of rat gerbily type mm. of creature rather than a, a thing. And then he got a bit like a, a piggy nose with a kind of anteaten mouth, kind of long nozzle. And then it kind of turns into like a like a dinosaur body. Do you, have you ever seen you know Toy Story when um, they go into the Sid's bedroom and he's chopped up all the toys and you've got oh, yeah. the, the long sexy legs with like a funny funny top body bit mm. one of them looks like that it's kind of like there's some really really random designs there's several eyes on one of them and um, one of them looks a bit like pete um yeah this one actually looks a bit like you pete i'll see if i can take a photo of it and put it onto our uh, social because uh, hey, well, some of the early of... designs are fascinating and who designed some of those to you um these ones are by tippet See it Bernie Tippett, lovely. <laughs> um, and by Johnston. Goodness. Um, yeah, Phil Tippett, and uh, yeah, but brilliant. Lance, I was checking out some information earlier on about the Tauntaun, and I was on, yeah, Wikipedia, Tauntaun's two and a half metres, bipedal snow reptiles, indigenous to the ice planet Hoth, it goes on, you know. And, it then I, I was having a little look at that. I then went over um, and looked at StarWars.com and StarWars.com had said, yeah, Tauntaun in Empire Strikes Back and also Tauntaun in Return of the Jedi. And I also saw that on Wikipedia. And what they make in reference to there, is this news to you guys that the Tauntaun... Yeah, Jabba's Palace, come on. Yeah, I had no idea about that. Uh, Stu, Rich, were you aware that there's a Tauntaun in Jabba's Palace? Before you said that there, yeah? Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe it was just me. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest with you, I wasn't. About six years ago, someone had built a diorama and put it on the forum. And it had had a Tauntaun head in it. And then next time I watched Jedi, I kept an eye out for it and it was there. Yeah. Yeah. I I had missed that. It was just one of those things. I think my focus was just on hand carbonite because it's at the scene when... uh, you're looking in Jabba's palace, hand carbonite, and it's to the left. Head of a tauntaun is there, and uh, yeah, great little tidbit of information. I thought I had quite good knowledge of the movies, and uh, yeah, definitely hadn't seen that. It's by all accounts has not been added as a George Lucas special. It's been there from the originals. It's just that um, with you know the the increase in technology in the visual clarity and the fact that we've now sort of pretty much got letterbox as opposed to this square sort of stuff which may have been lost on original tvs uh we're just seeing a lot lot more now particularly in java's palace so uh no i, I thought that was brilliant right so 
that's you know we've spoken about some of the issues some of the problems glues repairs etc etc i mean Stu, you've already said it's perfection you know you, you can't really beat this i Pete or, or Rich, is there anything which you could do? Yeah, I mean, everyone can make this sort of you know rubber a little bit tougher or what have you. But is there anything else you've spoken about? Maybe have some some guts coming out of the belly. But yeah, I think this is pretty perfect. I know we you can say about um, old stronger rubber, but at the time it was fine. You yeah. know, toys broke like that. They weren't to know that in forty years middle-aged men are going to be collecting them and moaning that their straps are broken it's not and uh, actually in fairness there's quite a few that are are still in good shape so yeah, yeah I, I i i cannot see for the figures to be able to play with it how you can make it any better at all i would add a uh a kind of like a playset thing of this even though i mean you could you, you could have had like a deluxe torn torn set so you could have had obviously luke Looking a bit dishevelled. You could have had obviously the torn torn with a split belly. But you could have added in uh, Hothan, obviously, and a lightsaber could have been quite cool. And had it like a little little two pack in there with a with a exclusive Han Solo lightsaber usage. Because obviously, obviously that's a scene where we see Han Solo use a lightsaber. Mm. You did get the we we alluded to it earlier. But we didn't really talk about it. The rescue on Hoth set, which came out, um, they were known as play packs actually for the UK market. And, Luke and Han Hoff were both included in a box with a Tonton and a Wampa. You know, everything you want to play yeah. that scene. All you need, Pete, is a winter's day with a bit of snow. Oh, or maybe yeah. if you haven't, get a duvet. <laughs> we must all play with our stuff in the snow. Come on, who hasn't? When it's snowed in the last few years, who here hasn't taken a Tonton or an Atta or whatever outside? Come on, you must have done. Yeah, I've, I've been a hoth with them, man. <laughs> of course you have. Yeah. yeah, okay, Richard trumps everyone. Fair play, yeah, I'll get my coat. And he was walking around with no shirt on. He's <laughs> a, a tough nut. It was warmer in Norway than back here, I'll tell you, that's an old. They always do, actually, don't they? Those kind of snowy places. That's a story for another time. I'll tell you what I would have done, it, well, not would have done at the time, but... You know, if you if you had any sort of budget or modern technologies now, I pretty much keep it as it is. I, I, I love it, but I would add the sound. Oh come on, we've done it in the past. We were doing it at Star Wars Celebration in London. Everyone was practicing their best torn torn impression. Got rich. Come on, mate, you can start off because I know you're full of it. Go for it. Well, give us your best torn torn. Snuffer, snuffer. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Pete. <laughs> Stuart. Schnaffer, <laughs> schnaffer. It's from German. <laughs> okay. I was just trying to make it sound different to the other two. Yeah. Like a dog squeaky toy. I mean, <laughs> I love a good schnaffle. So that's Ace, and um, I guess now in Jedi when they had perfected the um, Scout Walker with the push button on the back, giving it the different legs, the way you know you could get it sort of tonk and tonk and just run along by you know flicking his tail or having a little fiddle on the back of his saddle, getting the legs to flick about, oh, that'd be great. But no, oh great, great toy, 
Um, really, really a favourite, which, you know, they are really, really cheap, aren't they? I mean, Pete, I'm going to come to you for some market info, mate. These aren't breaking the bank, are they? Or have you seen anything which has really, really surprised you? Okay, obviously there's two sets of these. There's open and closed. So let's have open belly. Uh, You can pick up a loose one for somewhere between 17 to 20 quid quite easily. There's loads of them. There's not exactly a shortage of those. Um, and also same with the the closed belly ones, even cheaper. Apparently, you can pick them up. I, I don't actually have a closed belly. I'm quite surprised with this. I've got two torn ones. They're both open bellied, so I need to get one of those in Chicago, cheap one. So uh, yeah, they're about thirteen, fourteen quid for a for a, a loosey goosey uh, with all the bits and pieces intact. Um, and it seems that no one's ever paid more than about forty quid for a loose uh, closed belly. And and someone's paid sixty two quid for a for a very nice open belly one. But there we go. And then we've got the, the, the kind of box, and there's quite a few, obviously, between the two two things. But for your bog-standard kind of taunt on it, um, closed-belly taunt on in a box, um, somewhere around between 50 and 70 quid on all variants, which I was quite surprised at. That's just complete in a box, not sealed. Some people have paid two or £300 for, like, sealed versions of that. For the open-belly versions... Um, there's a few more variants of boxes that Stuart come into in a minute, but um, again, not not ridiculous. You can get it for under hundred pounds. Everything in a box. Obviously, you go down the sealed mint condition things, and you can pay. Well, the top price for a open bellied one, someone paid three hundred two pounds for a Empire Strikes Back torn torn Kenner box. So yeah, the prices aren't fantastically amazing, but you know, for for what it is, a small plastic toy. You know, there's not there's not tons and tons of detail in it you usually find them in reasonable complete condition the prices are fair and there's lots of them there's lots of them so you're not shortage of finding a tauntaun i was quite surprised though that uh that they were they're actually going for so much loose you know 20 quid 15 quid it's quite surprised that i thought it'd be cheaper yeah certainly i some of those figures surprised me actually i thought that they'd be a lot lot cheaper but but there we go just before you wrap this up, box that Stu was mentioned before, the Hot Rescue Complete Play Pack, it's also noteworthy for those who are interested in such things is to have a look at the Power of the Force logo on it because it's, like, it's a triple Power of the Force logo and I think that's really, really good looking, especially on that box with the, the hot scene. I think it's uh, it's cracking. So I, actually, I, I might like to have one of them actually just to see that. Lads, you know, we, we, we've spoken about it, we've spoken about our fondness and how this is definitely, a, you know, an integral part of, of our collection. Uh, terms such as perfection have been used. But let's go over now to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast Alliance and see what it is the guys have got to say. You are part of the Rebel Alliance. Hello, Vintage Rebellion friends. This is Ron Salvatore for the Vintage Rebellion Alliance. I'm hoping to annoy you this month with a few minutes of talk about Kenner's Tauntaun toy, or toys as the case may be, and I suppose is. I think it's easy to imagine Kenner's glee upon learning that the Empire Strikes Back would feature a roughly horse-sized mount on which our heroes would ride across the frozen wastes of Hoth. The makers of toys based on licenses are always looking for excuses to make low price point accessories, and the Tauntaun provided a great excuse. It was featured prominently in the movie, it was fairly distinctive in terms of looks, and both Luke and Han used one, meaning your parents might be inclined to buy you two, if, that is, they were Daddy Warbucks types set on spoiling you absolutely rotten. The Tauntaun hit stores in 1980, just in advance of the appearance in theaters of The Empire Strikes Back. 
Its box depicted only two Hoth-specific figures, Han Hoth and the Hoth Rebel Soldier, because at the time, those were the only Hoth figures out there. Well, I suppose there was FX-7, but it hardly seems fair to include him in this discussion. I mean, he's the Star Wars equivalent of a household appliance. I'm still not convinced that FX-7 isn't one of those robot things from Doctor Who. Design-wise, the toy is basically what you'd expect, a plastic representation of the beasts seen in the movie. The main action figure, the main action feature, if it can even be called that, was a spring-loaded trap door built into the creature's back into, into which an action figure could be inserted. This was a design feature ported over from Kenner's Dubak toy, and it worked on the Tauntaun just as it did, just as it did on the Dubak. That is to say, it works sort of okay, maybe a little bit. Because despite the incorporation of splayed legs into the sculpting of the Tauntaun saddle, a figure when placed through the trap door never really appears to be riding the Tauntaun. It sort of just looks to be stuck into the back, which it actually is. Uh, but hey, if you can accept Kenner's Star Destroyer playset as a spaceship, I'm sure you can accept anything, possibly even Samuel L. Jackson as a Jedi. The biggest flaw in the toy was its rubber reins. They were constantly breaking. So, come to think of it, was the saddle's lower strap. I'm sure Kenner had to replace qu quite a few of these components when parents wrote to complain about broken tauntauns. Kenner, remember, really did care. Uh, two years after the debut of the tauntaun, in 1982, Kenner reissued the product, this time with a soft rubber, a soft rubber belly capable of, of allowing an action figure to be inserted into the toy's innards. This, of course, allowed children to recreate the famous scene in which a tauntaun gives birth to a Jawa. Oh wait, okay, I'm just kidding. Actually, it was the scene where Han saves a, free a freezing Luke by slitting open his tauntaun and stuffing Luke right in there. Uh, sadly, there were no rubber guts to make the toy truly movie accurate, and truth be told, my guess is that most kids were rather underwhelmed by this particular product refresh. But from Kenner's perspective, it was a low-cost way of making the toy better and selling a bunch of additional units. Ultimately, that's what this is about, selling additional units. Uh, it's not about your childhood or whatever you think it is. Uh, the box for the toy was also updated to feature, you guessed it, the Hoth version of Luke as well as Space Cliff Clavin, a.k.a. the Rebel Commander. God, I love his mustache. The Hoth iteration of Luke debuted around the same time as the new Tauntaun. That, as those of you who majored in marketing have no doubt already guessed, was, it, was entirely intentional. Now kids who own the Hoth versions of both Luke and Han would absolutely need a second Tauntaun if they wanted to stay hip and relevant. Uh, rubber belly aside, the main thing differentiating the original Tauntaun from its 1982 counterpart was the saddle. The strap of the later toy's saddle was much thicker, which helped to prevent that splitting problem I discussed earlier. Uh, in terms of prototype material, there isn't a ton to say about the Tauntaun, but I have seen a few things related to the open, the open belly version. Probably the coolest of these is a urethane tooling aid representing the rubber portion of the belly. Keep in mind that when Kenner modified the toy, they had to create tooling for that rubber belly component, which fits into the hard plastic of the body shell. Uh, the tooling aid also includes some wax modifications uh, on the sculpted fur details, so it has some wax over the urethane, which is interesting. Uh, oh, speaking of sculpting, there's an Easter egg concerning the Tauntaun. Probably only a very few people are aware of this. Uh, I can't remember if it's been discussed. Maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. Uh, if you look closely at the tail you may be able to make out the name of the man who sculpted it. Uh, the partic this particular sculptor was fond of sneaking personal details into his work, even though Kenner forbade that kind of thing by policy. Uh, he got caught a few times and was forced to remove the details he sculpted in, uh, but in this particular case, he got away with it. Uh, he did it in a couple of other cases as well, such as the Dagobah playset.
Uh, even though this sculpture will probably be discussed in an upcoming book focused on the men and women who worked on um, Kenner's Star Wars line, uh, I'm going to avoid mentioning his name because I know some of you are crazy enough to beat a path to his door and push him to sell you anything that isn't bolted down, like a driver's license or his lawn gnomes. But I will say that his name begins with a G. See if you can find it. Again, it's on the tail. Of course, Kenner's involvement with the Tauntaun didn't end with the action figure line. Uh, the company also produced two Tauntaun action, uh, not action figures, but metal figures for their short-lived uh, micro-collection line. The micro-collection was a, a series of environments that came with sort of metal, unposable figures, and there was two Tauntaun-specific figures. Uh, one of these figures was included in the Hoth turret defense set. Uh, I believe that one represented Luke. Uh, he's depicted with a pistol in hand and his arm raised like he was John Wayne or something. Uh, the other figure was part of the Ion Cannon set and represented Han. Uh, he has his binocular thingies raised to his eyes, keeping a lookout for his lost friend Luke so we can find him and stick him in his tauntaun. Uh, these figures are among the cooler and larger pieces in the line and are especially impressive when seen in prototype form at four times their normal scale. Like most micro figures, these were sculpted at an exaggerated size and then scaled down during production, so the hard copies that exist for these are just giant hunks of prototype toy. It's very cool when you see them in person. Uh, but another kind of micro-tauntaun micro prototype exists, and, and this one, to my mind, is maybe a little bit more interesting, if not impressive, as impressive visually. Uh, I'm talking about a rough conceptual prototype that mimics closely the pose of the Lucan-tauntaun figure that I mentioned a little earlier. Uh, this, was this was apparently created and cast by hand during the initial phases of development on the micro-collection, so it takes us back to the earliest development on this line. Uh, for years, these figures were known as Partha figures, because it was presumed that the Ral Partha company, known for gaming miniatures, and I believe located close to Kenner, uh, had developed them for Kenner. However, no one has ever confirmed that story, so it's possible that Ral Partha had nothing to do with those figures, and they were just made by Kenner folks. That's at least the suspicion of several big micro-collectors, among them Josh Blake. Uh, anyway, the quote-unquote Partha Tauntaun is a very cool item that provides a glimpse into the earliest stages of that line. If you ever get a chance to acquire one, don't pass it up. Uh, internationally, probably the most interesting Tauntaun toy item that I'm aware of was a Power of the Force Tri-Logo play pack that included the Tauntaun, Wampa, and the Hoth versions of Luke and Han. So it was a kind of a, a play setup in one box. Uh, that's a very cool item. All those toys are in one solidly printed box, uh, making, uh, making the play packs pretty unique among Star Wars toys in general. There was three of those play packs, by the way. Okay, I guess that's it for the Tauntaun. Uh, I got through this whole thing without making a smells bad on the outside joke. I'm somewhat proud of myself for that. Uh, see you guys soon. The Rebel Alliance is too well equipped. They're more dangerous than you realize. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much, lads. That wraps up this month's new acquisitions. It's lovely to be back. Thank you so much, Stu in particular, for all the editing which you've done on this section whilst I've been away over the last six months. It's massively appreciated. So now uh, that's why I'm delighted that I'm uh, back to uh, sorting this out and taking on the quiz. Once again, lads, I really, really appreciate you bearing with me whilst I've been away. And, uh, and I can't wait to have a beer with you all in celebration. <laughs>
Right, let's, let's go beyond the newest acquisitions and still talk Torn Torns, Jeremy. Now, uh, you covered some Torn Torn information, and you did mention something which I did kind of want to cover about the the uh, the Torn Torn head in the dungeon. Now, I have a theory about this, because I cannot find the reason why Jabba would have even had a Torn Torn. Because it's kind of crazy. Why would you cut off a head of a Torn Torn and stick them on a wall when you, they wouldn't even live on your planet? Now, where did Jabba I live? I know the answer to this, I think. I don't think there's an official answer, but this is my theory. Mm, I think it's an EU answer. Well, maybe, I, I don't know. So where did he live? Jez, where did Jabba live? You, you're into Star Wars. Jabba lived on Tatooine. Yes, but what, what did he live in? He lived in Jabba's palace. But whose palace did Jabba live in? His Jabba's palace. Who, who did he steal it off? <laughs> uh, yeah, he, oh. I, I don't know. The Bomar monks. It belonged to the Bomar monks. No, the little spindly-legged things that you see walking across the uh, the entrance when Return of the Jedi starts, when uh, C-3 first goes in. He looks and he goes, ooh, the things with the brains in the jars. Yeah. Yeah, so it belongs to them. It was their palace, and they just, Jabba kind of moved in, and they went, oh, okay, and he let them stay there rather than kicking them out. So I reckon, I reckon either it was some kind of pet they had, or a pet taunter, or... They experimented on removing the brains of Tauntauns and thought, oh, yeah, he was an early, early uh, person of that and stuck his head on the wall. And <laughs> because that's what they did. They, they, they decided that they'd gone past the physical form and decided they were going to wander around in, in, in jars with their brains in there. So uh, they no longer wanted to have their original bodies. So I'm wondering whether one of those Beaumont monks is, in fact, a Tauntaun. That's my theory. Rich, was that a theory you'd heard? No, that's dreadful. It um... is. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's much more likely that Jabba had exotic creatures shipped into the fighting pits and the Tauntaun was before the Vancor, um and it obviously got killed at some point and they mounted its head up on the wall like they do with the rest of them. So there'll be a Vancor head mounted somewhere. Really? Do you know what? I think it's more likely to be, like in real life, where... Um, Someone might, uh, an American might fly over to Scotland and kill a stag, and he might have the stag's head mounted as a prize rather than getting a tauntaun to fight a, a Jew back in his dungeon. I don't <laughs> see a tauntaun. He can't even put up with the cold for five minutes. It's not like rancor. Yeah, tauntaun <laughs> fighting. Great... I, really, I really like it, actually. You see, I went, I went with something more interesting and challenging. Richard went for something bizarre. And Stu, I kind of, I, I reckon that's not a bad call. Okay, um, what I wanted to try and do, as I always try and do, is avoid printed materials and try and go for models. And I actually kind of found three models. They're not the most original things in the world, um, but I found them. So there we go. Uh, the first one is the Lee Ward's Lucon Tauntaun Suncatcher. And uh, we have covered these before in various areas, but it is an absolute corker. Um, anyone know what a suncatcher does, Jez? Yeah, you fill it with uh, your different stained glass and it catches the sun. So it just you can have it, I would have thought, dangling by a bit of cotton or thread. And uh, so as the sun comes in, it sort of catches it and glints and shimmers and stuff. It's lovely. But what is it, Jeff? What actually physically is the suncatcher? What does it look like? The one I've got is, uh, is an R2-D2. And it's a, uh, it almost looks like a cookie cutter. And uh, so it's it's probably about three, four mil deep. And it's not too deep too. It's probably about 10 centimetres high, maybe four inches high, something like that. And uh, you, you fill it with your different coloured 
glass, bake it, and, uh, and so there we go. So um, pretty, pretty much 2D, um, I would say. I've got to say the package. I mean, I mean, I've got one as well. I've got, I've got. Uh, I can't remember what, what's on it. I think it's an AM Falcon or something. It's, it's no, actually, no, actually, I tell a lie. I might actually have that one. I think I do, but there we go. But it is, um, it's a beautiful thing because it's, it's mounted. Um, it's kind of shrink wrapped onto a, a quite a mo- massive card back. So it's a really good piece to display. And there's, there's a few, there's quite a few of them. There's about, I think it's about ten, I think, all in all, including an IG88. So let's remember that one for when we get, when we get stuck with IG88 items. But it was made by a company called Lee Wards, and I was trying to find out what who on earth Lee Wards were. They were an Oregon craft manufacturer. I was trying to search around and see if they were still alive, what was what happened to them. And there's lots of comments on forums, a real warm appreciation of all the, the stuff they, they actually used to make. I actually found a post by the, the original founder owner's daughter. And um, she, she put this post on the website. Obviously, quite sad that the company had, had sort of sold out. Um, it ended up being sold to General Mills at some stage and then uh, devolved into a company called Michaels. But she sent this this post, just very, very sort of scan over it. She goes, uh, her father and uncle started the company at a time when silk for parachutes was still in high demand, although the war was still over. This allowed him to stay profitable by making silk product, silk-based products in craft items. So um, they, they put on all sorts, cards and, and whatever, and that turned into a craft company. And, of course, they... Um, they kind of ran out of money as per usual and someone bought them and end the story but uh i just thought it was nice that the little little company actually had a little star wars license i don't think these went very far um and that's why they're they're kind of hard to get and they don't but they don't cost much so there's not a lot of people that are after them um i think i've got one for about 28 quid i think off somebody nick dykes think it might have been i don't know how much you guys pay for your ones but they're not they weren't ridiculously expensive yeah the suncatcher was a fiver <laughs> there we go cheapest chips and the most recent father's from so yeah return of a jedi sun catcher as described yeah about five oh it's just he's also return of jedi because mine is mm. ever back. no i think the jedi ones are a little bit more easy to come by well, mine's, well, this is the, this obviously an Empire Strikes Back one. Jazz has missed a point. Um, so fantastic little item. Uh, by the way, uh, the the um, the original founder uh, retired to Spain. So there we go. Well, so you could point. say that, as it says on the packaging, he made it and baked it. So uh, you know. Well done, Jazz. So the second one was another model. And we have covered these before. It's the, again, unfortunately, it's not a, just a taunt on his own. They didn't seem to enjoy having tauntons on their own. It's another Lucon Tauntaun figurine paint set. Craftmaster, a cracking line of, of craft items. And it seems to be that, that they featured heavily in craft items. We've also seen it before. comes a little bo- bunch of paint pots. Uh, it's a nice bit of packaging. Um, I think I don't have that one. I do have... A couple of Craftmaster ones, but no models. But uh, definitely something worth picking up. And maybe if anyone again does have a painted one out there that they painted as a kid, please, please share with me. I've got one in my hand now. I got this. Is it painted? Five years ago. No, it's still in packaging. Um, And do you know what? So I got this five years ago, I'd say. And I got it over from America when I got a large sort of shipment, large box of Beyond the Toys stuff from Todd. And it was, yes, it's it's really big. It's a really big card and it's really quite special. So on the back, it shows that they did a Leah Hoth one and a Yoda, as well as the Luke on the Tauntaun. It gives you the instructions, uh, sort of painting by numbers, quite literally, on, on the rear. 
Now, when I tried to thin down my collection when I moved house and I needed just to get rid of some stuff, um, this was one of the things which I tried to sell. No one was interested. Absolutely no one was interested. And I dropped the price and I dropped the price. And, uh, yeah, it just didn't sell. But it didn't sell on the forum or it didn't sell on eBay. So uh, I kept it. Quite glad I kept it now. I mean, the packaging is great because it's got a massive Empire Strikes Back logo on it. It's enormous. It's half a card mm. almost. But then you've got the most, um, I guess, there wasn't really a, a colour, colour, you know, colourful taunt on really. The the paint, the paints are what is it? White, brown, kind of a yellowy, sort of grey colour, yeah. grey. <laughs> Not one to get you excited, really, is it? It's like, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I mean, the, the model is quite sweet, but I mean, painting it is like. Yeah, you 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 really got to be an enthusiast. I mean, a kid's not going to go. Oh yeah, well, I mean, then end up painting the taunt on brown and Luke. You know. Oh, it's going to look shocking. Yeah, it's going <laughs> to look shocking. But yeah, if you don't want it, Jez, you know, well, there'd be a happy home for it here. You know. <laughs> if you want to get rid of it for two pound fifty, if anyone's got one painted up, please forward us pictures because uh, because I bet you had loads of hours painting that. <laughs> <laughs> but when it's finished the, the the picture on the the packaging is really nice actually it looks it looks really uh really, it's really cute so yeah, a, a nice little item okay right third item and let's just go to stuart because it's just going to be up his street uh, you must have 20 of these five in the garage and some in the bathroom whatever it is the sigma again luke on tauntaun teapot probably the most original of tauntaun items i'd imagine my favorite item in my collection pete Oh, but it is still is. Uh, I absolutely adore it. How big um, is it? It's um, probably about twelve inches tall. Twelve? Really? That big? From up, up to the top of Luke's head? Yeah, maybe slightly smaller, but not not a great deal. Yeah, you've got to be very very careful when you pick it up by the handle because the top wobbles around. But that is whoever came up with that is just <laughs> sitting there. I'm going to turn a tom-tom into a teapot. You you, you know. He's probably he's probably the most amazing man in the world, or woman. It is a quite of unusual pose, though. I mean, Luke looks like he's having a lovely time, but the tauntaun is a little bit. I don't know whether he's about to. He seems to be resting his upper torso on some some snow, but his tail seems to have popped sort of out, and maybe maybe he's going to be doing some business that way. Yeah, they had to do that because it needed a handle. He does look a little bit like he's having a rest for something, for a reason. He looks like he's having a poo. You are right, because also his mouth's open, so it looks like he's got a bit of a strain going on. Like, <laughs> ooh, ooh, oh, that kind of, kind of imagery. Master Luke, it's coming out! <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming you remove the top of Luke and that's where you put all the tea bags in. Yeah, he splits uh, on his waist. And um, yeah, pour your tea in there. But if you're using one of them for your tea, you're a mentalist. <laughs> So, do, do you reckon yours has ever been used, or was it at mid no, it was, it was no. That was my um, my dear wife. Not long after we started the podcast, within about that year, she had contacted Grant to buy me a present, and uh, came home from work one day, and Grant had hooked her up with with this teapot. Because it's quite, he's got quite a jauntiness about him, though. I mean, he's, he's got a little red neckerchief going on, hasn't he? Which is very, very jaunty and almost, you know, I mean, it, it's useful in the snow. If you've got a red neckerchief on. He should have had that in the film. He might not have got lost. And the Tauntaun has piercing red eyes, according to this picture I've got in front of me. Do you have piercing red eyes in your in your original? Uh, I'm trying to see from here. They, they don't look particularly piercing, but they might be. He's in a he's in a dark little corner at the moment. I haven't got my lights on. Surely you can see his jaunty scarf. I can see his jaunty scarf. In fact, actually, the paintwork, the painting's brilliant. Uh, Luke looks amazing. His 
got lots and lots of little uh, details on him. It's beautiful. He looks it's very he looks very happy in, in a gleeful time with his torn on. Yeah, he looks like he's just out having a, you know, looks like one of these people that just rides horses all day because they've got nothing else to do and just out sauntering around. What? How many times these these were used by people, or were they just ever ever used? Because I wonder how how effective it was as a teapot. I wonder how many people actually put it through its paces as a teapot. It'd be nice to have a spare one to tea with. I'll be honest with you. I, I look at the um the Sigma range, and I can't imagine drinking from one of the mugs either. The only things really would be usable would probably be the money boxes and the cookie jar. Oh, and the tape dispenser and the soap dish. Yeah, it's got to be usable, surely. Yeah. Someone would use it. I would, if I had this as a kid, I would have been used. I didn't like tea, but I would use it for something. I would put it in the bath or something. Or poured <laughs> orange squash into a glass. It would have definitely been used if I'd known these existed, I'll tell you that. Any of you other guys got, got this on your list of things to buy, maybe, in Chicago? I'd love it, uh, but I, I'm guessing it's probably out of my price range. I imagine. I mean, I don't know how much these things are. There's a lot more interest in them nowadays. So I, I don't know. I don't. I haven't done a search for them, so I don't know how much they've been going for. If they've been going on eBay, they do. They do still pop up, but nowhere near the amount from when I first started collecting Sigma. It's the same with the tape dispenser. When I first started collecting, there was always on eBay, and when I finally wanted one, it took me over a year to find one. But the teapots, they 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 kind of hold a price around two two twenty for a decent one with a box. So yeah, about four beer mats then. Well, yeah. <laughs> Four beer mats or a lovely uh, teapot. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's going to be a beer mats. Now. Yeah, no, it's a new way The tape dispenser and the teapot both definitely need to be in my collection. I just, yeah, maybe one day, right place, right time. But I, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not actively looking for one. I'll be honest with you, Pete. Bringing back a teapot <laughs> that size from Chicago <laughs> is uh, is nutty. <laughs> I see, you see, I, I, I'd be quite happy with like a slightly chipped one. That would be quite fine because, you know, torn torns have bits missing off them. So, uh, you know, if we have a little bit of missing off his tail, I wouldn't mind. But uh, it's a lot of money for a teapot. Right, let's move on. No, uh, no, no. Maybe that's what job I did. Cracked his teapot. <laughs> Stuck his head on the wall. <laughs> right, let's move on. Okay, right. I've given you three figurines. So I want, if anyone's got a figurine, come forward now because I couldn't find anything else. Come on. Bring forward your Tauntaun figurines. Yeah, so over on the SWCA, Tauntauns feature heavily on some of the micro collection stuff. The Han on Tauntaun painted four up hard copy. So that's a that's fantastic. That I really love that first one. Um, it's just captured Han Solo, even though you can can't see his face or anything like that because of the binoculars or the macronoculars, whatever they're called. Um, it's it's fantastic. It's absolutely brilliant. It captured that really really well. Which set was it in? The one with with the binoculars is in the Hoff Iron Cannon set. Yeah, absolutely. and the yeah. other one is in the Hoff Turret Defense set. Nice with the gun. Mm-hmm. So there's a four up there. There's also a second image I put in there is something that's called a torn torn painted squeezing. <laughs> And <laughs> for my very, very limited mem- memory on squeezings, I think that's to do with where they were testing the moulds and the put, I think it was like a liquid resin that was inside it and they sort of put, put the halves together and squeezed them to test the moulds. So um, it's, it's a bit rough looking, but it's it's a really nice item. Um, so that's my second one. Nice. Um, the third one 
is the Luke Forwarp hard copy. So that survived as well. So that that's a really nice item. Um, and the other one is the hard copy paint master. So that's the four items that I've found all in the micro collection line. Um, there is other things. There's a really nice um, conceptual art. Um, look on Torn Torn. And there's quite a few prototypes as well at the one-to-one scale um, that I found, including a brown Torn Torn with a yellow look on it. Oh, a brown Torn Torn? This is a brown torn torn with a yellow look. Brown torn torn. Yep, so that one is going to text chat now. I didn't think you wanted to see that one. Oh, I don't want to see everything, Rich. I want everything. Um, but you're right, though. Torn torn appears on lots of things, but mainly as, you know, like posters and, you know, various other things. That's lovely, that, isn't it? Yep, so that's the conceptual art. And then at the bottom there, you've got six little one-to-one prototype torn torns. And there's a brown torn torn there, so obviously that would have just been, I'm guessing, just to shoot any plastic through to test to see what the more look like. Um, I've gone with just a, a couple of little bits. Of, actually, I've, I've marked out several pieces. And Pete, at the end, after Jez has been, can you come back to me? Because um, I just want to show you something as well. But a couple of things which I thought were great. Now, um, for those of you that saw my Empire cork board I bought down at Farmers From this time, um which was, you'd have liked it, piece. it was very Marvel-esque. Um, I just had a look at the court board, and there is a, a die-cut shaped one of Luke on the Tom-Tom. Ooh. That is beautiful with the Empire logo on that. Mm. Um, you need that, Pete. You actually need it. It is awesome. I would buy one of them if I saw it. I'd say what well, is um, lightsaber's frozen and turned to a popsicle. That's no longer a lightsaber. That is a frozen lightsaber. He's going to lick that later, but it's made of strawberries. Is that what you think? Yeah, look. Have a look at it. Luke is looking very... I'm not sure what's happened to his lightsaber, but it has it has become red. So he's become quite evil now. We've got Taunton with red eyes again, so Taunton's gone evil. Luke seems to have a pair of glasses on underneath his goggles, but there we go. Yeah. That's very true. Now, the main thing I, I wanted to... Um, up now we've all seen these and i'm i've nearly i've come close to buying a box of these before for display but of course so we've got to mention and that is the um the candy heads um from the empire strikes back there's no way we can overlook that so you had the box there were the odor box and when you when you look at the figures that were in there the heads yoda bosk 21b and a tom tom um Absolutely stunning. Little plastic heads of those characters, God. and they fed candy out the side of them, I think it used to come. <laughs> a brilliant, brilliant item, I, I think, and it inspired me to go and get a box full now, really. <laughs> Hopefully full of candy. We always should, for these sort of creature things, try and find models. And that is a cracking model. I saw that and I thought, there's no way you are not going to get that. <laughs> Someone's going to bring it up. I'll be honest with you, Pete, there was... Um, I, was try, I desperately try to find a clearer picture of it, but I'm pretty sure the old pinball table from back in the day, the Empire pinball table, the artwork on the side, I'm, I'm sure has got a tonton on it. I tell you what, Jez, this is going to be tough because that, that is some great finds, especially when they find models. So can you find me a tonton model, Jeremy? No. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> in, in the uh, show notes, it said, you know, what else can you find? Yeah, so yeah. 
I thought I'd go through my own collection of stuff as well and I don't actually have a great deal of Empire Strikes Back. However, he does appear on pretty much everything, right? So Empire Strikes Back pillowcase, lovely. Got it also in Afghanistan. Thank you, Stuart. And on this, got a lovely image there of Luke Skywalker on a tauntaun. Very, very uh, prominent. Move on to the next one. One of the main Empire Strikes Back posters, you've got the swooning Han and Leia um, sort of in the foreground with Vader in the background. But in front of Han and Leia, you've got Luke on top of his tauntaun, in front and centre of a main cinema um cinema poster and video cassette so i thought that was fantastic now i've also got the read-along book with record um so you know that lots of people have seen the cassettes but this one came with the vinyl and on the very first page you've got from atop of a shaggy tauntaun commander luke skywalker surveyed the snowy landscape tauntauns on absolutely everything which i've got empire strikes back i then move on though to this is probably my favorite image have you ever seen 21B um, giving first aid to an injured tauntaun? I think that's an autopsy, Jesse. That tauntaun is dead. That's, but I, I saw this. So this was an image when I was going through my Japanese Empire Strikes Back cinema program. And there are some classic images in there, images which I've never seen before. The last image, uh, the last photograph I've sent you, it, what, it shows some great Hoth images um, of the uh, rebel soldiers in the trench, etc. But when you zoom in and you, you see 2MB, looks like he's performing some sort of medical examination of a tauntaun, which, yes, definitely is looking like he's past his prime. I think we need to ask questions of that too, won't we? Because I don't think that's legal what he's doing there. There's, there's something wrong. I mean, he should be attending to people getting injured. Not scrubbly, scrubbled, you know, mangy tauntauns that have gone out in the cold. I mean, that is a dead tauntaun, that is. He's, he ain't doing anything there. He's, I don't know, he's cutting it up and having a look inside. He's, that is wow dodgy. I mean, there must be somewhere that image must have context to it that says, what is what is 2-1-P doing to that tauntaun? Because it doesn't look great, does it? We, we need to know. We need to know. If anyone knows what 2-1-B is doing in that picture, to that poor dead, looks like he's got a big slice of him. Because it must have taken a bit of effort to set that up. You know, it wasn't just like done on a whim, was it? They, they had an idea for a scene now, I'm assuming, or a, an image of some sorts. And plus you actually get a bit of 2-1-B's leg. I don't know if I've ever seen his leg in a picture before. I think what we'll do is, Jez has brought this to the table, we'll give him an assignment before Ooh. April's show. To Good. Find it exactly what context and where that image has come from what it Brilliant. means what it stands for and maybe put it into a thousand word document as well yeah. <laughs> Jez, a thousand words that. is just an intro for jez man <laughs> yes. yeah by the time he's repeated himself six times <laughs> okay jez you've, you've done well there but um a little bit lazy that you just looked around your room and had a look <laughs> so i mean you know at least the boys went out there and really you know looked at books and all sorts so you know you, you've, you've done all right i want to go back to when you used to do gim crack pete oh I. and i think this would have been a winner because it's in context with everything else for the show so someone has taken a vintage tauntaun they have attached a 12 inch hand solo head to it and attached the horns back to the side of his head. <laughs> I came across this while I was researching, and it just really made me chuckle. I just think he's got his little blaster. Someone's made a lot of effort. That is one of the greatest customs I've ever seen. Mm. Um, it's like honton. Yeah, very clever. Oh, yes, yes. How horn horn. 
Yeah. I think I, I was going to bring up the uh, the modern stuff because there are there, there is some outstanding modern stuff. I think the sleeping bag one that it came out and then it sold out so quickly. It was it's an, an epic bit of genius. I mean, imagine that as a kid, but a little bit more, you know, front loading rather than top loading. It would have been a bit better, but uh, it is a, just a brilliant, brilliant piece of uh, merchandise. There was there was so much there was so much modern Taunton stuff because obviously, I mean, you, you can get like a, a little um, plush Taunton actually makes the noise actually goes. So uh, yeah, there's, there were some fantastic. So it's a real shame that um, we didn't get some of those those bits when we were kids. The rocking horse stuff is great, but it was a little bit unstable, if you ask me. Anyone else with anything else? Was that your your finale, um, Stu? Well, I just liked it. I just um, yeah. it just really made me chuckle, to be honest with you. Oh, it's good for a chuckle. I think that's that wins the game crack round. Well done. Yes. <laughs> Two points for you. Done for the rest of the. But yeah, Tauntauns. There, there is literally loads. I'm I'm quite happy we didn't cover too much printed stuff um, because it is everywhere. It's on all sorts of stuff. And it'd been a bit of a shame with that. And I, th- I think we've we have delved into quite a bit of the model stuff. And if if, if anything we've missed again, let us know because I don't think there's anything else out there model wise, is there? Um, it's a bit of a shame there wasn't like a Lucon Tauntaun kit that you could put together. But um, apart from that paint by numbers one, that was it. Really. So yeah, let us know, and that's it for this month. And we shall move on to whatever crazy stuff Jez picks next. And now the top five price Tauntaun items according to StarWarsTracker.com. At five, they smell bad on the outside, said Han Solo, a line he used on Chewbacca regularly when commenting on his Wookiee co-pilot's farts. It's a loose, complete, solid belly Tauntaun for £40 in December 2016. Moving down to four, lightsaber user and Tauntaun opener Han Solo kept hold of Luke's old laser sword so he could open up stolen tins of Minoc meat for Chewbacca's dinner when his hands got a bit doddery. It's a loose, complete, split-belly Tauntaun for £62 in August 2016. Debuting at three, Tauntaun in Somerset is where it's thought the name Tauntaun derived from. Every year, fans of the film take a pilgrimage to its abattoir and drunkenly climb to carcasses. It's a sealed Palatoy Return of the Jedi A, split-belly Hothscene bilingual text, in May 2016. 17 for £294. Stuck at number 2, the top speed of a fully unladen Tauntaun is 95 miles per hour, but it's unknown how fast they can go whilst hosting a Skywalker. Next time, chuck him off and head for Echo Base. He's got magical powers, he'll be fine. It's a mint and seal box Kenner ESBA solid belly Tauntaun in July 2018 for £299. In at 1, male and female Tauntauns apparently like to spit at each other. Be wary, noble beasts, that Bob Calgies is looking to come out of retirement. It's a split-belly Kenner ESBB hot scene rebate offer in March 2019 for £303. See you guys next time on the StarWarsTracker.com Top 5. Right, let's get on with my favourite theme tune. Right, boys. Now, last month we got better at this. You started saying stop at every question and having a guess. Because that's what it's about. It doesn't matter how silly it is. Just have a guess. 
if you go back and listen to last month, Pete came out with some absolute crackers at the beginning. <laughs> I think he was throwing in, I think, I think the toy, I don't know what it was now, it was like 1978, 1979, he was chucking in a yak face as an answer. Yeah, any old that's, what it, that's what it was about, right. Exactly. So, let's go on to the quizzes. Remember, say stop, and then you can have your guess once I answer you. Only one guess per clue. Okay, clue one. My original release was in 1983. Stop. Pete. Yak face. <laughs> no. Stop. Rich? No, I'm Jazz. Jazz, sorry. <laughs> Clartu. Clartu, no. Stop. Rich? Yep. Um, ISP6? ISP6, yeah, interesting to throw something in there, but incorrect. <laughs> Clue two. My backstory reads, I was a part-time bounty hunter and tragic lover and killer of Zero, Dzilic, Tiru. Stop. Rich? <laughs> I'm going to see the wrong one here. Zuckus? Who? Zuckus? Zuckus. No, that's incorrect. Hmm. Anyone else? Stop. Stop. Oh, go on, Jess. Okay, Jez. Boosh. Boosh. No. Pete? <laughs> uh, oh, it's Princess Leia, but why? <laughs> and Princess who? Leia. Is that what you were just going for? Princess Leia? Well, it can't be any 83. There's only one there, really, so... Action figure-wise. No, go on. Okay, clue three. As well as Return of the Jedi Kenner and Trilogo, I can also be found in Lily Leddy packaging. That doesn't mean there's no other packaging, but... Oh, uh... Stop. Rich? 8D8? 8D8, incorrect. Uh, stop. Jez? Gamorrean Guard? No. Stop! Uh... Pete? EV99. EV99, No. Some interesting guesses. Clue number four. My accessory came in either silver or black. Stop. Stop. <laughs> right, Pete, you said that first, but very no. cautiously. <laughs> no, no, it's rubbish. Okay. Rich? Mine's rubbish as well. I'm going to go with um, size noodles. Size noodles. Richard wins. That's a good Good done, one. Rich, well done. The other clues I had was Good on show. screen I was portrayed by a puppet until the special editions where I was rendered by CGI. My character has been used in colouring books and a stunning Sigma item, amongst many other oddball pieces. My original RRP was eleven ninety nine. I was part of a three pack, and you cannot buy me single packed. Well done, Rich. You take the lead, which Between is that and Tootie McCool. I was uh, the silver and black. <laughs> that's the only thing that I would have got. I wouldn't have got it from any other clues much later on. Uh, well done, Richard. Well done. See, it's not been a complete failure this evening. But Rich, let's, let's stay with you. Let's have we got any feedback on fifty seven? I have, yep. So we've got a couple of iTunes reviews, both come through with five stars. So one huge thanks to Commander Clint, our favourite Canadian over on Tantive. Favourite Canadian everywhere, really, not just Tantive. Um so keep up the great work, guys. The best vintage Star Wars toys podcast out there. So cheers for that, Clint. Really appreciate it. And we will be hooking up very, very soon. And the next one from Alex the Designer. Okay, so if you want anything designed, contact Alex. So nice to listen to a podcast that cuts the unnecessary. That's a bit unfair. We only lost Jez for a few months. 
hits you with facts and information and it's presented by warm and fun characters. So cheers for that, uh, Alex. Really appreciate that feedback. So moving on to thoughts from your K and Facebook then. So obviously we've got a lot of people adding on to the whole Tannikin rib taking of Jez. A um, few people didn't like the R2D orange, thought that was a bit weak. Um, we had quite a few people mention Tando, so that was a, a one that we all missed. So if anybody else has got any more that they would like to join in Rib Jez with, by all means, just send them our way. So it was cool to put Jez in his place, just like the annoying little orange that he is. We've had a surprising <laughs> amount of feedback on the A-Wing discussion. Now, obviously, we do like to have our little um, debates on the things that Jez brings up at the end of NA, but we've got quite a bit on the A-Wing, so it was really good to go back and read through some of those comments that you guys have made. And especially on the NPC poster, with many saying that I haven't seen it before. So if you haven't checked out that poster, I'm sure Steve's shared it on social media recently. We've got a lot of feedback on Jared's interview, with many loving the insight into how the tracker came into being and how it works. But also a lot of people enjoy Jared's backstory because he's much more than just the guy behind Tracker. A lot of feedback on Mark and Pete's brilliant Ron Cobb off-the-cuff chat. So that was amazing. That that was just winged, and that just shows, like, you know, us four, we, we know what we know, but something like Mark Daniels can come on and he can spout for half an hour on a, on a topic I was really passionate with. So that was absolutely brilliant. So, um, you know, Jez bringing Mark on led to something unexpected, so that was absolutely fantastic. Um, and a lot of people have said that they've went out and checked Rob Cobb's workout, so hopefully that book comes out at some point. Uh, lots of similar comments on Facebook. Um, it was nice to say Bruce White put the photo up. I can't remember who mentioned that. It might have been Pete mentioned the photograph of Bruce with Carrie and Leslie. Um, and he had two photographs up. He put both of those on there. But he agreed that if you're going to go to meet these celebrities, that photo ops over autographs any day of the week. So, Stu, if anybody else got any feedback to leave, uh, what's the best way to get in contact with us? Yeah, you can find us on Facebook by searching The Vintage Rebellion. Also search The Vintage Rebellion over on Instagram, on Twitter at SWTVRpodcast. And as always, you can email us at SWTVRpodcast at gmail.com. We are, of course, all on the forums, particularly Star Wars Forum UK, and you can tend to find um, tend to find Jez at most tanning salons in the Oxford area. Uh, obviously, all our podcasts are still available over on iTunes right the way back to episode one, including all the Christmas specials. So go and have a, uh, a good, good goof back at them. You can um, listen to one on your plane, on your journeys to celebration. And uh, yeah, all good fun. Um, any other business, boys? Uh, Jez, I believe you have something about your medals. Yeah, thanks so much, Stu. So no, this isn't me pushing for a new event. This isn't me pushing for sort of more sponsorship at all. Um, but for those people who aren't aware, I am the long distance running stormtrooper aka at Stormtrooper Run on Instagram and Twitter. Over the last few years, been raising loads of money for children's charities, primarily Make-A-Wish, but in 2018, I added another charity, Spread a Smile, who look after children very much like Make-A-Wish, but in this case, children who are unlikely to be able to leave hospital. I was the lunatic who ran four half marathons on a treadmill at Star Wars Celebration in Orlando in 2017, finishing just less than a week before I ran a London marathon. I've pushed it and pushed it by running marathons in full Stormtrooper armour to a 40 miler in 2017 and then the 100 kilometre run around Pinewood Studios in 2018. I've pretty much drawn a line under the run in the Stormtrooper fundraising now. I'm still going to be doing school visits. I'm still going to be trying to promote a little bit of healthy living and, and who knows what in the future. But from the fundraising point of view, that's it. 
I've been doing it for three years and I've managed to raise so far just over £33,000, which is about US dollars It is hard asking the same friends and family for sponsorship, and I've made each year tougher. I think I would definitely stop at 100 kilometers because yeah, 100 kilometers was a long way. So some of the money which has been raised by an initiative which was started pretty much 12 months ago to the day and has proven to be far more popular than I ever imagined or hoped it would be. And that initiative was the Running Stormtrooper Virtual Run series. Now some of you may not know what a virtual run is. Well a virtual run is a run which you can sign up for online where you can say right uh, a virtual run, for example, could be one mile or, or a marathon or, 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 or a set distance over a period of a month or so. And you sign up for it and you do this distance at your own time, at your own pace, at your own location. You could do it on a treadmill if you want, or you can even break it down over several days. So if one mile was too much of a stretch for you, you could do it over a series of a week, just, you know, just fractions of a mile and add it up. And you would just record that on either a treadmill readout or on a running watch or on an app on your phone. There are numerous ways in which evidence for running these distances or walking these distances can be done. They've proven really popular over the years. Mark Daniels was a legend last year because very early on in the year he offered me, he said, Jez, do you want a new logo for your running Stormtrooper project? He designed me the last Stormtrooper run because, as I'd said back then, this was the last Stormtrooper run, the 100km run. Now I put this logo which Mark crafted for me on Instagram and straight away people were saying, you need to turn that into a virtual run, you really, really do. That would make an awesome medal. I then had the difficulty of deciding what length I wanted. Was it going to be a short one? Was it going to be a one mile? Or, or was it going to be something else? We then came up with the idea of four distances, each sharing the same wonderful design to keep the costs down but each distance having a different finisher's ribbon to go with the medal. It was when I then came up with the idea, right, let's have lightsaber colours, and let's choose different lengths which will appeal to different people, be it people just starting running or school children, to people who are a little bit more into athletics. So I chose the one mile, which was a red ribbon, five miles, which was a green ribbon, a marathon, which was a blue, and 100 kilometres being purple, something to appeal to everyone. And as I said earlier on, you know, the, these distances can be done over a, a, a period of time. The 100 kilometre, for example, some people were doing 10 lots of 10Ks or just doing it over a period of a year. You have as long as you want to, to fulfil your obligation of your distance. But how does this support the charities? Well, these medals Unlike a public event, which could cost, say, 30, 40, 50 pounds and more, this costs just 14 pounds, including taxes. And of that 14 pounds, five pounds goes direct to my charity page, which splits the money between Make-A-Wish and Spread a Smile. You know, th this has proven to be so, so popular that we didn't appreciate exactly how popular it was. The 100 kilometer sold out really really quickly and they have made several other orders of the ones and the and the fives as well the reason i'm now talking to you guys is that a small number of the special 100 kilometer medals have been made by a medal company due to lots of people asking if they could get one so we now have very limited numbers left of one five and a hundred kilometers these medals or runs have been ordered by people all over the world 
We've sent them to USA, Mexico, New Zealand, Germany, Australia, and even some people in Afghanistan, to name a few. I understand that some people overseas may be put off by the extra international shipping costs in the past, so I'm offering a special, I will hand deliver them to you at celebration option. Essentially, you know, you could, anyone who's going to be going to celebration could take advantage of this, where you could say, oh yeah, that one mile, I'll do that one mile with, you know, I'll do that one mile as a challenge, or I'll do that one mile with my son or daughter or with my friends, or I'll do the five or... I've always wanted that 100 kilometer one, but it's been out of stock. Right, now it's in. I've, I've put some stuff on Facebook, but you can also check out the website myrace.run, who do a whole load of different virtual medals, uh, but the Stormtrooper Run series is on there as well. So um, yeah, great opportunity to get an awesome medal without any international costs. So it'll just cost you £14. And at the moment, with the way the exchange rate is in the UK, it's going to cost you next to nothing. However, £5 is going to go direct to the uh, children's charity, so everyone is a winner. And if I'm able to hand deliver this to you at Celebration, you've got yourself an awesome extra lanyard to hold all that swag which you're going to get. Thanks so much, guys. That's my plug for the last Stormtrooper Run virtual series. There's just a few left, and then they're gone forever. Brilliant. Well, lads, I'm not, I'm not quite sure how how uh, April's show will be panned out, whether we're going to be Star Wars out after celebration. Obviously, there will be a show, whether it will be recordings from there or whether it will be just a normal kind of structured show. We'll decide that when we come back. But it's going to be a great fun. Can't wait to spend some time with you boys. Even you, Rich, you see. I'm not embarrassed of your shorts. You don't be either, mate. Are you bringing them to Chicago? Yeah, I wear them every day if you want. Brilliant. That 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 does prove to me that you are actually hard as unaware nails. of how short they are, which I really like. But yeah, I hope well you're not as hard as nails when you're in those short shorts. I really, really do. But there <laughs> you go. Well, at least it'll keep it in and we come out the top rather than the bottom. Yeah. Northern <laughs> um, thank you to this show. Thank you to Chris Fawcett, Chris Jagulius, Ron Salvatore, Matt George, Gary Borbridge, and Stephen Ward. Uh, really do appreciate all of your time this month. Boys, that is it for March. Um, so it is until next month. Goodbye from Richard. Later, guys. And if you see us in Chicago, shake your hand, shake Jess's hand, shake Pete's hand, and punch you in the face. <laughs> it's really nasty, Rich. All I do is support you and give you the backing where these two are belittle you. And um, that's how you that's how you treat me. But it's because I'm short, mate. You think I'm an easy target. I'll bite your nuts. Um, goodbye from Jez. <laughs> I am so looking forward to this. I, I'm, I just sense the grin I have right now, knowing that Celebration is just around the corner. I can't wait to meet up with everyone who I've already met who's going and to meet all the people who I'm yet to meet. I'm so excited. Is anyone else picturing Jez's big smile at the moment and <laughs> thinking of Zippy because Jez is the same yeah, colour as him? Yeah? <laughs> 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 That's yeah, what he's trying to tan himself to. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> No cosplay needed for Jez. And it is goodbye from Peedy Weedy. It's a goodbye for me, but a hello to Ahmed Burst. We're coming for you, baby. Oh, God. <laughs> Does he know what he's let himself in for? Oh, oh I don't know. I don't know whether I know what I've let myself in for. Do you think he'll... Uh, think Jez he'll has got no idea what he's let himself in for. <laughs> Will it allow us to give him a big hug, do you reckon? I, I think he best off just doing it, mate, and worrying about whatever you're allowed to afterwards is um, <laughs> the way I've always uh, gone with things like that. 
Imagine if I, if I got arrested for hugging Jar Jar Binks. Well, just remember, Pete, a bit of a word of advice. Cosplay is not consent. Mm. It is also good night from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Stuart's dinner. This would have been ages ago, but um, you lot just don't stop talking, do you? <laughs> you know? Right, come on, let's do it. All right, I'm getting ready for the quiz to end all quiz. Oh my god! <laughs> Been ages since I've done a quiz. Pizza on, pizza on minus done anything in it? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. He's been in Afghanistan for six months, but he's had nine months off the show. Low, <laughs> low blow. Six months. <laughs> Let's go over to this month's quiz then. Jez is back in the hot seat. And, uh, well, <laughs> let's see how this goes. Um, see you on the other side in three hours. <laughs> That's hard. I'll have to go and grab a glass of water because my mouth Yeah, is. I've got to tell you, I'll just this, this is drag this. <laughs> Brilliant. He's so happy, isn't he? Yeah. This is drag. <laughs> oh, celebrate. Oh, dear. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs>